It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, January 16, 2017. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani back inside our New York City studio. Hope you're doing well. A happy Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you. I think this is a great time to remember his legacy and honor the late Dr. Martin Luther King and a happy 88th birthday to him as well. In fact, my four and a half year old son actually just started learning about him for the first time and it was it was very exciting to hear him tell me about who he was and what he stood for and what he represented. So uh, if you are home on this Monday afternoon, if you're off from work here in the United States, I hope you're doing well and enjoying the show live. We have a lot to discuss. Unfortunately, we kind of start off on a bit of a somber note. Uh, it's it's rare that the UFC does a Sunday night show and I'm not at the show and then get to do a Monday afternoon show, our, our regular time slot, because usually I'll be traveling home, as was the case the last two years on this mid-January Sunday night show, and we'll have to do a Tuesday. So here we are, 12 and a half hours after BJ Penn lost to Yair Rodriguez, and our our worst fears confirmed Sunday night in Phoenix. What was interesting about this particular fight, as you may recall, we found out about it live on this show. It came out of nowhere. It was not rumored or reported beforehand. It popped up on Twitter while we were doing the show around two months ago, and both New York Rick and I reacted in real time. We digested it as we found out about it for the very first time. And if you go back to that clip, if you go back to that segment of the show, it, 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 it turned out to be exactly what we we feared it would be. It was It was not the right matchup. It was... Not the right time. It was a uh, a lopsided booking. It was, a, you know, BJ Penn, a guy who had not fought in two and a half years, who was coming out of retirement, fighting a 24-year-old superstar in the making, a future champion. There's BJ Penn. Uh, and, and it was just... It was baffling at the time. It was unsettling. And then over time... I think some of us, as New York Rick spelled out last week, there's sort of a 12-step process to being a BJ Penn fan. I think some of us started to warm up to it, started to believe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then you watch the fight on Sunday and you remember why you felt the way you did when you found out about it. And some people were asking me afterwards, are you sad? Was Was that sad? Was that depressing? I mean, there's an element of that, no doubt. To me, it was more disappointing. It was, watching it made me mad. You know, he should have never been in that fight to begin with. Again, for the millionth time, they got it right the first time. They got it right with the Dennis Seaver fight. Prelims, less pressure, an opponent his age, on the decline, and then every other step of the way. And unfortunately, BJ Penn is a casualty of the fact that there are very few headliners right now in the UFC. They had to put him in the main event for Manila. They had to put him in the main event for Phoenix because they don't have big names available right now to headline shows. And so they put him in a very tough spot, a spot that someone at his age with the experience that he's had over the last two and a half years should not be in. You don't use BJ Penn to build future stars, not right now 
when he looked so bad in his last fight, you try to build him back. If you're gonna if you're gonna be back in the BJ Penn business, in my opinion, you build him back up. And here's the problem: the reason why we love BJ Penn so much is because he takes these fights. Is because he says no to anyone. I guarantee you, if the UFC would offer Brock Lesnar to BJ Penn tomorrow, say, hey, Thursday night, you're gonna fight Brock Lesnar. Do you want it? I guarantee you, BJ Penn says yes. It is on his team, it is on the UFC to know better, to almost protect him from himself. Retirement did him no good. He was uncomfortable, he didn't know what to do with himself, he didn't know how to handle it. He, he, had, he was a fighter his entire life, and then all of a sudden it was taken away, mid-30s, what the hell do I do with myself? And he went down the wrong path. Retirement did him no good. The Hall of Fame induction, while a nice gesture, was not well received on his part. He didn't know how to handle it. He was not ready for that. And so this was his way of getting back on track. It gave him a purpose. It gave him a reason to wake up. He did all the right things. He went to Jackson's. He got out of his comfort zone. He did all the right things. But at the end of the day, you could do all the right things at this stage of your life. If you're going to fight someone like Yair Rodriguez, who is that damn talented, who is that unorthodox, who is that amazingly uh, gifted on the feet and in all facets of MMA and who is only getting better each and every time. I mean, he is the very definition of a blue chip prospect, Yair Rodriguez. And look what we saw. I mean, first time in over a thousand strikes, BJ Penn is knocked down. He's finished in the second round, unsettling, uncomfortable, everything that we thought it was going to be. Um, And so that's that. You hope that this is it. You hope that he's able to find something else to do. You hope that he's able to walk off into the sunset and be proud of his career and and remain healthy and, and, and happy and content and be a loving father and husband, uh, all his faculties intact. And you hope that other fighters, and you know this won't be the case, but you hope that they watch this and they say, you know what? If I'm going to keep fighting, maybe the Miracle Krokop way is the way to go. You go, you know, you get some nice little matchups and then you say goodbye. You don't allow yourself to be used as a stepping stone. And I get that's how fight sports work. The the older guys fight the young guys, you build the stars. But at some point, you, you got to pick your matchups right. And you have to have people around you who say, you know what? This is this is not the right fight. Not now. Two and a half year layoff. Not against Yair Rodriguez. And the problem is, the biggest problem is, this fight was booked to build Yair. And, and he doesn't get the credit that he deserved because everyone's focused on how unsettling it was to watch that. Much like the Frankie Edgar situation of two and a half years ago. Every, Frankie looked fantastic, right? He looked fantastic in that fight, the third fight, the third win over BJ, and yet everyone focused on how depressing it was to watch BJ in that state. And that's the same thing that happened last night. And this time, we don't even get the goodbye. We don't get the press conference. We don't get the post-fight because it's happened so many times. This is not the way to go out. Anyway, we'll talk a whole lot about that um, in just a minute. Let me run down today's lineup. A lot of great names, a lot of great guests, and uh, then I have someone I need to speak to. And this thing keeps, I promise you, I saw some people say that I've gained a lot of weight. It's not, it's not the weight. It's not the weight. It's just keeping me on my toes. Um, Okay, 410, we're going to be joined by Mark Hunt. He was in the news last week, suing the UFC, suing Zufa to be more specific, Dana White and Brock Lesnar. You know the story. We'll talk to him and his lawyer at 410. 350, Stipe Miocic, the reigning, defending UFC heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, will stop by at 350. 305, Megan Anderson, one of the big winners 
this week. The new interim Invicta featherweight champion. She'll stop by, talk about her win on Saturday at Invicta FC against Charmaine Tweet. What's next? The call out, all that and more. Derek Brunson. Did you hear the news? Derek Brunson is fighting Anderson Silva, UFC 208 in Brooklyn. Barclays Center. Where did this fight come from? Derek Brunson coming off that loss to Robert Whitaker will join us at 2.45. Alan Joban making his MMA Hour debut coming off the win over Mike Perry in Sacramento. He'll stop by at 2.25, 2.05. Our old friend Chael Sonnen will stop by. Preview this Saturday's main event against Tito Ortiz, Bellator 170, 145. We'll talk to Rashad Evans. Have been wanting to talk to Rashad since New York. What's going on with him? When's he coming back? And John Fitch will stop by at 125, the reigning defending World Series of Fighting welterweight champion, John Fitch. He's got a lot to discuss as well. But first, let us go to our screen over here and uh, talk to... Look, I, I was thinking, you know, should I get an analyst? Should I get a, a reporter? Should I get someone to talk about BJ Penn? There is no greater expert than our own New York Rick to talk all things BJ Penn. You know by now, uh, BJ was his favorite fighter is his favorite fighter. He was very emotionally invested in this one. He uh, has traveled to watch him in Detroit and Philadelphia. So New York Rick, no, no better person than you to lead off today's show. Um, let's start with this. Sunday morning, you wake up, you're going back home. You're in Kansas City for Invicta. Okay, you're getting, now it's, it's happening. It's Sunday, he's weighed in. Did you believe? Or were you always kind of watching with one eye open? Like what were your thoughts as the day was commencing and you were getting emotionally ready to watch BJ Penn fight for the first time in two and a half years against Yair Rodriguez? I was um, definitely cautious. I was definitely not, you know, expecting... um, I don't even know if I was expecting victory, to be completely honest. I was just hoping um, for a better performance than, than the last fight against Frankie Edgar. So I was... I wouldn't even say optimistic i was uh hopeful that he would give a, a an accurate representation of himself and kind of uh erase the the memories of the frank yeager fight where he came out on his tippy toes and all that stuff um so it wasn't quite you know rah rah it was more okay let's settle in and and hope that this goes well i'm sure you consume the pre-fight interviews the media yep. day workouts all that stuff the weigh-ins, you're looking at him. What are you seeing when you see him at this point? He's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. He admitted, you know, being embarrassed about the Frankie Edgar fight and not wanting to kind of go through that again um, and things that he's done differently. But, you know, I'm not, exp- you know, no fighter, uh, very rare. I mean, everybody's praising Joe Lozon today, you know, yeah. for keeping it real in the in the cage and, and saying he didn't think he won that fight. It's very rare for a fighter to say, I'm going through a shit camp. Um, I really don't feel that great. I'm not expecting to win this fight, um, even if those doubts are kind of creeping in. So I don't draw much from, from those kind of pre-fight interviews in, in the way of, you know, even if you're saying the right things, you're not necessarily, you know, in a better spot than you were before. Um, it doesn't it doesn't add anything to me. It's more, you know, to get their demeanor and that type of thing. And BJ seemed to be in good spirits, which is which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, saying all the right things doesn't mean that it's going to translate to a, to a win in the cage. So um, I saw all those things. Um, it didn't really change how I felt about the fight. I thought, you know, this was always going to be um, a matchup that that didn't you know, bode well for BJ just because of the age difference. That That is a huge factor. Um, he looked old. He looked older. Did you not find... I, I, I've always felt that 145, while maybe size-wise was beneficial to him, it, it just... 
it didn't wear well on him. I don't know. It, it just didn't feel right. Um, but this is... Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I, I, now, now I want to get to the fight. You're sitting there. You're watching yeah. it. He's walking in. They show him walking in with his wife, which I thought was a little off because you don't see that. You're going to battle. You know, ask Nick Diaz about that sort of thing. But fine. You know, this is a big moment. He's coming back, all that stuff. He walks in to the old song, not the remix, which you know, two and a half years ago, I thought was a big mistake, a sign of weird things to come. He's looking ready. And then the fight starts. And what are you seeing? At, at how quickly... You say to yourself, oh, no. Again, as I said at the top, our worst fears confirmed. Pretty much the first exchange. First exchange. The difference was evident right away. Um, And the game plan that he had, you know, to to initially kind of push Yair up against the cage and try to take him down was a a sound one. But the, the ability to shake that off let me know exactly what we were looking at. And then once they exchanged on the feet, the speed difference was was clear right away. This is a stupid question, but I feel like I have to ask it anyway to you. Because um, I don't really get, you know, to be honest, like I have the utmost respect for the fighters and stuff and, and I, I am a human being. I was like, I didn't feel sad or depressed last night. I was more upset that we even got to this point, that this actually happened. For you, what was more depressing? Yeah, I mean... This I, or the Frankie Edgar fight? No, the Frankie Edgar fight. Because, was more depressing. Yeah, because um, BJ had looked, you know good but there were always excuses we can make and and there's that's actually a thing that you know comes up all the time when it comes to bj penn and his career is you know there's always like a reason that we can kind of pin or point to um to have hope for the next time oh he was fighting out of his weight class and right you know potentially um he didn't train that hard for this one or that there's always some reason people can find and i'm one of those people because i i kind of followed this from from the start um and was along for the ride and and wanted to be along for the ride um there's always a reason so the frankie edgar one it just looked like no matter what the reasons were that was absolutely abysmal we can't have that happen again you just cannot have that happen again and then it comes to sunday night and it happens again so i think the first time that that kind of realization hits you is is much more startling than the second because I was hoping for something better, but I, I had already accepted the possibility that that was what was going to happen. Second, first round was a, a mess, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. a 10-8, especially with uh, sure. the new rules in place. Early second round, finally gets knocked down, first time in his career, and uh, shortly thereafter gets finished. I thought Big John gave him a lot of respect, but you could have made yeah. the argument that it went a little too long. That point, probably, you know, you're you're sitting on your couch i know you didn't want to i'm sure people are tweeting you yeah rub at that point you say to yourself i don't want to see this man ever fight again well that's what it comes down to right so i was thinking i I thought about this quite a bit just because i i wasn't i wasn't ready to accept the possibility of him not fighting again uh until the fight played out up until this point i was just hopeful now the fight plays out and i started thinking about well what does this actually mean what happens to this point so the the feeling that you want to get after a fight even if you're even if the fighter that you're you're you know betting on or rooting for or whatever the case may be whoever you're invested in the feeling you want to get after that fight is okay we lost but let's do this different and run that back this is what i want to have happen in the next one there is nothing i can point to that bj can build upon from that fight that i want to see changed and then have that happen again i just don't think that there's anything 
there that I that I need that I feel uncertain about. There's there's absolutely nothing that um, makes me want to see that again. We saw the same kind of you know one sided thing with the Frankie Edgar fight. We saw this again, um, and and the issue the issue is. BJ Penn's legacy was never wins and losses. There's guys who, you know, they, they are very, they're undefeated or um, the record was was the most impressive thing. This was their resume. This is who they beat um, along the way. And they have very few losses to, to competitors. BJ's record was never his legacy. His legacy was always that he was the guy who would fight anybody at any time. And now that's coming back. In, in, the, in the start, that was what built him into a star. And that was what... Uh, you, you know his his kind of rawness his kind of realness is what made people gravitate toward him but that that inability to turn down a fight is now what's making it very difficult to kind of stay along this journey um because he's too tough for his own good he yeah. doesn't he doesn't turn down fights he doesn't say no to a guy who put, could potentially be a bad matchup and even in this fight he was uh, fighting after the stoppage saying i wanted to keep going when clearly that fight was over there's nothing to fight for and his legacy and i i'll say this i think if he did this five more times his legacy would still be exactly the same it's not adding or, or taking sure. away from his legacy because that's already set we we know who bj penn is we know what he did and this isn't really benefiting him obviously i mean there, there's nothing really to, to benefit from but it's not hurting his legacy much either um because that was already kind of established and, no, and this no. is a continuation of what that was which is I'll fight anybody. I don't care. Um, bring them, line them up, and, and I'll fight them. And he's continuing to do that. And to, at this point, it's to his detriment. And so, you know, I think we're all kind of in a similar spot. Anybody who, you know, has followed BJ Penn and really, you know, loved what he's done for the sport and, and followed his career, I think when the, when the, when the, all the actual, What's the word? Um, expectation. When the expectation of winning is completely gone and all you have is the hope that he'll win, I think that's that's a bad sign. You don't want to watch your favorite fighter like this, right? And, and, and yeah. say, please don't embarrass yourself. Please don't look horrible. And I feel like that's how a lot of BJ Penn fans were watching that fight. I went back and looked at that press conference after the third Frankie Edgar fight. And Dana White said, I don't want to make a single dollar off these kinds of fights anymore, off these BJ Penn fights, Forrest Griffin, he talked about Chuck Liddell, and he's stayed true to his word when it comes to Matt Hughes, Forrest Griffin, Chuck Liddell. And I can assure you, those guys at some point wanted to come back. Why did they let BJ Penn come back at this point? Is it because he was never a Dana guy, because of the history? If you read the book, you know, you know, the history with going to K1 and all that stuff. I don't know, but why, A, do you let him back? And why do you let him back against this guy? So here's my question. Here's my question to you. As a believer, if he fights, let's say, Dennis Seaver, who's the name we always talk about, over the past year is it the same like does don't Seaver care. starch him or is it a much is it a nicer looking fight is it a more competitive looking fight which then leads to the next fight and the next fight and yeah, maybe that, you know delaying the inevitable the absolute easiest thing to do right now would be to say yeah against Dennis Seaver he does better or against Dennis Seaver he beats him that would be the easiest thing to do because over the the entirety of his career it's always been okay, well, if he trained a little harder, mo quote-unquote motivated BJ Penn, he's going to come out there and, and wreck shop. Or, you know, oh, remember those fights against uh, Sanchez and Shirk and Florian and, and the prime of his career? Yes, but those days are long gone. We can't get that. We can't get back to that. So the 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 truth of the matter is if if he fights again i'm not going to be watching i don't want to see it I you just, will abstain from watching i'm not watching it i just can't because do you think he fights again i think it's a high possibility because 
he's he's as I just said, and I think everybody knows it. He is too absolutely too tough for his own good. He he at this point, um, he has nothing to prove, and he's still going out there. And I think the only way that anything can change is if people don't want to see him because there will still be people and and my you know not wanting to see it will mean nothing it will be you know a a drop in a bucket but there will be people who will still watch him fight it doesn't matter and it'll be maybe it's for the usc maybe it's for somebody else it doesn't really matter um i just can't I, i i can't you know invest in this anymore it's it's a, it's it's hard to it's getting hard to watch i mean that that stoppage was was very difficult um, did you feel the same kind of disappointment that i'm expressing here like i was upset that we got to this point and i know that we had to accept it and talk about it but i still can't this is one of the more baffling fight bookings in ufc history in my opinion. Um, doesn't Because Yair Rodriguez was on his way to becoming a star, is on his way to becoming a star. He didn't need this fight. I don't think that this result helped out Rodriguez as much as they mm. think it did. Yeah, sure, he's undefeated still. He's got the nice feather in his cap over BJ Penn. But I feel like the story should not be the depressing nature of the win. It should be, wow, look at Yair Rodriguez go. They finally have the Mexican-born fighter that they've been looking for. And that's not the story. It's yeah. not, right? Well, because the because of how bad BJ looked. If he gave him a competitive fight, then it would have been much more a, a credit to Yair. Well, we all saw this um, coming. Than the, than the lopsided. Yeah, I, 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 it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to separate. You know what you want to see happen from what's actually going to happen, and and that's you know why um, you don't bet with your heart. You you bet with your your head. But um, I just think that. I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far and say that this was the type of booking where it was like we shouldn't we should have never made this I can't believe it happened um but I think after two in a row like this there has to be for there has to be some kind of uh there has to be an end there has to be a stop to this like it, we just can't keep going in the same way okay let me ask and, you this are, are you worried as a guy who you know you become emotionally invested in these sure. individuals you've never met BJ Penn right um something like that yeah okay are you worried that, you know, the guy's going to keep doing this and, and, and hurt himself? Like, like do you, you, when you say save himself, the only person that could save him are the people around him, right? Yeah. But what is BJ Penn going to do? I mean, he had the opportunity and, and at some point he's going to have to come to terms. No one's going to book him anymore, but he's still in his thirties. Yeah. I don't think that. What day- is this guy going to do on a day-to-day basis? Because, you know, he didn't seem like he was happy in retirement and, you know, he, he, he was going through some stuff, you know, it, it, it's hard for an athlete to come to terms, especially one who's that beloved, who's that successful, who's fighting in, in MMA where you're on the marquee, you're, you're like, you're, 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 you're worshiped like a God, right? What is he going to do? What's he going to do with himself? Does that worry you? Yes. Because if you remember, when he initially announced his retirement, my thought was you got to keep him away from MMA because he's going to want to be back. And that's exactly what kind of happened. Um, I think he just needs to find, he needs to find an inspiration, kind of some doing something outside of this. And look, I'm not going to, I can't be the one to retire BJ Penn. That's just not a reality. And uh, to be honest, I don't think it's a fan's place to kind of retire BJ Penn. No, no, but they could say exactly what you said. I'm not going to support this anymore. That's, that's all I can say. And, but I think it's up to the people, you know, closest to him to kind of guide him toward that. um, If they feel the same way. Now they may think, you know, there's things we can do, things we can adjust, but they have to really mean that. And it can't be, you know, a, a situation where, um, 
getting him back in there is is the only uh is only to to you know further whatever their agenda is for what's best for him is is what should happen and i think you know most of us can kind of see that and to be clear i don't think there there was any agenda i i do think that jason perillo in particular and then greg jackson and of course mike winklejohn and regan penn care deeply about bj penn they are not trying to make a buck off of him if they didn't believe in him and support him they wouldn't be there they wouldn't support him so i don't think that there's any sort of agenda there but it is amazing that the ones who reach the absolute mountaintop the ones who are the legends you know the 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 surefire hall of famers the pioneers if you will their fall from grace unfortunately is a lot steeper and a lot more depressing to watch than the mid-tier fighters that's just the way it is the ones who have enjoyed the most success the greatest fortune the greatest moments always seem, you know, for the most part, at least, seem to have these moments. And BJ Penn is one of those fighters, like Fedor, who has this deep, passionate fan base. They are so loyal to him. They love him so much. I mean, he walks out to that song with that look on his face. It's impossible not to get goosebumps. It's impossible to not want to root for the guy. He is very endearing. He is very likable. He is um, in some ways inspirational the way he fights anyone, anytime, just scrap, that whole thing, the way he speaks, his tone, the conviction, the belief. That is someone that you want to get behind. You know, for all intents and purposes, you know, to the best of our knowledge, he's never cheated. He's never taken shortcuts. In fact, he's gone the opposite direction of shortcut. He's always punched above his weight. And so you want those guys to succeed. And they've given us such great moments. And then to see what happens to him and to see the position that he was put in, insurmountable. He would have needed the greatest, I mean, the greatest performance by far, times a million, greater than any performance he's ever had, times 10 to beat Yair Rodriguez, 14 years younger than him. And the gap was much wider than just 14 years. It was a talent gap. It was it was the gap of a guy who had been active, getting better each and every time against a guy who was out for two and a half years. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Still don't get it. <sighs> Tough to watch, and, and you hope that that's it. And it sucks, because I don't want to be the guy to say, BJ Penn needs to retire. I'm not that guy. I hate doing that. But I agree. I agree with, with New York Rick. You, you, you can choose as a fan what to watch and what not to watch. That's the only thing that you can do. I mean, to me, in my opinion, the last great, you know, BJ Penn performance was 127 against John Fitch. First two rounds, I remember watching that fight in person in, in, in Australia. First round, the game plan was fantastic. Wow. Clinching, wrestling, right out of the Right out of the gate with John Fitch. Wow. And then, of course, the third round did not go his way. That was the 10-8. Leads to a draw. But since then, it has been a, uh, unfortunately, a steady decline with more lows than highs. And I think if you're a fan, a friend, a family member of BJ Penn, you, you kind of hope that, that that's that. It's a bummer. He deserved better. But that's fight game for you. Um, okay, let's move along. We'll have plenty more to say about Sunday night in Phoenix. But speaking of John Fitch, wanted to have him on to talk about his last win, what's next for him, a lot going on in the the life of the reigning, defending World Series of Fighting welterweight champion. He joins us right now via the phone. John, are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to talk to you again. By any chance, did you watch that fight last night, the BJ Penn fight? Uh, no, I didn't uh, get a chance to see it. Do you, uh, yeah. I had a lot of the play-by-play usually on my Twitter feed. I usually hear about all the fights going on, though. Is this, uh, is this something, uh, you know, you're obviously, you're, you're, you're older now, you're still a champion, but is this something that you're afraid of, you know, people talking about you in this light? Uh, it was a hard thing to watch, especially those that, that love BJ Penn. But in the back of every fighter's mind, you dread this day? Do you think about this a lot? Um, I mean, just dreading the day when you can't fight anymore is, is pretty bad. I mean, winning or losing, as long as you're fighting, you're still kind of winning. Huh. Um, but I, I don't know. It's a hard call to make because ultimately the fighter's got to fight because he wants to fight and fight for himself, really. And if uh, that's the way he wants to make money, regardless of, you know, if he's winning championships or what, if, if he's, you know healthy enough to be licensed then let him let him fight do you believe and i know this may be a tough question for a fighter but is it does it fall upon family friends managers promoters to stop the fighter from fighting is that their place or at the end of the day does it always have to be the fighter who decides because sometimes the fighter can't recognize that it's time to walk away right yeah i mean if there are physical like impairments if there are physical things going on that are obvious whether it's, um, you know, something going on with their brain or their physical body, then, yeah, I think the, the family member maybe should step in. But if, if uh, you know, but if the doctor doesn't seem to feel that there's a problem, I don't think that anybody should else should have a problem with, with the, the athlete competing. Last thing on BJ, I don't know how much you've been watching him, but do you agree with me that his last sort of, I don't want to call it great, but like, you know, competitive performance was against you at 127? I don't know how many you watched afterwards, but that's my opinion. Do you agree, disagree? Um, well, I kind of have that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think a lot of times it's... Um, when a fighter has a style and they fight for a really long period of time, they become obvious, I think. And uh, people start figuring them out. It's kind of like a video game. You play it enough times, you start figuring out what's going to happen and what the timing is and everything. So I think it happens to a lot of the greats. Um, when they don't vary their style up or their game plans up much, uh, they start getting figured out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about you now. We last saw you uh, New Year's Eve in New York. You beat Jake Shields, a fight that we've been talking about for a long time. Uh, You know, it was a hard-fought win, kind of the way we sort of expected it. Two gritty fighters, veterans. And then afterwards, you dropped this bomb that that may have been it for you, that something came up, pre-fight testing, and you may be walking away. So here we are around two weeks later. Do you have an update? Will you keep fighting or are you done? We're still trying to uh, arrange all the appointments that I need to to, to uh, get things looked at. I, they found a couple uh, very tiny, they called 2T flare uh, foci, F-O-C-I. Not sure how you pronounce that. But uh, it could be nothing. It could be something from childhood, something they never picked up before. But like the equipment's so much better these days at picking things up. They noticed it this time. So I, I had to do a second MRI just to be 
sure that I was, you know, safe to fight. And, you know, I'm, uh, of course, I'm all right because they wouldn't let me fight if I wasn't. Right. But uh, I just want to make sure that I'm not going to, you know, start losing time and slurring my speech and whatever if I continue forward doing training camps. Because I think I'm fine for the fights, but, it's a, you know, 8- to 12-week training camp that really puts the uh, the damage on your body and your head, so... And, and and so for the the uninformed, can can you tell us exactly what came up? Is this was this a brain scan? Yeah, it was an MRI. Okay. And it was they, they said it was the two two three millimeter long. Uh, it was called a two T flare foci or foci f o c i. Okay. Which um, which is in the front left uh, white brain matter. But that could be it could be nothing. It could be something that I got in high school, you know, and it's just just something that's there. And doesn't how necessarily d- mean that I'm at risk or injured or, you know, I don't have any symptoms that would lead to that. And I've I've taken neuro, neuro tests recently too, you know, and those all check out fine. I just want to be extra extra cautious, you know. Sure. Did you have any reservations? I mean, they obviously cleared you, and I know the New York commission is a tough one uh didn't clear rashad evans aljamain sterling others mm-hmm. but for you personally family man husband did you have reservations did you feel uneasy going into that fight against shields knowing this uh i mean it's a little bit of a reality check you know especially since all this went down like a week before the fight wow so like i did i thought everything was fine until you know uh, they said no well you're your MRI didn't come back clean, so now you got to go do another one. So, like, I didn't know I was fighting until the Tuesday that week of fight week. I was in New York on Monday, still not knowing whether or not I would fight. Wow. Um, and, and then, uh, yeah, so I, I just, that kind of probably was why I was thinking about it so much uh, that week is because, you know, I didn't know if it was something that was serious or if it was just, something in the scan that doesn't really mean anything but but while you're in the fight are you thinking about it i mean is this going through your mind in the locker room in the fight that's a heavy thing to find out about just a few days before the fight no yeah but no it didn't really uh go through my mind during the fight so much uh just like the lead leading up to it okay i think i had a couple couple few days where i really had a lot of thought on it and you know what what it means and what it means to my family, that kind of stuff. So, what are you leaning towards doing now? Uh, I mean, I still, I mean, I still want to fight. I mean, that's the second I watched back the fight, I already was picking on things I wanted to work on and <laughs> go back and fight. Uh, I mean, that's really all I've wanted to do for a long time. So, uh, I would have to kind of reinvent myself and figure out what I want to do. If I if I if I can't fight anymore, so when is your next doctor's appointment scheduled for? Um, I don't even have any scheduled yet. I'm still trying to find the right doctors to go to. Okay. So would it be fair to say again, that we're not? I'm not a I'm not a very rich man. I can't just go out of pocket and go to anybody. So yeah, like with that brain stuff, I'm looking for. Uh, there's some people out there doing studies and stuff. They're doing it for free because they're trying to collect data. So I'm trying to trying to go through those people. Is World Series of Fighting helping you at all, financially? Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't really expect them to. Uh, 
because none, none of this stuff is, you know, per se related to an injury that happened during a any singular particular fight. Sure, but I mean, you are one of their champions and biggest names in the organization. I mean, you know, you know what I'm getting. I mean, like if a basketball player uh, got an injury, you know, walking outside with his dog, the team would still support him. Um, yeah, but I mean, I don't know the difference between a employee and an independent contractor. Maybe I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so do you feel is it like there is a legit chance that was your last fight? Um, yeah, it's, it's a possibility. It's, um, you know, it all depends on what, what comes back when I talk to the doctors. Okay. Um, are you in a rush to find the, out? The other, the other issue is I've, I've had some, you know, spine and neck issues for a number of years and, uh, that's been really bothering me too. So if I can't remedy... That, that that's an that's an issue that, that may push me towards retirement also. Uh-huh. Um it's just too hard to go eight to twelve weeks when I keep having uh, bulging discs flaring up and then um my fingers and hand go numb and I start losing start losing considerable strength from atrophy. It's just it's just not it's not something I can continue with. And if I do continue with it, it's gonna get worse and uh end up having to have surgery or something and then then I'll be very restricted in what kind of movements I can do and I, I want to be able to teach jiu-jitsu and wrestling and roll around with my kids in the future so I kind of I kind of need that figured out somehow too and how do you decide whether or not you're going to you know spar or how hard you're going to go in training with this still kind of hanging in the air well I mean uh I probably will take a couple, few months uh, to figure out exactly what's going on and what the best steps are to fixing the problems, or if there's nothing that can be done, we'll have to figure out what to do next. But, um, I mean, it'll be at least a couple months before I even try to spar or grapple hard. Okay. Um, do you feel, like, you don't, do you get headaches, or, like, are you dizzy? Do you, do you feel any? No, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I don't think the brain thing is as big an issue as my neck. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, my speech is fine. My memory's fine. My emotional state is fine. Like, I've never had any issues. It was a complete surprise having anything at all show up in my MRI. But it's been almost seven years, I think, something like that, since the last one. And the equipment seven years ago wasn't what it is today. So this this thing they found could have been present back then, but the equipment wasn't good enough to to see it. Right. I remember a few years back, we talked about this uh, gig that you got in um, central New York, running a team, a gym and things of that nature. That, uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that's no longer a part of your life. But, you know, if suddenly no. you did unfortunately get the news that you can't fight anymore, what do you think you will do? Uh, I'm not sure. I have to kind of throw a few lines in the water and see what I can come up with. Do you want to remain in the sport? Like, do you want to coach a team? Do you want to, you know, be in that role that you were you were in a couple of years ago, just with someone else, obviously? Uh, I mean, a big part of that is how much we can impact the sport and change the sport through the uh, Mixed Martial Arts Fighters Association and the Muhammad Ali Expansion Act. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like the way the sport is right now. I don't have to like how it operates. 
it wouldn't be fun for me to be involved with, and I wouldn't want to put um, I wouldn't want to put my athletes who I care about into that kind of a meat grinder and uh, basically be pimped out um, while destroying their bodies to make somebody else rich. Okay, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. So, if I can help get the groundwork um, started and build a framework, so we have a legitimate uh, sport with mixed martial arts, then I, I think I would be excited about the sport again and want to take part in coaching and helping other athletes out. You were one of the first big names to talk about these issues. Um, and late last year, you know, it became the topic du jour, but here we are early 2017. The PFA seems to be on its last legs. We don't know the state of the MMAAA. Uh, they've gone very quiet as of late. MMAFA is still around. How do you feel about, you know, the state of associations and bringing fighters together and things like that in MMA? I mean, there seemed to be this big push, and now that momentum, at least publicly, has weakened a little bit. Are you still confident that something like this can happen? Yeah, I mean, the Mixed Martial Arts Fighters Association, we've been around a long time, and we just do work. That's one of the things that uh, there hasn't been a lot of press around us because we don't pay for it. We don't have the money to pay for it. We don't have investors. We don't have private interest groups out there promoting what we're doing. Um, we're just doing the legwork. We have a bill on the floor of Congress. Uh, and, uh, later this month, I'm going, I'm going to D.C. to help lobby uh, for, the, for the Muhammad Ali Act. Um, we've accomplished quite a bit. The, the, the uh, state of free agency with the sport today would not be there right now if it wasn't for the Fighters Association. And these other groups that are popping up, uh, they're only have been emboldened by the work that we've done uh, in the past. And, and if they're not openly and forcibly um, preaching the need for the Ali Act, then they, they're uh, um, up to something because there's no other way to truly create a free market um, in MMA otherwise. What do you mean when you say up to something? Uh, they're up to making money for themselves somehow. They're, they're, they're going to try to wedge themselves in and uh, continue to pimp the fighters in order for their own profit rather than opening up the market the way it's supposed to be and making the fighters uh, equals to, to the, the promoters and the commissions. Have you been disappointed by the fact that not that many UFC fighters have publicly supported the MMAFA? Uh, I understand what they're going through, but it just takes a lot of education. Um, one of the big, one of the person who kind of started this whole thing really is Carlos Newton. Uh, he's kind of the one who started seeing that something was wrong with the sport and started doing the research to uh, to figure out what was wrong with it and discovered that the foundation is what's broken. Mm. And uh, he always said that he thought he was a crazy person for a long time because. Uh, as we, as he put it, he was the only person who could see dead bodies, right? Wow. So, like the underlying system of of what's going on with mixed martial arts today, like when you start to see it, it's like seeing dead bodies. And then when you try to explain it to other people, they look at you crazy because you're telling them that you're seeing dead bodies and they don't see it yet. So we kind of just have to keep telling the story and keep explaining it to them. Keep explaining why the promoter shouldn't own exclusive contracts and control the title. It only leads to corruption. Um, and that needs to be splitting up. Do you think about that day at AKA several years back with the whole video game and you getting fired and then being brought in and the concessions and all that? Do you think about that a lot still? 
Sometimes, yeah. I, I think that's one of the driving factors uh, that keeps me going because if it, something like that can happen to me, it, it, things like that have happened to other people too. You know, it's, it's very rare that any of, these, any of this stuff happens just one time. Do you regret going back? Like, do you think that given... In a way, knowing now, like, because I've seen how many times they've bluffed and lied about what they were going to do. Uh-huh. Now I think maybe I should have just just been okay with leaving. Yeah. Easier to say, of course, at the time, you know, you, you had a younger family. Yeah, and... hindsight, you know, twenty sure. twenty, but at the time, you know, I thought it was really, I had to make the sacrifice for everybody else, otherwise their careers were going to be done. And speaking of AKA, you're back at the San Jose gym? Yeah, we moved back to San Jose. My my wife started working in uh, the Bay Area, so wow, we moved back here. What was that like to come back to the gym after all those years? It's nice. They've changed uh, training up. It's it's a lot more technical, a lot more drill based. Guys take days off. It's it's good to see that they've adapted and adopted different things. And were you welcomed with open arms? Yeah, they uh, they had missed me. I think. <laughs> Are you are are you gonna bump uh, DC out of his captain's chair? No, I think um, I I don't have the time to uh, really put myself and do that job right because I'm I'm devoting so much of my time to the the fighters association right now, so I'm I'm kind of uh, putting more time and energy into that, so I don't have the time to be at AKA and and really be a leader on that level that I used to. Do you enjoy the uh, fighters association work? Uh, it's just, it's a good fight and it needs to be done. And, uh, I feel like everybody does know and feel that there's something wrong with with what's going on and how the fighters are being used. Um, and you know, if I can just have a few conversations with people, you hear them, you see on their face, you see them light up because they understand that, you know, they could actually do something or change something. So, you know, it's rewarding to be involved with. Uh, two last quick things. When do you think, and I know this is a tough question, but when do you think you'll know if you can resume your career? Do you have any sort of loose idea? I would say in a couple months. Okay. And, you know, if you get the worst news, if you can't keep fighting, are you content? Will you be able to walk away and not feel like you have to come back at some point? Do you think mentally, emotionally, you'll be you know, content with the idea of never fighting again? Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be, <laughs> even when I'm 60 years old, I'll probably still wonder, <laughs> uh, you know, how I do against the new breed of guys. So I, I don't know. I just, uh, you just have to adapt to what, what life, uh, presents you, I guess. Are you dreading that? Like, are you praying that that news doesn't come? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Cause I'd like to get some more fights in. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just starting to find my groove. Well, I got to say, it's nice to see you with the belt uh, after all these years. Very cool moment. Kind of flew under the radar. It's nice to be seen with the belt. It's nice to be seen with the belt, yes. And and you're happy (laughs) with World Series of Fighting? They're treating you well? Yeah, they are. They really treat me me well. Um, You know, I I would love to be able to fight a little bit more. Uh But, um, yeah, I think, you know, they're doing a good job. It's It's hard to compete out there when... Uh, you know, you have a monster like UFC sucking up all the deals and all the money. 
Well, I wish you the best, John. Uh, please keep us posted. I, I hope it all works out. I hope that you get what you want and that everything's, you know, all well and good. You're healthy, can keep doing what you love to do. Um, appreciate the insight as always. Great to talk to you. And congrats on the win, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, appreciate it. It's good to be on the show. Yeah. And, and good luck in uh, D.C. Keep us posted as well. I will. All right. There he is, John Fitch, the World Series of Fighting Welterweight Champion. Interesting stuff from him this morning. And of course, as I said, in my opinion, his fight against BJ Penn, the last time we saw BJ, you know, as a truly competitive fighter. Um, let's move along. I've been wanting to talk to Rashad Evans for around two months. Of course, he was supposed to fight at UFC 205, got some unfortunate news kind of around the same timeline that Fitch was talking about and was pulled from the card. But before we move along with the show, let me quickly tell you once again about my good friends over at SeatGeek. I love these guys. As you know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has always been kind of a confusing process for a very long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change their older, antiquated ways. But SeatGeek is different. They've come a long way and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place that I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. In fact, I was thinking of skipping today's show to go to the Knicks-Hawks game that happened at the exact same time they counter-programmed us at 1 p.m. Eastern time at MSG, just a few blocks from here. And I was thinking, all right, maybe I'll skip today's show, go to the MLK Junior Day game, Knicks-Hawks. This is great. Knicks are killing it these days. And so I went on my SeatGeek app as I was commuting to the studio today just to see the tickets, just to see the lay of the land. Um, But then I was told I had to do the show. And well, to be honest, it was a good thing that I missed it because they lost a heartbreaker. But what you need to know is that I went on my SeatGeek app to look at the prices and it was very easy to use. And quite frankly, it was a joy to use. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparisons for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. They do all the work and you save all the time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your personal budget. Best of all, listeners of the MMA Hour, the smartest people in podcast land, get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your $20 rebate on tickets, this is all you need to do. One, download the SeatGeek app. Two, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. And three, enter promo code MMA. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app right now and enter promo code MMA today. Now back to the show. He is kind enough to join us right now on the phone. Rashad, are you there? Sugar Rashad, are you there? Yeah, Rashad, are you there? Oh. Hello? Yes, Rashad, can you hear me? Hello? Rashad? I don't think we have him. I heard him say hello a couple of times. I recognize that voice. Okay, we're going to call him right back. Uh, Rashad Evans, of course, was supposed to fight at 205 at MSG, New York City against Tim Kennedy, uh, found out as he was in New York that he was not going to get cleared. 
by the New York State Athletic Commission, unfortunate news. And I do know that he is uh, itching to get back in there. If you follow him on social media, you'll see him training in great shape. And I do think we have him back. Rashad Evans, are you there? Hey, what's up, Eric? How you doing? I'm doing great. Great to have you on the show. Uh, like I said, I don't know if you heard me. I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time, so I'm very happy that you're on the program. Uh, before we get to you, just as we're digesting what happened last night, did you watch BJ Penn's fight against Yair Rodriguez? I did, I did watch it. I did. What did you uh, think? Yeah. What did you think? As as you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as a fighter who's obviously time catches up to all of us. Yeah. What, what what is going through your mind when you watch that? You know, I, I hate to tell another fighter that he may need to stop because the fight is such a personal thing and everybody fights for a different reason. And, you know, you never know when the fight is truly out of somebody. Um, They can look like terrible. The next thing you know, they come back and they can have a resurgence like you've seen so many other fighters have done. You know, the Johnny, the the Robbie Lawlers and and stuff like that and Fabrice Verdooms and things like that. So you never want to say a fighter's dumb, but at the end of the day, like... I, I watched the fight with BJ, and I, my heart just goes out to him because I know his heart and and desire. He really wants to be out there, but he he just can't compete now, you know. And, and that's and 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 that's a hard thing to sit down and tell an athlete who's always been, you know, uh, a step above everybody else that he's no longer good enough to compete anymore. Is it on his team? and or the UFC to stop him from competing? Because you know, like I said, I, I think if they offered him Brock Lesnar tomorrow, he would take that fight. He's just that kind of guy, and that's why people love him so much. How do you stop him from fighting? Uh, you know, I, I think it's you know, a job for somebody, you know, the, the people who, who love him in his life, that he really trusts their opinion, that he really, you know, that he truly fights for. You know, maybe his wife sits down to have a talk with them or his, his brothers or... or you know, somebody else who, who's really close to him. I don't really know who that person is, but I'm sure if, you know, somebody who really cares about him, you know, had a heart-to-heart with him and really, you know, just just, just talk to him and talk to him through it and, and really got, you know, got through him. I think that he, he, may, he, may, he may listen to what they're saying, but, I mean, like, for, for one, I mean, if you're going to come back and compete, you're, you're going to come back and compete against – you know the, the top guys in a weight class. You know Yair is yeah. is one of those amazing talents that you see with this new breed of fighters, and he's he's a he's a guy that can get it done anywhere inside that octagon, and um, he's just super razor sharp right now. And to see him, you know, BJ Penn fight him is is you know it was a mismatch, mismatch from the start. Last time you were on the show, you were very candid about the state of your career and what you did after the the fight in Tampa. Do you dread this, like people talking about you like this, people watching you and feeling bad and saying, "Yeah, maybe it's time." Like, do you think about that a lot? Do you dread that? Uh, no, nah, you know, not really. I mean, you know, I, I put it out there, and uh, you know, I haven't looked the best in my last couple performances, so I, I can see where where that kind of talk. Uh, grow some legs, you know, and people start talking. But, I mean, but it's just, it's, it's just the way it is, you know what I'm saying? You put yourself out there and, uh, you know, people will, they will talk. Um, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've definitely gotten a lot better or sharpened up, you know, those areas in the game, those holes that, that had me losing those two fights, but, you know, it, it remains to be seen, you know what I'm saying? I have to still go out there and, uh, 
and have a and and then uh, compete well, you know. So, so what's it, it, you know? Go ahead, sorry. No, it's just like one of those things where, you know, you feel like, I feel great. You know, I feel great and I feel like, um, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely uh, shaken off some of the cobwebs and, I, and I've gotten, you know, confident in my ability to compete again. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, back to where I need to be at. So, but these are, these are just words, you know what I'm saying? I still have to go out there and do it. So, will you keep fighting? I mean, what happened in New York... Is it possible that that stops you from keep fighting? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight. You know, the thing that happened in New York, it was, um, you know, pretty much just a, a misunderstanding with with the brain MRI thing because, uh, you know, one the radiologist uh, read the same pretty much radiology exam, and then he gave two different assessments of of it. And in 2013, he said it was absolutely fine. There's nothing. And then in 2016, looking at the pretty much the same exact identical image, he said I had new changes, which, uh, to the commission was like, wait, if you have new changes to your brain MRI, then you, you know, your brain is still injured and you can't compete. But, um, you know, upon further review and having, you know, everything looked at and tested out the wazoo, uh, it, it was pretty clear what happened. And it was just, you know, uh, you know, a radiologist, not, not uh you know not not doing his due diligence but at the end of the day it it cost me and it is what it is but you know i was able to put it behind me and uh move forward that wasn't just any kind of card that was msg that was you fighting in your home state how did you like like, how did you get over that how did you react to that that you you were in new york already Uh, how was that yeah man i was i was sick over it to be honest ariel you know and um when you're like I, i i because I felt like I was in great shape, like the, probably the best I felt in years. And, you know, I really wanted to go out there and put on a good show. And it was, it was just like everything, the stars were, were aligning. And I, and I felt like this is going to be great. And uh, when that ha- happened, it kind of put me in, in, in a really bad mental space just because, you know, I, I, I talked to, to the UFC and they're like, yo, this is, this is not... Uh, not an easy thing to get by. And, you know, this could end your career. If it doesn't get handled correctly, this could end your career. And, you know, that, that's something, that was something very hard for me to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as somebody who's very competitive, but more importantly, you know, felt like I, I still had a lot of tread left on my tires. And, um, you know, hearing that and, 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 you know, seeing a writing on the wall, not being able to compete, it, it, it was a really hard thing for me to get by. It really was. Do you know when you'll fight again yet? You know, I'm looking to fight uh, early spring, okay. uh, March or April. Okay. You know, every, yeah, every, everything is everything is cleared medically. Everything is fine. So I'm looking to get a fight as, as soon as I can. And, uh, you know, I just want to get out there and I just want to perform. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like... Um, you know, I, I've had I've had a pretty good career, but at the end of the day, I, I don't feel like I'm finished yet, and I don't feel like I've, you know, um, am punchy or beat up or anything like that by any means. You know, and 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 all my years of fighting, you know, I've only been knocked out twice, and you know, you see some fighters who have 12 losses, and you know, they they've been knocked out a few times, and you know, people people still say that they still have it. So, you know, it just it just goes. It, it, it just it, it's all about right now for me just um 
you know, staying persistent, staying healthy, and, and more importantly, just staying confident in my ability. And the obvious, you know, event for me would be Buffalo because you're from nearby Buffalo, Bills fan, all that stuff. You're from Niagara Falls. I mean, that's the home, the home fight that you've been dreaming of. But the yeah. issues with New York State, you know, the commission, all that, will that preclude you from fighting on that card? Do you not want to fight on that card? Um, I want to fight on it, but, uh, you know, with the, with the New York commission, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if it would be a good idea for me to try to, you know, try to wage my, uh, put my hand in there and do it because, you know, if I can be guaranteed that I'll get the clearance or something like that, then I'll do it like, you know, that, that will be, that will be my ultimate dream. But, you know, with the way the commission is and things like that and what happened last time, I don't want to be, you know, flying on a plane coming in and they say, Hey, you can't fight again, you know, cause that, that kills more than anything. When you got to get your mind and your body ready and you're all revved up to fight for 10 weeks at a time. And then they tell you that you can't fight. You know, it's it's, the, it's one of the most heartbreaking things that, that you got to hear, man. It almost, it almost had me crying, man. Uh, I, was, I was like, you know what, man, what, what the hell is going on? It, it, it broke your boy down. I can't, down. I can't imagine, especially you're making the cut to 185. So that's, you know, a process in its own right. Um, I was told yeah. that you were interested in fighting Anderson, Anderson Silva, which I think is a fun fight and makes a lot of sense. But now he was just booked against Derek Brunson. So is that no longer of interest to you? And, and if so, is there someone that you do want to fight? Um, yeah, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I was looking to fight Anderson, you know, I, Anderson is one of those guys who, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. He's probably one of my, my favorite fighters, uh, you know, to watch and I still got a ton of respect for him. But at the end of the day, um, this is, this is, we don't, we don't have a lot of time left in, 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 in this whole business of fighting. You know what I'm saying? I've already been fighting in the UFC for uh, about 11 years now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, time is just going by so fast and, Anderson's one of those guys I would love to compete against, you know, and it was looking like it was going to happen. And, uh, it was like, I guess like, you know, he, he was saying that he, he wasn't ready to fight now, but he'll fight maybe in June or something like that. And then he takes a fight with Brunson, which I don't, which I don't get. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't, he didn't want to fight me or whatever, but it is what it is. You know, I, I was disappointed about that just because I wanted to compete against him, but, you know, he didn't want to fight. You can't make somebody fight if they don't want to fight. Are you going to stay at 185 for your next fight? Yeah, you know, my, I've, I've grown into it. I've grown into this 185 body now, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I haven't really, I haven't uh, got heavy again, and I've been watching what I eat. But I, but I love I love what it brings as far as the lifestyle change and just, you know, I just feel, I feel young and fresh again. And I think that's one thing that um, once I got down to the weight, I started to realize, like, you know, I've been kind of slipping for a while at 205 just just from a, um, a conditioning and training point of view, you know. There's a one time where, you know, I, I would uh, really push the envelope with just making sure that I'm at the, the peak physical condition. But now I, I see from how much I work I put in at 185 that I was definitely slacking at 205, which is good, though, you know, I mean, it's the things in life that you see to help help you open your eyes, and you just got to be honest with yourself enough to say, yeah, you know, and, and just, you know, I wasn't doing what I needed to do, but now I feel like I, I'm, I'm ready, and I feel like I can. And so with Anderson off the table, is there someone else on your wish list? You know, um, I was looking at uh, Talis, 
I think that he'll be talented, ladies. I think he'll be a good fight. Oh yeah, you know, somebody I've always wanted to fight for a while. But um, you know, I, I really don't care, and I hate to say that answer because uh, it, it's such a, a cliche answer, and it really, you know, really doesn't show any kind of imagination. But <laughs> um, coming from coming from where I'm coming from, it, it, it's perfect because you got to understand. I, I was I was so dangerously close to never fighting again. You know what I'm saying? Until I step my feet back into that octagon, you know, I'm still, you know, on shaky ground as far as me actually ever getting a chance to fight back in the octagon again. So um, I'm not I'm not taking it lightly by any means, and I'm not taking anybody, uh, you know, anything for granted. So if, if the UFC says, hey, they got to fight for me, and, and it's with this opponent or whoever, I don't care. I'm hopping all over it. And now I got to ask you this. You've always shot straight with us. You've always told us 100% the truth. So I got I to gotta come to you uh, for this one. Um, what's the state of the Black Zillions? Because uh, from what I understand, Henry uh, yeah. Hoof no longer right. there. They're moving gyms. I see you training with him. There's a combat club MMA. What's going on? Is the team no more? Is it splintered? Please inform us. The team, okay, well, the, the truth of the matter is, Please. the fact is that the, the team is splintered. The team is fragmented. And, um, you know, it, it just became a very hard thing for, uh, for Glenn to kind of keep his, you know, keep keeping his grasp as far as keeping everybody together. You know, um, Henry, 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 um, you know, wanted to grow his brand and do his own thing. And, and it just wasn't matching up with, with, uh, you know, with, with where, where Glenn wanted to go. And, you know, that, that's part of the fragment. Another part of it is just the fact that, you know, we didn't have a gym anymore. You know, um, you know our, our gym uh, was sold, and, you know, Glenn was supposed to build another gym, and then we, I guess they moved into a temporary gym, and there was some kind of uh, falling out with the temporary gym. So then part of the team stayed at the temporary gym, and then the other half of the team or more than half of the team went with Henry, you know, and I was one of those guys who went with Henry. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I got so sick and tired of going into the gym and having to put out these fires and there's so much drama and everybody's jockeying and pushing for position. I'm just like, yo, I just want to train, man. You know, and there's a lot of other guys who just want to train. And that's what, you know, that's, that's what the team was made for. So we can all, have a great training environment. But when you start bringing everything else into it and all the drama, then it just gets, it just got exhausted. So now the state of the black zillions are, we just, you know, I, I guess there really is no black zillions if you want to, you know, if, if, if it's all on the namesake, but for the most part, everybody or most of the people who was training at the black zillions, were still training together. But the team is no more. That's not a team anymore. That's not a thing. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's not a thing anymore. I don't want to put the stamp on it to say it's not a thing anymore, but I mean, it, it's not, it's definitely not what it used to be. That's for sure. You know, it's definitely not what it used to be. And, you know, some of the other guys, they already, um, they started their own team, you know, they started their own team and, uh, What's you know, that Yuri Danilo. I don't know. I think it's I think it's called uh, Team Fuji or something. I was looking on Instagram and I was looking at some of the pictures and I was like, I guess they called themselves Team Fuji. I don't I don't know why. I only know what that is. But and you're not with doing, them, man. But yeah, man, the, the team is uh, the team is is splintered, you wow. know. And and 
But most, but most of us, like, we all stay together. Like, you know, AJ still still with us, and Michael Johnson, Usman, uh, Gilbert Durino, all, all those guys. I mean, we, we, all, we all pretty much stay together. Just some of them just went their own way. Um, are we gonna? Are we even gonna? You know, the team that we have now. Are we gonna pick a new name? I don't know. We just kind of like uh, just just doing the training right now and not worrying about that. Because you gotta understand, Ariel. It was so so much drama. It was so much drama. It was it was like worse than ten high schools put together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a bunch of gossiping and shit. Yeah. It just it it was really a buzz kids buzz kill even going to the gym at some point. And that's why for my last camp with with Kennedy when I was training with Kennedy, I just kind of was like I had like a nomad like mentality when it came to training. Like I was just like okay, I'm a you know, every single day I'm like, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there because I didn't want to go into the gym, you know, and I, and I would go into the gym sometimes to get some good sparring in with some of those guys, but I wasn't there every day. I just made my own schedule and I just stuck to my own schedule and just did my own thing. Like I was like, I don't, I don't want to have any part of it because, you know, I'm a caring person and if I, and people start weighing on me too much of the problems and then I get involved and then it just messes up my mindset for doing what I need to do for myself, you know? So who's your head coach now or do you not have one? Um, I was I would say Henry Hoof, Henry okay. Hoof, and and, and, uh, and Greg Jones. You know those guys. Those guys still still work together, and uh, you know that's that's what we got right now. Is, they have practice every day, and uh, you know it's it's like out in, out near uh, not out near Boynton Beach. That's where the new gym is at, which is probably like uh, fifteen to twenty minutes north of where we were at in Boca. Is that new team called Combat Club, or is that something else? Well, Combat Club is the name of the gym. Ah, okay. That's the name of the That's gym. That's where he's working. Yeah, Combat at. Club is the name of the gym. Okay. So, yeah, but we don't we don't have a name of the team. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? We just yeah. we just go in there and get that work in, and um, you know it, it's it, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting interesting thing because you know we're we're kind of um, you know this guy named Will Harris. He's he's kind of he's making a, a documentary, you know, Anatomy of a Fighter, and you know a lot of our team is going to be in a documentary. He, he's getting boxers and everybody else, but, you know, um, he's, he's filming us, and he's filming us going through this process. And, and you know, at the old gym, now we're at the new gym, and some of the pieces didn't quite fit, and some of the people went and did their own thing, and, you know, now we're reforming and, and, and uh, coming together as a team. Final thing, in hindsight, could this have been avoided, or was it inevitable from the start? I mean, it was big news when you when you left Jackson's to go to Florida, and you were kind of the, you know, the guy who started this team in many respects. Um, yeah. Was this a long time coming? Could it have been avoided? What do you think? Um, I like to think it could have been avoided, but you know, um, you know, sometimes people do things for the wrong reasons, and you you don't really know people's reasoning behind the reason why they're doing stuff until it, until they kind of reveal themselves. Sometimes you have enough. Uh, um, foreseeing that that you, you can see it, but sometimes you really can't. And you know, when 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 people do things for the wrong reasons, when they have a huge ego involved, it makes it really hard to um, you know to to find or to make anything substantial happen. Because at the end of the day, their ego will trump over everything, and you don't really know how. You know, what I'm saying you really you really, that's a really hard thing to to judge and to measure. You know, I, I think that. Um, you know, Glenn, he, he was, you know, he, he's, he's not a bad guy and then I won't say anything bad about him. Um, I just think that he, uh, wasn't honest with himself 
about what he can and can't do, and he didn't say no enough. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, the fight game eats and chews you up if you're not strong enough and resilient enough to, to deal with everything that goes along with it. You know, and, and that's one thing that I've learned. It's, it's very unforgiving. And if you're not, um, you're not willing or able to, to do what you need to do and say no or stand up for yourself or be able to make the right choices, then you're going to get passed up and passed over. And, um, you know, I, I think a big part of what happened to the Black Zans is due to the fact that, uh, you know, Glenn, Glenn failed in some respects. Hmm. Well, like I said, you see, I, I expected you to tell us the truth. You told us the truth. Always appreciate your candor, Rashad, really. Uh, thank you for clearing the air on that. I, I'm sorry to hear it happen, but hopefully everyone's happy and, uh, you know, more, more comfortable and in a better place now. Uh, best of luck to you, my man. Keep us posted on what's next. Happy to hear that you're, you're okay, that everything's good as far as your health is concerned, most important. And uh, looking forward, as always, to seeing you back in there. Thank you. I appreciate it, my man. All right. Talk to you soon. There he is, Rashad Evans, stopping by. Great stuff, as always, from the former UFC light heavyweight champion. Okay, let's go to the Skype machine. Now waiting patiently is the one and only Chael P. Sonnen, making his Bellator debut Saturday in Inglewood, California, against Tito Ortiz. Chael, how are you? What's happening, Errol? That was interesting stuff. Wow. I, lo- I love MMA drama. I didn't know any of that was going on. That's interesting. It's always interesting when it gets dropped on you in the last like two minutes of the interview, and you're like, oh, damn, I uh, got to go a little longer now. So I appreciate you you standing by. Um, and you know what? It only occurred to me now that your last opponent was Rashad Evans, and here you are back-to-back. How about that? I didn't expect. I didn't yeah, even do that on like person. That. Um, that was yeah. your last fight, UFC 167. Uh, November of 2013, this is your first training camp since, essentially. What's it been like? Have you enjoyed being an active fighter again? It's been really hard, man, I can tell you. I think they were probably always hard. That's what my wife keeps telling me. She says, this is how you feel every time. But I I guess I forgot. I I, I don't remember being this sore and this tired all the time. But, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the process. It's good to be back. You know, it's always good to have something to do, have a finish line, you know, a goal where then you can go, you know, test if everything's working or not and uh so yeah yeah I, I liked it do you feel this way because either a it's been you know three years or so b you're working really hard because this means a lot to you this has been you've changed things like why do you think it's your age like why do you think you feel this way and maybe think that it's a little tougher than in the past yeah so i i think it's because i don't remember i mean <laughs> okay. again that's what my wife tells me she tells me that this is the way that it always is and that i you know I, i'm always feeling uh stiff and sore and tired but uh yeah i don't know I, I think all of those things are fair points you know being out a little bit doesn't make things easier um you know the the, the body doesn't get better with time and uh so, so you know i think that age could be true but uh uh, you know, it's nothing substantial. It's not substantially different. It's just something I've noticed. I, I, I don't remember being this this sore and tired. I know you're very locked in and you appear to be in great shape. I mean, just seeing from your face. But did you see what happened to BJ Penn yesterday? And as someone who is coming back from a long layoff, do you fear that sort of thing? Do you fear people talking about you afterwards saying, I don't want to see him fight anymore. He's too old. He's a shell of his former self. Like, do you think about that? No, I never think about that, but uh, I mean, that is a real thing. It's eventually your race is ran and, you know, you're never really done with this sport, but at some point this sport is done with you. And as far as BJ went, I mean, I thought he had a big matchup problem there. That, that, that's a really unique guy, a really tough guy. And BJ does go fight some hammers. I mean, his, his previous fight was Frankie Edgar. He walks right into this guy with a big layoff. I, I think that, uh, you know, matchup wise, he had some, some problems. I think the biggest 
uh, negative I would say about BJ was was the same as I would say about what Ronda did. It wasn't a matter of the jab and the cross and the takedown and the submissions didn't work. It was a matter of they never tried them. Uh, you know, if you go and you fight somebody and they're a better fighter, you're going to get beat. But you got to bring your tools with you. If, if, if you don't have any skills to bring, if you don't have any offense to offer, uh, it failing, f fine. But it not offering an offense, uh, I think that that's something that needs review. Great perspective there. Um, I saw this clip that Bellator put out of you talking about Tito Ortiz, this fight. I thought it was really well produced and in five minutes told the story wonderfully. And at the end, we saw you get very emotional. I feel like I've been following you for a long time. I never knew this story about you and your father and what fighting Tito Ortiz meant. And if anyone hasn't seen it, I do suggest you check it out. It's on their Twitter. I've tweeted it as well. You were very emotional talking about speaking to your dad and promising him that you'd be A, a champion at some point, and B, you'd be Tito. Was that a hard thing to recount for you? Because it did. I've never seen you like that before. Yeah, it was really tough. You know, I, it was really tough. And I didn't know it would be. It's one of those things, you know, once they start filming, it, it's kind of hard to stop anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a true story. And it was, uh, you know, it came from a good place, too. Tito took it as an insult, but he, he actually heard it wrong. My, my dad and I were, were big Tito fans. And at that time... There was only two divisions. You had the light heavyweight division. You had the heavyweight division. There was no other classes. And uh, even the light heavyweight division was relatively new. It used to just be open. Well, you remember Hoist Gracie? It, it didn't matter what a guy weighed. I don't think there even was a weigh-in. So, uh, yeah, Tito, Tito was the guy. And I was planning to get to him sooner than later. Um, you know, it, it just took all these years. It took me a long time to get my break. And I didn't get my break until 2005. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of the life I'm, I'm sitting here complaining about it, but every fighter listening to this knows what I mean. It's, it's hard to get into this industry. And so will you be thinking, uh, you know, more so than usual about your father this week when you square off with him at the weigh-in, when you see him, like, are, are you carrying a little extra baggage going into this fight? Oh, I suppose that's fair. I mean, I, I have my process. I follow my process to try to go out and just put on the best performance. I try not to think about the outcome of a fight. Um, you know, I don't I don't think like I got to win this or what if I lose. I just try to think about performing. There's a few things that I need to do uh, to have a chance at success in this match. And so I'm, I'm focusing on those. And uh, and uh, that's really it. Are you catching Tito Ortiz at the best time possible? Like, do you feel like he's on borrowed time? He's already said this is his last fight. Is he a shell of his former self, in your opinion? It, excuse me. It's hard to say. I've never thought about it in those terms, but it is really hard to say. You know, those guys that were, were, were champions in the early 90s, you know, the way the sport is progressing, you and I were just talking about B.J. Penn, one of the best to have ever done it. Uh, I've trained with B.J. Penn. He came out to Oregon. Not only did I get my hands on him, but I watched him going with Evan Tanner and Randy Couture. I mean, go, go through the list. And I can tell you, he was as good as the hype. You know, he, he was said to be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. And he was. And uh, but it, it does go quickly. So, you know, it, is Tito a lesser guy? I would listen to that argument, whether it's true or not. I don't know. But I would listen. The other side of that is those guys sucked back then. It just was a different deal, man. I mean, people weren't watching. People weren't participating. It was just a different deal in terms of not only the techniques, the training, the coaching, but the level of athlete as well. And, and you do have some guys from back then that got a really good run. And Tito was the best. There was no one that could beat him. It's just also a true statement to say the guys were not very good back then. 
first time I ever had you on this show was prior to UFC 104 when you were about to fight Yushin Okami. And I remember that interview for me was a revelation because you talked about promotion, something that fighters don't often talk about openly. Uh, you were talking about how it was hard to carry the fight. You're, you're, you were on the unaired prelims. You weren't even on the spike prelims. You were in a dark match against the number two middleweight in the world. And you were talking about how the guy's not speaking. I, you know, I, how can I promote this fight if the other guy's not speaking? Flip side, here we are, your return fight. Tito is speaking, but it seems like every time he speaks, it's, it's, it's a fumble. It's not exactly coming out the way he wants it to. Is that equally frustrating for you? What do you, how do you feel about the way he's built up this fight? I think you've done a great job. That's expected. But what about the other side of the coin? I've appreciated his effort. I, I really have. You know, he, there there has been a lot of fumbles there, but the the efforts there, the passions there, he means it. You know, it's it's serious when it's a guy's last fight. Um, you know, there is something extra that 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 he's taken with him, particularly when you're fighting essentially uh, your hometown in front of all of your people. So uh, I've appreciated his effort, but yeah, man, there's been some blunders. He he isn't uh, he isn't the most eloquent speaker that I've I've come across. Do you feel like he's too emotional going into this fight? And I know we talked about you and your father, but it seems like he's you know aggressive. Like you you kind of have a smile on your face. You're kind of telling it like it is, but it seems like he's very upset about unless it's an act. How do you perceive it? Yeah, I, I thought that he might be a little bit. I mean, again, everybody's approach is different, and you can't sit back and judge one guy's approach because all you're doing is projecting your own. I can tell you, for me, I, I, I've, I've done this a lot of times. I've done this a lot more times than Tito, uh, you know, regardless of whether he got his break first or not. I think he said 20-some fights. I fought 49 men. So um, I, I am resigned to the fact that our skills are our skills, and, you know, when we fight – my skills are my skills and his skills are his skills and how you feel or your emotion. I hear people talk about that all the time. And they're usually saying you need to be positive. You need to be confident. You need to have belief. I hear all of this talk from coaches, but there's never been a round that concluded in the history of fighting where the judges said, which guy looks more confident hmm. and then marks the ballot. I mean, your skills are your skills. This is what wins fist fights. It's, it's not anything else than that. So, uh, I understand that concept, and if I can get people to tune in and watch, then great. But either way, on January 21st, I'm going to whip Tito's ass. Do you have the same group of coaches around you going into this fight, or have you changed anything? Same coaches, uh, same teammates, same gym. Uh, essentially, the, the gym I used to be at closed, but then all the members went over and, and we're still together as a team. So, yeah, everything's pretty much the same. Um I can just tell you, I just don't remember. I don't remember training being so hard. I, I remember it being a little bit easier, but uh, my wife tells me I'm wrong. I, I, I really don't know, Errol. It's been a few years. It was super interesting. Uh, Bellator announces this fight, as you mentioned, in Tito's backyard, Inglewood, California. He's a draw in that part of the country. Um, main event, massive deal. You're uh, new signing, all this stuff. And then shortly thereafter, the UFC announces that they're going to be in Anaheim for a pay-per-view. And then shortly thereafter that, they can't secure a main event and they cancel the card. A, what did you think when the UFC announced that they were going the same night, same market as you? And B, was it a feather in your cap, a small victory when they canceled the card? Yeah, I loved it, man. I, I love competition. You know, counter-programming is, is part of it. But to your point, this was the first... They've counter-programmed before. Uh, that, that makes good business sense. They've never essentially played the same city and also competed uh, over live ticket sales. So... Uh, I thought this, this, the stakes were up a little bit. 
Um, and then when they pulled out, it was kind of quiet. I didn't really hear about it till after the fact. Just all of a sudden, the the data got moved. So, uh, no, I didn't make too much of it. I don't know that it had anything to do with us, um, or or they just had a card that fell. I don't know what the backstory was on that, but. I like competition, man. If somebody wants to compete, then let's compete. So was a part of you bummed that they canceled it? Did you want to see if you could beat them? I know it's pay-per-view versus cable TV, but did you want that competition to to exist on January 21st? Yeah, so the, the only number we would have had to, to let us know, you know who the winner was would have been the live gate because the commissions would have disclosed that. So there could even be some gamesmanship there and you buy up your own ticket. I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of things that can happen in that PR battle, but... Uh, I didn't. I, I really didn't think a whole lot of it. We had, we had a jump start on them. Don't forget that we already had our launch and sold out a large part of that building. So, um, you know, I, I thought if the reports were to come out on on Monday morning, I think that we would have we would have been very competitive. There is a narrative out there that the UFC, and I believe in it, right now that there's a shortage of headliners, big names, people who can main event. And I think that's part of the reason why they put BJ in the main event. But right now, Connor, John Jones, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, GSP, who's going to headline? Where are the draws? Does a part of you think, well, you know, here you could have headlined those shows. You could have been a draw. Like, is there a part of you that thinks maybe it could have worked out differently? And, and like your values even higher these days, because you're coming back, that's a big story. It's going to do well on Spike. It's going to do well with tickets. You're someone that they could use these days. Yeah, well, and, and here's the deal. You know, it's fair for media to say that, but it's it's a catch-22 because you can never be wrong. You know, they're, they're saying there's not enough stars. That's like saying, uh, you know, I had too much fun or, or, or uh, too much money. I mean, there's no such thing as too many stars. So you make a statement like that in the media, you're always going to be right. They could have... Triple the stars. It's not enough stars. They're, they're having 53 events. You know, Bellator, we got the same problem. We're having 23 events scheduled in 2017. You can't have enough stars. So uh, I, I think it's a fair point. And then some of the people you named, Errol, aren't the stars that you think they are. They're, they're very well known, but not all of their numbers are what you think they are. Uh, you know, so, it, yeah, it's really tough. And I'll tell you this, too. In, in this coming fight that I've got, it is a big fight. Um and the number one thing that sells in fighting, it's not a title fight. It's not a main event. The number one thing that sells is a grudge match. But the number two thing that sells is a comeback. That would trump a main event or a title fight just on its face. So, yeah, comeback fight's a big deal, man. And, uh, you know, Tito's got a retirement element to it. I think that there's a, a few intriguing parts there. But, um, I mean, my contract's my contract. I'm out of the pay-per-view bonus business. I'm not on pay-per-view anymore. My, my deal's my deal. I, I like when people tune in because it feeds my ego, but I, my job doesn't change, man. I got I to gotta go out and do what I got to do. Okay, so that being said, will you be disappointed if this doesn't break Bellator's Spike TV record? It's currently held by the late Kimbo Slice. Do you think that there is everything in this matchup to break over 2 million uh, viewers on, on Saturday night? Yeah, yeah, I would be disappointed. Yeah, those, those numbers matter to me. I, I used to have them all. I had, I had the FS1 record. I had the Live Fox record. I had the North American Gate record. I lost them all. Connor now has them all. Um, my contention is I never would have lost them had I not left. And uh, yeah, I'm here to get them back. And I'm starting with this one. So do you feel that pressure? Like, do you feel like in the next five days you need to do as much promotion as possible? And you're a promoter as well in your own right. Submission Underground, you've got the promotion out of uh, out of Oregon as well. Like, do you feel it's not pay-per-view, but you need to get people to watch on Saturday to justify this signing? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I, I, here here's the thing. And everybody lives by a code, but it, it would greatly 
uh, dishonor me inside uh, if they pay me my money and they come out in the red. You know, I, I'm a company guy first uh, in front of myself. And, and if I'm working for somebody, I need to make sure that I bring in a surplus. So, yeah, that's that is a reality. I do feel that. Now, look, the gates, the gate. There's not a lot of tickets left. There are tickets left. There's not a lot, though. And as far as the rating goes, I'm I'm quite confident that we're gonna we're gonna beat it. But uh, I think your point's very fair. Yes, I do feel pressure on that, and uh, I enjoy the process, and I will work very hard from now till then, and uh, we'll live with the result. Andy Foster of the California State Athletic Commission has told me that you've passed all the drug tests. Is that a nice little nod to the 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 doubters, the critics? You know, it, it, here you are. You're no longer basically clean, Chael. You are clean. That's a nice thing. Fully clean. <laughs> you know, Ariel, Andy Foster calls me for surprise test. You don't get any warning on, on the test. And frankly, that's the only way to do the test. Right. Right. It's, it's got to kind of be out of competition, unwarned. I have never, I've never, I'm on the other side of the track, never taken anything. I have never taken one of those tests and not been completely nervous. And my manager goes, why would you be nervous? And I go, Jeff, I've never passed one of these things, man. I hate these things. Calling him every day. Do you have the results? So uh, is it a feather in the cap? I mean, I, no, I don't know that a guy should be complimented for doing what he's supposed to do, but perhaps I am an exception to that rule. Perhaps th- this is one where just by doing what I should do, I, I, I get a little pat on the back. Maybe it's unjust, but yeah, I feel like I have gotten I think so. Uh, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, you're, you're giving, you're giving yes. one right now. So yes, I yes. guess I have gotten a pat on the back simply for doing what I'm supposed to do. It reminds me of my son who told me he got a timeout in class a couple weeks ago and then he came back a few days later and said, Dad, guess what? I didn't get a timeout today. That's something to celebrate. Good job, Oliver. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Good job, Oliver. <laughs> um, and, and, and what about the fact that you've been tested three times in Tito once? Is that fair? It is, it is with me. You have to understand, you know, when you talk about fair, so generally speaking, if one guy's tested, the other guy's tech, tested, it's totally level. Now, that's not a rule. That's just generally the policy. So I think when you have a background like mine and, you, and you've been flagged before, I think that that's very reasonable that you're going to be tested and, and perhaps your opponent isn't. And Tito has never been flagged. So I didn't, I didn't have any kind of problem with it. And a little bit of it uh, for mine was also just uh, happenstance. I was at a show commentating that happened to be in California where my fight is. So they had the testers there. And they came out ringside. I was in my suit and mic'd up and ready to go. And they grabbed me and pulled me in the back. Tito wasn't there. So they could have tested him if they wanted to. Two last things. Um, I know you're getting him a little later. But to draw it up like this, the guy that you told your dad about, you know, when he was uh, about to pass, to be able to retire him, to beat him on the way out. You know, if we're going to go back to old school pro wrestling and you kind of you beat the guy on his way out of the territory, you couldn't have scripted this any better. New stage, new company, new lease on life. This is pretty special. Yeah, I think I think so too. I, I think so too. You know, I've been I've been after Tito for a while, and uh, you know, our paths just never crossed. By the time I finally made it to the UFC, he wasn't the champ anymore, but he he was still the man. But by then, they had added weight classes. You know, again to go back when I told my dad this in two thousand and one, they only had light heavyweight and heavyweight. So uh, when I got into the UFC and was able to go into a middleweight class. It, it was just never going to happen. We just we, we just weren't going to cross paths. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad to get matched up with him. I, got, I really don't have anything against Tito as a guy. I mean, he's been driving me nuts lately. But before that, 
I've always just kind of thought good things about him. I don't really know one way or the other. But as far as a, a competitor goes, man, I could have beat all those guys from back in that time era. You, Tito Ortiz was on top of the bill, and he was the champion, and he was selling the tickets. He never would have had that belt if I was around. And it's not because he wasn't a great fighter, but I was the best fighter back then. I didn't even get into the company uh, you know, until I was 28 years old. And uh, and then I left the company, Bodog and WEC, got at like 33 years old. So um, I do have resentment that a large part of my window was missed. Uh, you know, I beat 12 UFC veterans uh, before I ever got into the UFC. That was a lot of guys. That's more UFC wins than Tito had while in the UFC. And uh, so, again, I wouldn't take away from his career or Liddell's career or any of those guys' career. But they weren't me. None of those guys would have been champion if I could have got my break. That's my contention. I'm either right or I'm not. But I, I've been singing this song for 17 years. And on January 21st, I'm going to find out one way or the other. That's a phenomenal sort of pitch as to why people should watch. And my last question was, and it kind of feeds into what you were just saying, it's a rare off weekend for UFC. This is a big deal for not only you, but the company. It's a great card, I think, you know, with Halleck Gracie and uh, Paul Daly, Brennan Ward. I mean, they've really stacked the deck for you. Why should fans tune in to the return of Chael Sonnen? You know, I want to try to sell this fight. Again, I'm in a different business now. Don't forget, Eric, I'm not in the pay-per-view But the business. ratings Nobody business. The ratings business. Yeah, it's live and free. And so, uh, you know, live, free, and only on Spike TV. I, I, I want people to tune in because it feeds my ego, and really for no other reason than that. I think it's going to be a great match, but let the people decide. If they want to see it, they can see it. But I'm not selling them anything, man. I can't sell them something if I wanted to, Errol. It's free. All right. Chill, we appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Can't wait. One final thing, Helwani. Kaboom. Welcome back, Chael Sonnen. There he is. Uh, January 21st, Inglewood, the forum. Chael Sonnen versus Tito Ortiz. After all these years. And the big story, of course, Chael Sonnen fighting for the new promotion. He's never fought for them before. He hasn't fought since November of 2013. Since that loss to Rashad Evans, this is a big deal for the company. You know, the, the, the free agent signings are great but they have to deliver as well. Phil Davis, I think, has delivered. Benson Henderson, I think, has delivered. In terms of, you know, the big fight hasn't delivered in terms of performance, I think is fair. But I think it got them the notoriety and the attention that they wanted. You got to win the fights. Will Chael Sonnen deliver? Will he get them the ratings? Will he get them the attention? Will he get them the buzz? Will he get them the ticket sales? It sounds like it's pretty good thus far. This is a big one for Bellator. This justifies a lot. And it's a good card. They've stacked the deck. It's one of their better cards. Worth watching this Saturday, in my opinion. And there's no competition. UFC not doing a card anymore in Anaheim. Okay, uh, let's move along. Uh, as I mentioned... Very excited to talk to our next guest. His first time appearing on the program, I do believe. He's coming off a very nice win over Mike Perry in Sacramento. He is Alan Joban. He joins us right now, I do believe, via the Magic Skype. There he is. Alan, how are you? What's up, Ariel? Yeah, it's crazy that this is the first time we've chatted, man. Well, we ha we've chatted before. I've interviewed you at fights, but on this program. Um, you are right. It is crazy, and I'm, I'm embarrassed by this, and I do apologize. <laughs> so I'm rectifying yeah. it today. <laughs> 
it, it might be the fault of one of your your producers. I have a bone to pick. Uh, who's New York Rick? Uh, that is the man in the back. He is uh, at fault for everything we do here. What's the problem? Okay, so I think he's at fault. We have a, we have a mutual friend. And our mutual friend tells me that New York Rick was rooting for Mike Perry. He had Mike Perry winning the fight. Or, Mike Perry was going to win the fight. Our friend had me winning the fight. Obviously, we know how that turned out. So um, I'm surprised at New York Rick's amateur decision predictions for that fight. Yes. Yes. <laughs> New York Rick, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you crying in the corner? There he is. I don't know if you can see him, Alan. What do you have to say? It's it's been a rough week so far. I mean, <laughs> the DJ thing, and now, and now Alan's coming at me. Um, I would say this: um, absolutely incorrect pick. Congratulations on a great <laughs> win over my Perry. Uh, but tell our friend to stop being such a little snitch. Oh, <laughs> snitches get snitches. He's he's definitely listening now. I'll pass it along though. That's one of the finest moments. What a debut for you to start off calling out New York Rick for his horrible picks. I love it, Alan. Thank you. I felt, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, this was a different Alan Joban going into that fight. You really did not like this man. This guy represented everything that you were against. Is that accurate? Were you kind of feeling different going into this fight? That's very accurate, man. And like, you know, if you're gonna play the heel, the bad guy role, that's um that's on you. I don't have anything against it. It's just the way that that Mike did go about it that, that, that turned me off, you know? Um, and what, what specifically, like what bothered you? Like, what, did he get personal or is it what he represents? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. You know, um, it's, it's one thing to, Chael Sonnen, you were just on, I just caught the end of the interview. He, he plays a great bad guy, a great heel, but it's, it's, it's thought out. It's very witty. It's even if you're on the other, the other end of what he's saying, you have to sometimes nod your head and say, you know what? That was pretty damn funny. Even though he's talking shit about me, it was pretty damn funny. Um, nothing that I found Mike Perry did was witty or funny. And, and it was one of these things where I feel like Chael Sonnen knows how to talk when the camera's running. He knows how to sell a fight. He knows how to make people watch to get the ratings. Mike Perry would be flicking me off uh, over breakfast at 8 a.m. in the morning, you know, <laughs> when I'm with my team and he's with his girlfriend. Like, it was those kind of close encounters. When, when you're staying at a Holiday Inn in Sa Old Town, Sacramento on a rainy week, and every time you cross paths in the lobby, he's, he's talking trash in a personal way. And then it, it just, it kind of got under my skin. I realized, you know, it's one thing to do it to promote the fight when the camera's around, but when we're eating breakfast at 8 a.m., why are you doing this? Why are you flicking me off? Yeah. Um, so that being said, was this, you know, in terms of results, one of the more gratifying victories that you've had in your career because of the fact that he was doing this? In a way, I would say it was a gratifying victory, Ariel, but it was, if it was the other way and I would have lost this fight, it would have been one of the worst losses ever. Sure. I, I could not have lived with myself knowing that the buildup to this fight that I lost to him. And, and to touch on that as well, you know, something about this fight, you mentioned in the beginning, that it was this a different Alan Jovan, and, and that's what I took from this fight. You know, a lot of guys know me as either a fight of the night type guy who I just go for broke, or sometimes I'm a guy that goes for that first round finish. You know, I have kind of equal fight of the night performances compared to maybe like first round knockouts. So that's kind of been the mystique about me thus far. Um, the guy that doesn't mind getting hit. And, and that's what me and my coaches have been trying to really turn that around, you know, just... And playing the numbers game, really, 
getting hit less and, and putting myself in a position to finish more. And so that was the main objective going into this fight. We were like, I said this in a couple interviews, and, and it's kind of funny to say it, but I was looking for a flawless victory. I was looking for a flawless victory. I wanted to, to change the number game. I wanted to look at my UFC percentages after the fight and say, I hit this guy this many times, and I got hit this many times. And so that goal was pretty much accomplished. I didn't finish him. But I probably took the least amount of damage than I have in almost any of my UFC fights going against one of the more dangerous guys. And you have great incentive to not get hit, more so than most fighters, because you are still an active model, right? I've always found that fascinating. You, pro- you have a fight manager and you have a modeling manager or agent, correct? Correct, correct. The modeling agent probably wants you to retire, probably doesn't want you doing this, probably <laughs> closes their eyes every time you fight, correct? Close. So I've been modeling for about 10 or 15 years, and it was something that I did before I found fighting. Um, Wasn't ever passionate about it, found fighting. That's what I was passionate about, put modeling to the back burner. At that time in my career, those agents did not want me fighting at all. They hated it. Um, Once I got to the UFC, my my current agent at Soul Artist Management New York, they found me, and the reason they found me is because they were huge fight fans. They were they uh-huh. were regularly watching the UFC, and when they saw me, they said, "Oh, you know, we like this guy. Let's bring him in." Next thing you know, I'm signed with them. So, so I know now, and they know now that you know I never would have found my current representation um, if I had not been fighting. And they're, they're my biggest fans. My agency, my my agents, they fly to all my fights. They're, they're regularly there. So. In the beginning, that, what you said was true, but now it's kind of the opposite. I know that I would not have gotten these opportunities like Versace and all these other things if not for, the, if not for fighting. Does being a UFC fighter open more doors in the modeling world or close them? Absolutely. Opens them. Opens really? Them. You know, wow. like in, anything in your life, in, in life, you know, it's, it's about being compelling. It's about being unique, standing out. And um, before I was fighting in front of a large-scale audience, I was just another guy going out on auditions, on commercials or modeling jobs, whatever it may be. I was just another guy. There was nothing unique about me. And once I achieved a level of success fighting, all these brands started finding this so compelling, so interesting. Like you said, two jobs that have absolute conflicting <laughs> you know, uh, uh, in, in results. Um, but they found that fascinating, and, and people were able to um, somewhat... Um, develop a relationship with me through the fighting uh brands and photographers are able to kind of get to know me through fighting and then want to bring me in to 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 shoot for those companies obviously it could happen you get a massive scar big cut broken nose things like that that could directly affect your modeling career are you not worried about that yes and no you know i mean it is something that crosses my mind but at the same time i've been you know I've only been in the UFC maybe two and a half years, but I've been in, a, in the combat sports business for about 10 years. So it's something I've been able to manage for quite a while. And then, um, to be honest, this day and age, man, like, you know how it is, man. When you go in front of camera, they powder you up. They touch you up, right? It's the same thing, you know. If I have a broken nose or 10 stitches, it's different. But if yeah. I have a black eye and scratches, they could fix that up, man. And then they could Photoshop things. So it's not something that... Um, crosses my mind too much um as long as i'm not doing something too close to a a fight you know if i was shooting a movie or or doing modeling or whatever it may be if i had to do that immediately after a fight i'd be a little bit worried and be on my mind but we're pretty good at spreading everything out that way i'm able to focus all my energy on whatever i'm doing at that time right now do you make more money fighting or modeling Mm. well it would have been fighting 
it would have been fighting until Versace came around. Um, oh. Versace is um, Versace was definitely the biggest the biggest payday of anything I've done in my life. Absolutely. Wow. wow. And yeah. and is it enough to retire from fighting? Like, are you just doing fighting for fun because you love doing it, or do you need those two incomes at this stage? Well, I mean, me personally, I would never. I'm the type of guy like. I have fighting, I have Versace, I have other things. I still teach Muay Thai class for a couple bucks a day. You know what I mean? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, I like to stay busy. I like to stay making money. You never know what the future holds. So I, I don't think that way. But, um, you know, it depends. It's like this. There's, um, this is how fragrance campaigns work. If you haven't seen it, I did a fragrance campaign. If, or if your audience haven't seen it, I did a fragrance campaign for Versace. I'm not a clothing model, more so a fragrance campaign. And uh, fragrance campaigns renew every single year. And uh, so that's the thing. You know, if it's a 10-year fragrance campaign, then uh, I'm looking good for 10 years. Nice. If they don't renew it here, I better keep winning my fights. And so how many years is this current one, or is it year to year? The first year. Uh, year to year type. The first year. Wow, where can um, I see this? Yes. Yeah, so where, where can I see it? Where can I see the campaign? Uh, anywhere. If you go to Macy's, if okay, you go to any wow. kind of fragrance store that sells fragrances, you'll see Dylan Blue. And then the commercials have been on TV and stuff. They were they were showing up. They were actually showing on Fight Week in Sacramento during my fight. Or wow. not during the fight, but during the Fight Week. I was walking around uh, 60th and Lexington here in New York by an Equinox, and I saw you on yeah. the billboard, right? That was you. Yeah. Very cool, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, I've been seeing around. Look at you. Unbelievable. Okay, so, so now... I was told that you thought the win over Mike Perry, given, you know, he's newer to the game, but he had some hype. He was undefeated in the UFC. He was big stage on Fox, would sort of propel you into a different conversation. And that hasn't exactly happened as you planned. And you're upset about this. Is this accurate? Pretty much. I mean, it didn't do anything for me, man. You know, I, I, I took the fight because I wanted to fight before the year's end. I wanted to fight in Sacramento. Um, there were a majority of reasons. Mike Perry was not one of them. I just wanted to fight on Big Fox, which I hadn't done yet at the time. I wanted to be on the main card, which I got. All these things were the factors into why I wanted to fight on that fight. Mike Perry was just the opponent that they threw out there. I said, let's do it. I looked him up. He was undefeated, which the UFC does like. And they were kind of hyping this guy up. You know, he was getting a lot of uh, promotion in terms of only having his third fight in the UFC. Um... But being undefeated in the way that he that he went about all his fights, nine victories, nine knockouts, he was a dangerous enough guy where I thought, you know what? I've been on the cuffs of the rankings for quite a while. I mean, pretty much just a step foot in the octagon. My first fight in the octagon was a fight of the night, bonus knockout, first round knockout. Like, I, I've been kind of a name that's been thrown out there, but not really breaking through just yet so being on a two-fight win streak i said you know what a win over mike perry he's a dangerous guy that that gives me three wins in a row this year undefeated this year and five out of my last six and i mean i'm not complaining but you look back at brazil uh i got robbed in brazil i really only had one clear loss in the ufc out of eight fights i felt like a win there and a dominant performance especially on a card stacked with welterweights that i would have my turn to shine and it would do enough to propel me to get in it didn't man i mean I beat Mike Perry. I didn't finish him, but it was a pretty clear, evident victory. Uh, um, I kind of outclassed him, and and yet I'm ranked 29. You know, 29. I'm in the most stacked division in the UFC. I mean, it used to be kind of debatable. Is it the 55ers? Is it the 70s? But I feel like the 55ers. This guy is going up. This guy is going down in weight classes. 
Um, the 70s is, is, is murder's row. I mean, you look at the top 15, and it's stacked, although I think 11 through 15 is guys that don't belong there. But then if you look through 15 through 30, which doesn't really matter, those numbers, I get it. But 15 through 30 could be another top 15 mm. in, in, in the welterweight division. It's a bunch of guys with three or four wins in a row who aren't getting into that, getting that push. And that's why I was frustrated because I'm no longer fighting. I don't want to fight laterally anymore. I just want to fight up. You know, I just want to fight guys with big names or rankings. And, and that's what I'm looking for in my next fight. And so, okay, so you haven't gotten that big push. I mean, being on Fox is is a push in itself. Being on the main card, that's all well and good. But that sort of main event, co-main event slot against the big name. So do you do you yeah. have do you have uh, you know an idea in mind? Like, what's the fight that propels you into that conversation that you clearly want to be a part of? Ever since uh, Rafael dos Anjos, ever since he announced moving up and weight, um, as soon as I saw it, I just thought, you know, he's a big enough name. Yeah, and he's a name. He's a number four lightweight, and other than that, he's a former champion. He's a big name. I mean, you know, it's funny. After I called him out, you would be surprised how many people were saying that, like, I was cherry picking or saying that he <laughs> was a, a weak, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he's a weak fight, and uh, or like he's a broken man. I was getting these comments. He's broken. You're cherry picking. Why don't you? That's not going to do anything for you. I went over him, and and I see it completely opposite, man. I feel like. I feel like, I don't know, which, I want to get your opinion, Ariel. You I mean, you're, you're a very educated guy. You're a good journalist. You, you, what do you think? A, a guy like, uh, these are the top 15. Matt Brown, Jake Ellenberger, Tarek Safferdine. All those guys are like on three or four fight losing streaks. Yeah. But yet they're not, they're not taking them out of the top 15 where guys like me, new blood, belong. They're letting these guys stay there, and that's what's frustrating me. So does a win over a Matt Brown putting four or five wins, uh, another loss on his record, do more for me? Or does a win over a former champion, number four lightweight, like Dos Anjos, do more for me? What do you think? Okay, so first I'll say this. Um, after we're done with this interview, go to UFC.com slash rankings. With all due respect to everyone involved, go to the drop-down menu, top left corner, and look at the people who currently rank the fighters. I cover the sport. I feel like I know a lot of people. I haven't heard of 90% of the people who are part of it. So I wouldn't take it to heart. Now, I will say the UFC loves to use it against you when it's to their benefit. When it's not to their benefit, they'll ignore the rankings. But if they say, yeah, if you want a new contract and you're currently ranked 15, hey, and, and that's not justified, they'll bring that up. So tread lightly with the rankings. Don't take them to heart. I don't think they reflect what the true sort of journalist, media, et cetera, um, you know, thinks of you and of the fighters in general. Um, second point, the Dos Anjos pick is brilliant. That's the pick. Brown, Safety, those guys... It's, it's not marquee right now. You need to make some buzz. RDA's um, moving up to welterweight. That's a story in its own right. His opponent now right. comes along for the ride. And if you stop that momentum, and, and let's be honest, I mean, that was a close fight against Tony Ferguson, five rounds against, you know, yeah. a guy who could be the champion by the end of the year. I love that pick. I think it's great. I think that makes way more sense than those guys you mentioned. And so you put this out there. Are they biting? Is there any interest? You know, we have... Personally, my management reached out to Dos Anjos' management and said, look, all we have to do is both of us email the UFC, say we both want this fight. It's done. Let's do it. March 4th, Vegas, we're on the main court. Let's do this. They were, we had to kind of push them. We had to kind of sell it to them. And I don't know if they went and responded to the UFC like we did, but we definitely spoke to the UFC. They know how we feel. They think it's a fun matchup. But I think right now, to be honest, I think the UFC is a bit overwhelmed, you know, with all the job switches going on. 
Um, you know, Joe Silva is no longer there. They have two new uh, Mickey Maynard is now one of the new matchmakers. They're kind of figuring out which matchmaker is going to take what division. Um, and I, I just feel like they're still putting fights together. I know it is on the radar, um, okay. but they're, st they're still figuring things out. Like you said about the Desanos being the, the better pick. I agree, man, because you look back, you remember when Vincent Henderson went up to Walter Wade and he fought main event against um, Brandon Thatch. Brandon Thatch, I knew you would know. Main event that everybody was so intrigued. Yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was trying to see how the smaller man would stack up. Cowboy moved up. It's 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 a story in itself, and that's why I want it, because I know everybody wants to see how Dos Anjos fares at a bigger weight class. And, and, and one more thing to, to touch on what you said, don't pay too much attention to the rankings of 15 to 30. I totally agree. I, I've been getting a lot of people online saying, why do you even care if you're 29 or 22? I care because of exactly what you said a while ago. Because my next fight, I'm up for, for to renegotiate my contract, ah. and I want I want I want to be in the rankings because a it gives me a little bit more leeway when it comes to negotiating, and b I'm not in this sport to fight whoever's. I'm in this sport to get a chance at the belt, and the only way to climb the, towards the belt is to be in the rankings, and then I can start my title run. But as long as I'm fighting these dangerous 15 to 30 guys who are super dangerous. Uh, on winning streets as well, but they're not progressing me forward towards the belt. I feel like it's, it's taking me nowhere. Yeah, you, you put in your time. I agree with that. And also in life, we all want to move up. We don't want to move sideways. And I feel like you've got the story, the look, the background with, with you know, the, the modeling stuff. All that we, There's something to push there. You're not just a vanilla fighter. And so... I'll be curious to see if they actually give you this fight because, you know, typically when you put it out there, especially a little early in the process, they will respond unless they have something else right off the bat for RDA and it doesn't work out. But I think this is very smart on your end. And also you mentioned the, the contract stuff. I mean, you, I remember stumbling upon a clip not that long ago. It was on a show that kind of flew under the radar and I apologize for, for, for not remembering the name. And if you remember it, please give them a plug. But you were talking about associations and unions and things like that. You seem very interested in it. Do you still feel the same way? That I was on a show and I was speaking about unions and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of them going around right now. And um, and uh, I feel like it's, it's very near, very near to happening. Um, you know, I spoke about it before, like like the Ali Act being one thing that, like, you know, probably being the, the thing that will be pushed the most. And uh, once that happens, from my knowledge of the, the Ali Act, you won't get these, like, super fights where, like, you know, guys that are in another weight class are fighting the champion. It's going to have to be, you know, the, the exact whoever the next in line person should be. So I feel like that's kind of why we're getting all these guys calling out the super fights right now because they want to do it. They want to make the money. They want to have these big, fun super fight matchups before the Ali Act gets passed. But absolutely, I'm for it, man. Oh, I 100% support it. You know, if it's going to do anything to help us out, help us fighters and, and our pay and our contract negotiations, um, then, yeah, I'm definitely supporting it. Any of the groups out there reach out to you after you spoke about it publicly? Yeah, I think I, I think I think all of them probably are reaching out to most of the fighters. Um, man, what is the one MMAFA? I, I, okay, I, that could be the one. Is that the one with Cowboy or is that the other no, one? No, that's uh, the one with Cowboy is MMAAA. The one with um, Randy Couture and John Fitch and Kung Lee is MMAFA. Actually, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I see having the most real chance of actually passing. Huh. They've got the most members probably. They uh, they're constantly constantly working on things um i could see something happening in the, f in the near future with them absolutely are you a part of them uh, i'm part of the thread yeah yeah oh, oh wow okay I, I haven't done any um 
any real work, I'll be honest. But yeah, I am part of the thread. I do try to keep up on what's going on in it. Um, but I'm not really somebody out there on the on the front lines. I understand. Uh, very good for you. Okay. Um, last thing. So you want to be March 4th on that card. You want to be fighting uh, RDA. What about the other stuff? Anything else we can look forward to as far as the modeling, the acting, things like that in 2017 from you? Nice. Yeah. I mean, same thing, man. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm in acting classes. I'm, uh, we've got some modeling things potentially coming up soon. It's going to be a fun year, man. I mean, the, uh, my agency, uh, they, they kind of, after the Versace thing, they kind of pulled the reins back and wanted me to just get some wins last year, get those wins. Yeah. I got all three of them last year. So now they're really pushing hard with a lot of great photographers like Peter Lindbergh and Bruce Weber, some of the higher well-known photographers of, of the world trying to, um, work on some new stuff. So we'll see what comes about with that. But yeah, man, you know, I'm kind of, um, following in the footsteps is a lot of guys right now man taking some acting classes you know michael bisbing's in these big movies conor mcgregor's doing these horse commercials i mean <laughs> you're seeing everybody kind of transition into the acting business and for me it's something that i want to do but uh I, i'm still a white belt in acting and i want to get my repetitions in before i go in there i don't want to just be a guy using the usc to get into the movies i want to make sure my acting is uh i'm very confident in it but yeah, man, just working on all those things right now, constantly staying busy, um, um, just to have a, a great 2017. But it starts off with that, man, getting getting the big fights, man, getting the big fights, getting the big names. I don't yeah. want to fight dangerous, unnamed guys anymore. Well, I wish you the best. Great stuff, Alan. Uh, congratulations on the big victory back in December in Sacramento. Good luck getting that fight against RDA and continued success in the acting slash modeling world. It's very good. When I saw it, I was like, I felt like I was seeing a friend. Wow, look at this on, on the wall, uh, Equinox. This is amazing. It's, uh, it's a really cool thing to see. So keep it up, my man. Thanks, Eric. Take care, man. All right, there he is, Alan Joban. Great debut here on the MMA Hour for the Brahma Bull, right? Alan Joban. Great stuff. Um, appreciate his time, and uh, I love that fight. I love that fight against uh, RDA. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a marquee fight. It's a big story. RDA, the former champion, moving up. Good on him for calling out RDA for asking for the fight. We'll see if it actually comes to fruition. Okay, uh, let's move along. Late Friday, it was announced kind of out of the blue that UFC 208 got another fight. Um, a lot of people were wondering, would it get another marquee fight? It got a, a, a fight that I don't think anyone had on their radar. It got the former middleweight champion, the man who many consider to be the greatest fighter of all time. It got Anderson Silva against Derek Brunson. This is happening. February 11th, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, UFC 208. This is a thing that's happening. So we wanted to talk to uh, Derek Brunson about it. He is kind enough to join us right now via the magic of Skype. There he is, Derek Brunson. How are you? Good, man. What's going on? Not much. Wow. I did not expect this one. I mean, I had been kind of monitoring the Anderson Silva, you know, comeback fight. Rashad, I was hearing, was trying to get the fight. And then out of nowhere, Friday night, boom, Derek Brunson versus Anderson Silva. When did this first come on your radar? Um, Probably the night before. I'm just a man to save cars these days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I go out here, put in the work. I mean, I keep telling everybody, you look at my last seven fights, I have four first round knockouts and two fight of the night. So, you know, I'm an exciting guy and they needed that car to get a little bit of bump. Anderson name definitely has some name value and I'm the guy to, to match him. So you get the call, hey, do you want to fight Anderson Silva in uh, less than a month? Do you say yes right away? Is it a no brainer? Yeah. Yeah, I said yes right away. You know, I thought for maybe like um, five seconds and I was like, yes. And then I got off the phone and I was like, okay, let me, let me call back, you know, to the UFC and I got off the phone, and then I was like, wait, did I just accept the five-round fight? <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah. You thought it was the so, main. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have done it if it was the main. Sure. I would have been, you know, because that was the same thing I fell into my last fight. I was prepared for three. You know, I had a game plan for three. Um, definitely was loving the hot streak. You know, four first round knockouts. I was definitely going for that fifth. I thought, you know, I get a fifth knockout in a row in the first round. Who does that? Nobody does that. Mm. So I'm thinking if Romero beats Bisbee, for sure I get the next title shot. I would have jumped these guys. These guys ain't doing nothing but, you know, sitting around, failing steroid tests and all this other stuff. So, you know, I'm for sure I would have would have jumped a lot of guys. I think so. So that was kind of my mindset, you know. Okay, so and, um, go ahead. Yep. No, no, go ahead. No, 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 because I want to get to the, the, the last fight in a second, but back to Anderson. Is this something that you've wanted for a long time? I mean, who at middleweight doesn't want to fight Anderson, but is this like kind of a dream fight for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, Anderson, that guy, you know, it's funny because my first fight in the UFC, I used to always sit back and watch Chris Lieben fight. Like, man, I'll kick his ass. And then I actually got the call to fight Chris Lieben. And the, my reaction was like, um, yeah, because it was kind of short notice. And then I hung up the phone. And I got back on the phone. I was like, well, can we like uh, make it, you know, like two months after? And then it was like, no, I already told the UFC. I was like, all right, okay. So it's kind of one of those things with Anderson. You know, I always wanted to fight him because he was so great. And he had his reputation of just beating everybody. And obviously, he's one of the best fighters of all time. So to fight that guy would definitely be an honor. What kind of shape are you in less than a month away? I'm in great shape. Um, I wasn't, I'm always training. So I, I was always training. But, you know, if I know I have a fight coming up, then I'm running, I'm doing conditioning, I'm doing a lot of cardio. Um, I wasn't doing that, but I have about four weeks, three weeks now. So I'm, I'm working on it now. I'm killing the cardio, um, getting the conditioning right, and feel great. Will you be staying in North Carolina for this shortened training camp or going to Albuquerque? Yeah, so initially I was going to go to Albuquerque. My mom is like, my mom and my dad are like always on me. They're like, can you please go to Albuquerque? I'm like, listen. You know? <laughs> so I called Greg and Wink and I talked to them. I got some guys uh, that fight in glory, uh, Warren Thompson and Wayne Barrett, okay. who's just like Anderson. Yeah. So they're actually in Atlanta. So I was going to go down to Atlanta and split time down there and work with this guy, Manu, and just, you know, kind of like videotape our sparring sessions, send it to Greg, talk to Greg on a, like twice a week and get his input. But I was going to go down and, you know, spar with these guys who can give me a, a good look for Anderson, you know? Why do your parents nag you to go to Albuquerque? Man, they love the place, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's where I've been training for the last six years. So they love Greg and Wink and, you know, they just always – but they don't know always, like, you know, my reason for for things, you know. Because, I mean, that's a great camp, you know. I mean, you can't miss with those guys. Sure. Know? Greg and Wink, they're very knowledgeable of the game. And I think right before I got on, I went on um, Twitter and I saw somebody pretty much dogging Greg saying how could he – uh, they lost respect for Greg because he let BJ Penn like what? That don't even make sense. BJ Penn wanted to fight, you know. Um, that was a great fight for him. If he would have got to the ground, we're looking at a different thing. You're outclassed him on the feet. He's a fast guy, you know. I mean, that's just kind of how fighting goes, you know. Who can impose their will? Mm. BJ Penn wasn't able to impose his will. If he would have got George to the ground, he probably makes him look like a you know. Why they set this fight up, you know? So. Um, it is what it is. Okay, so now let me ask you about Robert Whitaker. Let's talk about Australia here. Because first off, I have to say, you handled that like a pro. I mean, what you put on your Facebook page, you know, you took the loss. 
like 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 a real champion and and uh, with all class and you know you took the blame whatever but watching it and it was you know it's always fascinating to watch these fights with the mma community i know you do this as well like you you know you're active on twitter during the fights and it's always great to see right. what the other fighters are saying during the big fights with all due respect and i'm not a fighter i couldn't quite understand what you were doing why were you fighting like that you were doing so well Man. what happened was it just you fell in love I with know. the knockout and you lost your mind what happened derek Bro, I fell in love with the knockout. Okay. I mean, I was just, I was in a relationship with knockouts. That's just how it was, you know? I, mean, I just, I just fell into that. St- I like, I don't know. I was just, I was so gun ho about just knocking him out in the first round, continuing that streak. You know what? The canvas is slippery. It's not made for all that just random <laughs> all over. The- I was slipping all over the place, you know? Um, I wouldn't even say my technique was so poor. It was just more of me slipping because I was moving too fast. I was uh-huh. too urged trying to knock him out. You know, you definitely got to have more. Um, You're getting a call, aren't you? Or did we lose him? I think we lost him. We'll get him right back. Uh, and you got, again, you, there's there's nothing more admirable in the fight game. It's easy to take the credit when you when you win and look fantastic. But when you lose and it doesn't go your way, nothing more admirable than taking it the way uh, Derek Brunson has. Uh, back to Derek. He's right here. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, man. I, I just I just fell in love with that style. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him. I just chose to fight that way. But, you know, let's look at it for what it is, you know. Um, I've been in this game and a lot of people, I think I was, what, 9-0, 9-1 when I fought Jocker Ray and he was one of the top guys in the world. I have, what, four losses? But I have four losses to, like, you have, like, Former champs, they have five, six losses to guys you never even heard of. You don't even know these guys. But mm. all of my losses are the top guys, you know. So I don't get discouraged, you know. I know where I'm at, and I just have to be smarter when it comes to that. Was that the game plan? No, that wasn't the game plan. Okay. That was just my game plan, which was a stupid game plan. I mean, my thinking, well, I think I heard, what's the guy? Who did you have on last? Joe Ban? Yeah, Alan Joe Ban. And your, your video free, froze. I don't know if you're getting it. Are you getting another? There you are. You're back. Yeah. Go my, ahead. My daughter's calling me. My no problem. No me. problem. But um, guys want to make money in this sport and you want you want to get into the big fights, you know? And like you you might not think, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking my logics tell me. <laughs> um, I'm freezing again because yeah. you're calling me. No problem. <laughs> um, hold on one second. Let me, let me tell them one second. Okay. No problem. Derek Brunton has to take a call from his uh, daughter. Listen, when the daughter calls, I, I respect that. You got to take the call. Also, kudos to him for saying that that wasn't the game plan. That that cage door shuts. And of course, we're talking about that fight late November in uh, in Melbourne, Australia against Robert Whitaker. Interestingly enough, he now goes from that sort of crushing defeat, at least we thought it was, to Anderson Silva. Robert Whitaker has yet to be booked in his next fight. And it's, you know, it's hard to get a bigger name than Anderson Silva regardless of how he's looked in his uh, last few fights. I mean, let's not forget, I know according to the... Sorry. Oh, he's back? Yeah, I'm back. I'm sorry, my daughters keep calling me, whatever, so we'll just ignore it. No worries. But yeah, guys want to make money in this sport, so um, you got to impress, man. You got to get these stoppages. You got to finish fights. And me thinking, I thought I can leap a bunch of guys, you know? Mm. Um, I thought, you know? So, I don't know. I was so making a push for it. What was the game plan? Knock him out in the first round. Oh, that was. I thought you said that wasn't the game plan. I mean, that wasn't everybody else's game plan. That was my game plan. No, what were your coaches telling you to do? Yeah, to be patient, you know, go out <laughs> there and, you know, show growth, you know, feel the fight out. Don't yeah. be so urged. Don't be so rushed. You know, fit the takedowns in. 
you know, just be up, you, be smart, be Derek Brunson. Just be me. Yeah. 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 Just be me, you know, but, um, I got a little overzealous. I got a little bit greedy. Yeah. I'm that guy. I'm that guy that would go, um, I don't know, put money on red or black, you know, and then like, Oh dad, that, that was a good chance, but it didn't work out. So just gotta be a little bit more calculated and stop, stop being greedy all the time. Okay. So you go in the cage, you're halfway across the world. You do that. What do the coaches say to you? When they when they see you in the cage, like did they say what the heck was that? What were you thinking? How, how did they react? They was like, "Did you hear me?" I was like, "Yeah, I heard you." <laughs> they was like, "Did you hear me? Did you hear me saying like reset, reset?" I'm like, "Yeah, I heard you." So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Have you watched it? No, I, I watched. Maybe it kind of disgusts me to watch it. Um, but I watched. I don't know. I watched like maybe. Bits and pieces, and I just cut it off. I can't really watch it. So I attempted to watch it like once, maybe twice, but I don't learn anything from that because I was just stupid. It was a stupid game plan. Um, uncalculated risk. I think, you know, you got to be more a part of the process. Kind of like Kat Gonzana fought Ronda Rousey. She ran in and got flying sure. on board. Sure. You know, uh, a, a lot of other fights. Verdum, he ran in, trying Steepy. to knock Steepy out. Boom, face plant. Yeah, yeah. You got to be more of the process. You know, you can't. I had a great streak going, and you know, you can't try to just. You can't fall in love. You know, I have everybody asking me, "Hey, you know, another fifth, another knockout would be, you know, history." You know, nobody's had five knockouts in in a row in the first round. You know, so just got to be more more of the process. You know, I have great skills. I can strike, but you know, can't get greedy out there. Have you ever kind of in your athletic career? I mean, even dating back to before you were um, an MMA fighter, have you ever kind of lost your mind like that in a fight where you just threw out whatever game plan it was and just fell in love with the moment and tried to make a splash? Um. Well, I think my my senior year, <laughs> my senior year in college, I was I was ranked second in the nation. I moved up to up a weight class at one ninety seven. And the match was zero to zero into the second period. I went and tried to do a Grammy roll and the ref called the pin. And instead of me just standing up regularly, because the, the, it was even at that point, I went for this spectacular move and the ref called like some crazy pin when I wasn't pinned. I was like facing the guy. But it was like after I was like, why did I do that? I should have just stood up instead of like doing all the like special dumb stuff, you know? Right. So kind of reminds me of that moment. And here's the weird thing. I mean, you're coming off that loss and it, it, it stops the winning streak, but now you're fighting, again, arguably the greatest of all time. Like, th- there's there's tough... It's hard to find a bigger name than Anderson Silva regardless of weight class these days. So it's kind of... It, 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 we're like, I'm assuming you weren't expecting to get a name like this after a loss like that, right? Um, I don't know. I never know. I mean, I, you have to be ready, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, they'll they'll come to you with fights and sure. you can say yes or no because certain things doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, I mean, what sense does it make for me? I think I'm an eight to fight like the number two or three guy, and let's say they on a three fight winning streak, but it could happen. Yeah. You know. So, um, but no, I was expecting a little lesser name, but. It's great. Hey, a fight is a fight. Oh, this, oh, is, yeah, this is fantastic for you. What a way to this come back. And, and the thing about Anderson for me is he's such an enigma because like, okay, gets knocked out by Weidman, clear. Gets the leg injury and you can say whatever you want about that fight. Comes back, Diaz beats him, but then there's the PED stuff. Comes back, you know. No, hold on. He beat Diaz, right? 
Well, yeah, he beats him, but then the PED stuff took away the win officially. But yes, in the actual okay. fight, he beat him. Um, comes back a year later, Michael Bisping, super close okay. fight. There's that moment where he knocks him out, but it was, you know, saved by the bell, all that stuff. And then it's the Cormier fight on three days notice where he's fighting a guy. So I don't really know what to make of him at this point. You know what I'm saying? What, what do you make of well, Anderson Silva? I make of Anderson Silva, he's not going to be doing what he did against Wyman. And he's not going to be looking like he looked against Cormier. Yeah. He came, what, I think he was like three weeks out of surgery when he fought Cormier. Something crazy, yeah. He had nothing to lose. So he went sure. into that fight completely out of shape. You know, yeah. so I throw that fight out. I don't even look at that fight. The only thing I really can look out of that fight is the takedowns. Like, let me see, oh, what takedown was he very vulnerable to, you know? Yeah. But as far as um, him being out of shape, nah, I throw that out because he was just out of surgery and completely wasn't training. He probably was doing exactly what I was doing, actively training, but wasn't doing like cardio until he got the fight. So now he's, you know, ratcheting the cardio up right now. And, you know, I don't expect him to be out there dropping his hands, you know, pulling his head right. back, you know, because, you know, one of these punches catch him on the chin. That's uh-huh. lights out. So. Um, so you're expecting more like, Michael Bisping, Anderson Silva. Oh, excuse me. Michael Bisping, Nick Diaz, Anderson Silva. I don't know. I don't expect that either. I oh. expect. What do you expect? The best Anderson Silva. I don't think he'll play with me like he... I don't think he'll toy with me as he toy with other guys. Okay. Because I can explode in and touch his chin, you know? Okay. And all it takes is one shot. And I'm sure his, his, his camp is like, okay, this guy, you know, he can crack you. So, you know, you got to be very mindful of that. So, I'm expecting him to be, you know, high output. Try to play the outside. Looking to sprawl Anderson. Being very patient. Maybe maybe an old commie. When he didn't throw a punch until like two minutes in and he just finished that fight. So I think he'd be very patient, in other words. And do you feel like you win against Anderson? Um, you win in spectacular fashion and it erases the Whitaker performance. Like now you're back to where you were going into that fight because of who he is? Oh, yeah, of course. All right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, take nothing away from Whitaker. Uh, but yeah, I'm not worried about that fight. You know, I knew I knew what, uh, Are you I, knew over what I was gunning for. Are you over it? Kinda. I'm a little salty still, but <laughs> I mean, let, guys lose. I mean, guys sure. had a fight the other night. Fifty percent of the guys that fought on the card lost. Sure, so, sure. You know, um, I can beat myself up about it. I can learn from it and move on. So I'm going with the approach: just learn from it and move on. You know. So, um, yeah, the only fight I'm really focused on is the one that's in front of me right now, which is Anderson, and I expect him to come out as a game opponent. But I'm gonna be very gamed also. Be very patient. You're gonna see a new Mr. Bronson. And I always look to finish. All right. I like it. Nice little treat for the New York fans. I know uh, a lot of them were a little disappointed with the card. Now they get Anderson Silva versus Derek Brunson. So a nice little present for them less than a month away. Great stuff, Derek. Way to, way to, I, I really respect the way you handled that loss and what you said afterwards and, and just putting it out there and not making any excuses and, and, and you know, equally with what you said here today. So uh, kudos to you, my man, and uh, good luck. We'll see you in Brooklyn in less than a month. Sounds good. See you. All right. There he is. Derek Brunson. How about that? Out of the blue. Who expected it? Derek Brunson, Anderson Silva in Brooklyn. If you're going to that card, if you already bought tickets, hoping for something big. Are you happy with it? Is this enough? Let me know. Great stuff there from uh, Derek Brunson. Always appreciate his time. Always happy to talk to him on the program. Uh, Henry Hooft, 
going on Instagram, I'm assuming in response to Rashad Evans' interview on this program, he wrote this, after six years working with a great team, the Black Zillions, I'm going my own way at a great time, met some cool people and learned a lot. Now it's time for H kickboxing hashtag and new challenges that come my way. Nothing is forever, but dreams and goals. He posted that 16 minutes ago. And so there you have it. I mean, he was a mainstay over at the Black Zillions. Um, and you, you think back to that interview that uh, Anthony Johnson gave us on this show when I told him about the comments from Glenn Robinson. Um, and when I said that Glenn told him he only wants to, he would never leave managing MMA fighters until Anthony Johnson retired. And Anthony's response to that was, I thought, surprising. This, I think, sheds a little more light on that whole matter. The demise of the Black Zillions has been talked about for quite some time, and they've often been able to overcome and, and, and squash those rumors. But when you hear it from Rashad Evans, and it does seem like a lot of them have gone in separate directions, but together, maybe in pockets, um, it kind of gives it a bit of finality. All right, let's move along. Um, one of the big stories this past weekend, as I said, Invicta had another great show, one of their more entertaining shows to date. And the big story, I thought, going into that fight was how would Megan Anderson look against Charmaine Tweet? She's fighting for the new interim featherweight title. It's the interim featherweight title that they decided to put on the line after what happened to Chris Cyborg. I thought it should have just been the official title because Cyborg, you know, was not booked or defended the title for a year. And I have this one year rule. So I thought it should have just been the featherweight title, but uh, it had the backdrop of, you know, the UFC bringing in the featherweight division, home Durandamy, Bellator bringing in a featherweight division. And all of a sudden, this division that we've talked about, you know, as being very shallow is very much in demand because it's now in two other major promotions. And I thought Megan was positioned to be one of the faces of the division and especially a, a sort of homegrown 145er as opposed to a 135er going up to 145. She wins. It's exciting. She gets on the mic and sends a message to Dana White home and Durandamy saying, keep the belt warm. I'm coming. Wanted to talk to her about that. She is joining us now via the magic of Skype. There she is. Megan Anderson joining us. How are you, Megan? Hello. I'm good. Thank you. And you? I'm doing great. Congratulations on the win. Very impressive in the cage. Very impressive on the mic afterwards. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, I have a lot to ask you. First off, do you think that fight should have been for the official title because Cyborg is currently, you know, um, battling this this USADA, um, this USADA flagging, and also because she hasn't fought an Invicta in around a year's time, hasn't been booked? Did you feel like interim's nice, but this should really be for the real belt? Um, yeah, I, I thought so. Um, it's been a year since Chris has defended her belt in Victor. She's fought twice in the UFC now. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intrigue about what she's doing, but, um, I think we all know that the UFC isn't going to let her come back to the, 
in Victor, you know, she brings in a lot of money and she brings in viewers and stuff like that. So I don't see why that they would let her to come back. So I think it should have been for the for the normal belt. But interim, fine, you know, whatever they want to do. Sure, you got the belt and interim titles are are very much uh, in vogue these days in mixed martial arts. So when you find out that the UFC <laughs> was uh, bringing in this uh, weight class kind of out of the blue without Chris Cyborg, and, and, and again, Bellator is doing it as well, what are you thinking? Because for a long time, being a 145-pound uh, female fighter was kind of the kiss of death. Like, there's nowhere really for you to go outside of Invicta. And with all due respect to Invicta, you just can't make a lot of money, you know, fighting your entire career there. So when you found out that, most importantly, the UFC was doing it, how did you react? Oh, I was uh, I was super excited. Um, I was a little I was a little question I questioned a little bit at first why they choose two one thirty fighters. Yeah. Like, although I do know that both Holly and Jermaine have fought at one forty five previously, but that hasn't been in you know the last few, five years. So I was I was a little intrigued by that, but I understand why they did it because one it, it's a fight. And it's a booked fight. So it's the division is more realistic than it ever has been, which is good. And two, it's it, Holly is a name that people know and they recognize. So, you know, it's a draw card. Um, I was not surprised that they didn't put Cyborg in after her turning down those two fights. So I, I wasn't surprised that they would turn around and do something like this. And now that she has this whole USADA thing, uh, I have no idea what's going to go on with her. But it's, it's a pretty exciting time for the featherweights. Uh, right now, they have not signed any true featherweight fighters. Did they reach out to you either before or after the announcement and say, okay, get by this fight. We're going to talk. We want you, be, you to be a part of this? Um, as far as I'm aware, no. No. Um, did you feel after you were booked in this interim title fight, okay, this is my sort of ticket. This is the this is the perfect way to make a lot of noise, win this belt, win this fight, main event, and the timing couldn't be better because that fight's coming up. This is my chance to actually get on their radar? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, um, UFC, they know who they want. Like, I'm sure they have names of who they want, who they're looking at. And I feel like this fight was almost, like, perfectly placed uh, timing because it just means, like, like I'm right there right before the fight happens. Like, I'm able to showcase – you know, Charmaine and I are able to showcase why the featherweight division should have been given this attention a long time ago. Are you convinced that the UFC is is truly focused and dedicated to the female 145-pound division, or are you a little cautious right now? Um, I, I have, I don't know. It's it's different. Like, um, you know, when they first introduced the bantamweights, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of depth to the to the division, and it's great. So I feel like if they really truly commit to the division, it could be great. But um, I think once they start signing athletes to the division, that's when I'll be more like, okay, yeah, that they're really going to commit to this, and it's a step forward. Almost around the same time that you fought on Saturday, Amanda Nunes, the 135-pound champion, came out and said, I want to fight the winner of home, Durandamy, I want to be a dual champion. Uh, is a part of you worried that this belt will kind of just be used as this like this little piece of history that the 135 pound champion can fight and, and, and just as a drawing card as opposed to building a division the proper way? Oh, yeah, there's always a risk of that. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating because you know, I, I respect Amanda and, and I think she's an amazing athlete. I said, but there's also us, us 145 girls who can't drop to 135 that deserve to be on that 
that stage and be given the the recognition for the hard work that we've been putting in all these years. And, you know, finally the UFC have decided to bring in the division, but, you know, now there's polit- there's 135 is saying they want to come up or you know, she wants to be a two-division champ. And I'm like, well, what about us girls who have been fighting that haven't been given the opportunity of the UFC? Like, bring us in. Like, let us show you what true 145ers can do. What's what's the line of thinking when you when you win that fight? It's a fun fight, but you're fighting for Invicta. They're paying you, and then you're on their microphone and you ask for a UFC fight. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Invicta, it's kind of this awkward thing where they give a lot of people this platform, but you know the fighters. And I don't blame you. Make no secret of the fact that you want the big payday that's coming from the UFC. And so, did you feel weird about it? Like they're the ones giving you the platform. We, you know, if you're fighting some local show in Australia, you're not on Fight Pass. You're not getting this attention. Yeah. Um, do you, is, is, are you kind of wrestling with that internally, or did it just happen? Um, it it kind of just happened, but I do like I do understand that. You know, I don't want to throw Shannon under the bus. You know, she's done amazing for us girls and. Um, and like she gives us a platform to showcase our skills at the top level so um i definitely didn't want to kind of like seem disrespectful to her but i think any any fighter who doesn't like strive to be at the top of the sport um is kidding themselves if they're not going to give them if they're not going to put out that that attitude or that um, the call out, if you will. Yeah. Um, the UFC is the top of MMA at the moment, and as a fighter, if you're not striving to be at the top, then you're just setting yourself up for failure. And and just curious, in the last 36 hours since the win, have you or your management heard from anyone in the UFC? Um, I have no idea at this point. I. I haven't heard anything. You haven't heard? Okay. Um, were you happy with the win? Was that the kind of win that you needed to get on their radar, in your opinion? Oh, I think so. Everyone loves a good knockout or yeah. a TKO. <laughs> um, and, you know, everyone everyone enjoys a good good head kick, highlight yeah. reel. You know, it's it's always very exciting. And uh, I, I, think, I think I needed to finish in such a, in such a way that, um, there was no question that that this is where I belong and I deserve that opportunity. So I think if it went to the decision, it would have been like, oh yeah, well she won, but it was you know a decision and it was it, you know it could have been boring or drawn out. Or I think the way it finished was was perfect for me. And and with with all of my fights, I, I look to finish. So it's it's just my personality. I, I can't help it. So. <laughs> After the fight, I said that if the UFC is truly invested in this 145-pound weight class, you should be their number one target. Um, and then I heard from Cindy Dandua. She was tweeting me and said, wait a second, uh, not that long ago, September of 2015, I beat Megan Anderson in her Invicta FC debut. I should be ahead of her if we're talking targets or title shots. What's your response to her? My, my response? Uh, 2000, September 2015 was a very long time ago. It's over a year and a half. I say in, in that time frame, look at what I've done, look at what she's done. I've fought four times. Uh, three of those people have been top 10. Uh, two have been top 10. One has been top 15. I fought a former title uh, contender. Uh, Cindy has fought uh, someone coming out of the UFC on a five-fight losing streak. She hasn't really fought anyone notable. Um, 
I respect Cindy, and on that night, she was a better fighter, but I am a completely different fighter than I was a year and a half ago, and everyone can see that, and I think she's just a bit, bit peanut butter and jealous, but <laughs> to still stay relevant. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. Uh, I do like peanut butter and jelly, so that is a good one. Um, is it true, so you fought her in the United States, you fought her in Kansas City, right? Um, coming from Australia. Yes, it was like- Yep, it was my Invicta debut. It was like the, my very first fight, in, yeah. uh, very very first international fight, um, and I was still very green. I'd, I'd only had maybe four, four. I was like four and one, I think five and one. I can't remember. And I, um, I had a lot to learn. And from then, I, I changed gyms. And in the time. A year and a half, like each, as you can, you can see from each of my performances in the last year, year and a half, every fight I progress, every fight I'm a better fighter. I bring something new to the table, and I think, I think she's, she's using the fact that I've worked my way up to the top. She's trying to use that because she beat me when I was a brand new fighter coming over overseas as leverage. But the thing is, though, she, she has to also work hard to get those opportunities too. Like a, a lot of these people, they don't realize like fighting is like 85% of this sport. The, the other 15% is like self-promotion and marketing. Mm. If, you're not, if you're not willing to do that or willing to do it in the right way and promote yourself as a brand, no one's going to want to see you fight. And you can't hate on the people who do that and who are smart enough to do that, that get the opportunities before you. So instead of complaining about it, maybe she should go and try and promote herself and – get these opportunities that she wants. Mm. Uh, strong words there. I like it. Um, is it accurate? That, no, no, that's, uh, that, that's great advice for all fighters. Is it accurate that you, so after that fight, did you not leave? Like, have you stayed in the United States since then? Or did you go home and then come back? I've stayed since then. You have not gone back to Australia since that loss, September of 2015. You didn't have any, like you didn't have like an apartment or a house or belongings that you wanted to get back. Like, why did you do that? Um, well, so I lived with my parents at the time because I, I left my job and I started training full time before that fight. What were you doing? And so I, I was working as a administration assistant at like an IT shop. Okay. So we did all repairs on Apple products and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I moved back in with my parents so um, I could spend more money on training and that kind of stuff. And so they just sent some of my stuff in a box wow over i don't have much stuff so but when you left when you left for the fight was that was that the plan or was it you you were happy you you liked kansas city or you found you met some people was the intention never to come back or did that change after the fight right after no like i had no intention of staying here when i left the fight i thought i was going to come back and then um I was given the opportunity to stay here and train full time and live here. I was like, well, you know, why not? I, I, uh, I have the opportunity. Why not take it? You know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, I knew if I didn't take it, I'd be kicking myself like five years down the track going like, man, I should have done this. Um, so, you know, so it, it was like a huge, like, okay, let's just jump in. But wow. um, it's, it's paying off, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the results speak for themselves. Um, and why haven't you gone back for any holiday or anything like that? Do you, do you not feel ready to go back? Is there a particular reason why? Um, well, I've constantly, like, been fighting 
every few months, so I haven't been able to. Like, I want to go back, but uh, just money and time, like, the right time, like, my coach is about to um, go do some stuff for a few weeks, and so um, I'll be taking over as, as the striking coach while he's gone, so I'm going to wait till he comes back before I go home. And, but um, Shannon actually flew my parents out for my fight, for this last fight. So I, I seen them for the first time in a year and a half, like two days ago. <laughs> okay, so they showed this at the beginning of the broadcast. They, they showed you guys. You had no idea that, that your parents, and I believe your brother was going to be there, right? Well, I, I knew my parents were coming, but I had no idea that my brother was going to be there. Wow. And Shannon, that was like a, was a big surprise. Shannon paid for this? So my Shannon paid for my parents to come, and they all um, they all paid and got together, and they paid for my brother to come over. Wow! And 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 what was that like when you saw them walk? You know, you, you're seeing them in person for the first time in a year and a half. Oh, it was amazing! I cried. Huh. I cried like a little baby. I was like, God damn it! <laughs> um, it was it was very emotional. Like I'm so close with my family, and. Um, you know, like you have those bad days where you're like, man, I just wish I could just hug my mom or she just hugs me and says, it's going to be okay. Um, just stuff like that. And, and I haven't been able to have that and to have her here is pretty amazing. And, you know, my dad too, and my brother, like I'm close with them and we talk, we message like every day. Um, I don't know how she does it, but she lives on the other side of the world and still knows how to push my buttons and annoy uh, the crap out of me, uh-huh. like all months do, I guess. But uh, but it, it was it was uh, pretty emotional seeing them for the first time in such a long time. Are, are they still there with you? They are. Yes, they uh, they leave on Thursday. Oh wow! So what a nice treat that is. That's amazing that that Shannon did that. Um, and it was great that they captured it on camera as well, and they 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 put it on the broadcast. Really cool to see. So what do you think? Do you think your next fight will be in the UFC, or do you think you're going to have to defend this title? Do you even want to defend the title? Um, I have no idea. Like, if I have to defend the title, I'm happy to defend the title. Um, you know, but you know, I. If my next fight's in the UFC, is in the UFC. I, I think I think I'm ready for the UFC, and I would love that opportunity. Love to showcase that you know a true 145er coming in, and why we should be have been given this opportunity a long time ago. But uh, you know, I've, I don't know what's going to happen. Are you going to go? Know. You should go. You should come to Brooklyn. You should come there and sit there and watch and, and make some noise. Holly Holm, oh, are you going to do that? Funnily enough, like. That that card two oh eight is on February eleventh, which is my birthday. So that's really weird. It's like you meant gotta to be. go. <laughs> Stars are aligning for yeah. you. I know. I think that. No, would... I'd love to go to that card, see that live, and and make some noise for sure. In the history of fight sports, you know, like James Tony wanted a shot in the UFC. He showed up. He crashed a press conference. This is what you have to do to get what you want. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, push you in a certain direction, but <laughs> all I'm saying is if I was managing you, I would have booked your ticket already. That, that's what I'm saying. As some- <laughs> yes, well, I, I definitely would love to go. Okay. We'll talk to your, your representatives. Um, as someone who surveys the landscape, are there enough great 145ers in your opinion to have solid divisions in Invicta, UFC, and Bellator. Um, I think I think it's like like the bantamweight division was at first, maybe not so much, but you you build it and it will come. Um, I think just. 
just by the UFC, like, deciding to introduce a division is a huge step forward. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of girls going to come out that are going to start being like, you know, maybe, maybe I can do this. Like that it's more realistic, you know, it's, and it's not just about the opportunities. It's, you know, as much as I love Invicta, you know, the UFC does pay more and it, you know, you're able to make, you know, more of a living off it. So I I think, I think the next two years, we're going to see a, hopefully a boom in the featherweight division. I feel like there are a lot of, lot of great athletes and, and it's just going to, just going to grow from there. Well, I think you're doing a great job and you, uh, you seize the moment. Most definitely. Well, great timing, great stuff on the mic. That stuff definitely, um, results in good things. And I, and I think you did a fantastic job. So congratulations to you on the performance and, and great to talk to you for the first time. I wish you nothing but the best. And I, I do hope you get that call up to the UFC. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on the show. It's a, it's a pretty big honor. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, and, and we'll talk to you soon. There she is, Megan Anderson, the new interim Invicta featherweight champion. Uh, equally great performance in the cage as on the mic as well. Great stuff. Way to get some headlines, get some attention. That's what you have to do, especially with the UFC introducing the division. And they still haven't quite, in my opinion, um, given us any indication how invested they are in this division. And let's not forget when they brought in the 135ers, it was a bit of a slow build. They did have Misha Tate and Katzengano already booked when Ronda Rousey fought Liz Carmouche. Um, but it, w- it was a slow build. And I'm expecting the same kind of thing here. 115 was different with Tough and the tournament. A lot more came in at the same time. It would be nice to have some true 145ers on the roster now uh, to really get a sense for how invested they are in that division because, as we know right now, it's Holly Holm and Jermaine Derendami, two fighters who can very much make that 135-pound weight. And, and they were kind of pushing this narrative on the broadcast last night that Holm can't make the weight anymore, doesn't want to make the weight. I think her team has been pretty clear, even on this show, Mike Winklejohn, uh, as to what their plans are. And that's win this belt and then get the 135 belt again. So I don't know how true... That is also on the broadcast last night, Sunday night, they announced that Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw will be coaching tough 25. It's the comeback season. They're calling it redemption and it's a bunch of ex tough fighters and it's being coached by Dillashaw and Garbrandt. They're going to fight in July. Let's bring in Mr. New York Rick here uh, to talk about that. We've talked about tough. We've talked about its issues. We've talked about, its inability to draw ratings and evolve and that it's essentially the same thing, same product, same show as it was, you know, a decade ago. Yep. I think tough four is one of their more entertaining seasons. Although this one's different in the sense that tough four didn't have any coaches. GSP showed up as a guest coach. There were like guest appearances, but it wasn't (laughs) team versus team. If you recall, yeah. Uh, Matt Hughes and all that stuff. What'd you what'd you make of the announcement? Are, are you are you interested or is it same old, same old? There's even a you know, even a quote unquote comeback season like like it has been done and, and people have been asking for it, even that's not gonna get me back into it. But I will say there was one thing that intrigued me. Go and ahead. And it was that they said there will be, you know, former tough alumni, winners, but there will be an active UFC fighter yeah. um, in this. One. And now I think they said one or at least one. I forget what what it said. I know it said one, but I don't remember if it said more than one or one. But that intrigues me because um, it it almost seems counterintuitive, no? Tough is supposed to be the platform 
for launching yourself into the UFC. And now for the comeback season, it's supposed to be the platform to launch you back into the UFC. Um, it almost feels like somebody's getting demoted or I think there's going to create an interesting dynamic there that there's going to be an active UFC fighter in there. Um, and also, you know, how are the, how are the fighters who are not in the UFC going to react to this person? Are they the, you know, now are they King shit if they're in the house, um, with somebody (laughs) who's still in the UFC? It's it, that part interests me. I'll say that, but I don't know if even that's enough to get me to tune in. Um, this is about as, as, as good as you're going to do to get me interested. Um, but you know, no amount of drama between, between Cody and, and TJ is going to do it for me. That's for sure. Does Cody and TJ, do they need this? No. I I, mean, I, think I feel all... like it's counterproductive. I feel like it waters down the feud, the rivalry. Like I don't want them in the same gym again. I don't want them wearing the jerseys. I don't want them talking. I, 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 I don't, I feel like it hurts the feud rather than helps the feud at this point. It helped back in the day, tough one through five, uh, maybe tough 10 Rashad and, and, uh, and Rampage. But I actually feel like this I... hurts the feud. I don't think it'll hurt the feud. How, so getting them more time together, you feel like would hurt it? It's too much. Sometimes less uh, of a good thing is, is, is a better thing. Sometimes too much yeah. of a good thing is a bad thing. You know what I mean? I, think, I don't think it will hurt it. I think, I, I think we'll get some decent sound bites and decent clips out of it that will at least keep it at the same, the same level. But it definitely, you know, advancing the timeline and pushing it back further than necessarily we could have had um, that is where I, I feel like, you know, the ball is being dropped because, because we could have this fight sooner if they're not both coaching tough. Um, but, uh, I don't think it'll hurt it. I think it'll kind of, uh, you know, level out, but I, I don't think it helps it either. I'm not really interested in, in the tough back and forth. And by the way, Co- I don't, between I, the coaches, I don't think this delays the fight. Don't blame the show for the fight being in July because uh, Cody had mentioned that he wants some time off. He was very active, fought four times in 2016. So, you know, all I, I guess at the end of the day, I, I hope they get paid more. I, I hope that they're being compensated for this nicely. Um, I don't, I just wish the show would evolve. You know, if it, if it was just the comebacks, that's cool. I've been asking for that. I think that's yeah. a nice way to reintroduce people. However, I don't think they need the coaches. And I certainly don't think that you need maybe one of the best feuds right now, active feuds, upcoming fights. I don't think it needs a tough treatment. There was a time, like Joanna Claudia, fine, cool, I get it. Give them some exposure. People don't know that much about them. Fine. This one doesn't need it. I think but, they could do it on their own. So, but would you be more interested if they just removed the coaches? Or oh, yeah. about the same? I don't think you this would needs be coaches. more interested. Yeah, I, I, I've but said that for a long time. Get rid of the coaches. Let well, every man train for himself. Hey, buddy, you want to go to the gym? Like, I, I know it needs a little can, structure, but you don't need the coaches. It doesn't need that anymore. When's the last time, uh, you know, uh, two coaches selected to be on that show actually got you to watch a show? If we're watching the show at this point, it's because of the fights. It's not because of the coaches stuff. Yeah, but I don't think necessarily that you're you're losing what you would get in that in that thing. I I, I don't think a comeback season sans coaches is going to be much different than a comeback season with coaches. I think it just gives them an opportunity to bounce ideas off somebody who's you know a, an active current fighter. I, I don't necessarily think that you know whoever's going to be on this show is going to be looking to necessarily TJ Dillashaw or Cody Garbrandt or their team as the only you know the the sole guidance in their training i think they'll be able to do their same training 
Well, yes, but there is, okay, I get it. There's that history there. There's the alpha male stuff. There's, you know, who's going to go with uh, Garbrandt because Garbrandt and Dillashaw have mutual friends still. Yeah. Castillo, Buckholds, Benavidez, etc. But I actually think that this could hurt the feud. By the time we get to the fight, by the time it's July, I feel like it might fizzle. It'll be fine. It won't kill it. But I just don't think that these are the kinds of feuds matchups rivalries that need the tough treatment there was a time where it helped i think that time has come and gone i'm curious to see mm-hmm. who the line i've heard some names um nothing confirmed just yet i'm curious to see the kind of names and most importantly what are they fighting for you know are they fighting for a title shot are they fighting for a number one contender spot that's what they were fighting for a tough four they were fighting for a title shot is that going to happen what are they fighting for just back in the ufc how many of them get back into the ufc are they bringing back like the junie brownings of the world you know like the real troublemakers who we haven't heard from in quite some time there's a lot of unanswered questions right now but it it does signal the fact that you know the talent pool just outside of the ufc because there's so many fighters in the ufc there's bellator and more promotions it's hard to have the regular tough 205ers and 170 pounders and find you know 16 solid prospects i think those days are in my opinion long gone and they're trying. They did Black Zillions versus ATT. They did the tournament with the Strawweights. They did the tournament with the 125ers. They're trying, but I don't think they're doing enough to fully revamp the show, to make it look different, feel different. Sometimes it needs a fresh is coat there, of paint. Is there anything? What, 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 you know, conceive of a show that you would watch? I don't think, I think you just Listen, have to I ain't giving, I ain't giving that away for free so that they can go sell some ads on FS1. Yeah, I mean, that's I, my I just show. Think it, no, but. You just have to end, you have to end tough and, and figure out a new a new programming thing. I just, I don't know. Looking for a fight is the butt of jokes, but I think that format makes more sense than tough at this point because mm-hmm. I agree, you know, um, but they're, they're not doing a great job of finding talent. That's the problem with that show at this juncture. It's tough. Yep. I mean, diamonds in the rough are, are a tough thing to find. Well, with, well, also with so many, you know, with so many events to fill already, I mean, the talent pool was already getting diluted. The UFC was already bringing in, you know, guys that necessarily not, you know, wouldn't have necessarily been in the UFC years previous. Yeah. Um, and then if they're already there, what does that leave? That leaves, you know, uh, very, very few. And and the, I mean, to be honest, though, hitting on a Mickey Gall and a Sage Northcutt who, who have really actually captured people's attention, I'd say that that shows batting uh, a decent average. Hmm. I guess. What I mean, Mickey Gall's not now. All of a sudden, Mickey, Mickey, Gall, Mickey not Gall is a notable the, name. Is 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 the one current successful fighter coming off that show? Now, Sage is a draw, yeah. but currently having success, moving the needle as far as his career is concerned, he's the one guy. Sage, when he fights again, will will make an impact, no doubt. But yeah, as far as finding true talent, he's the one guy right now who's had success in the UFC, like continuous success, right? Yeah, it's it's slim pickings. It's it's not easy. Um, bottom line, will you watch? There's nothing that could happen. I mean, there's nothing that tough does for me anymore. Um, okay, let's talk about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. This is a thing. Uh, I reported late last week that it's gone from the pipe dream phase to the exploratory phase. And what I mean by that is the people behind the scenes, the important people are exploring whether or not they can get this done. And the reason they have to explore is because there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a lot of moving parts. There are an intense amount of hurdles to overcome if this fight gets made. But shortly thereafter, you see Dana White 
making the offer on television. You see right. um, Floyd responding. <laughs> You're seeing it play out. And a lot of people said to me, wait a second, weren't you the guy who said that this is silly, this is hogwash, this is a waste of our time? And what I say to them again is, go back and listen and read what I was saying. I was saying, after 205, the Monday morning after, this fight, which was non-existent, which was pipe dream phase at that time, should not have been what we were focusing on. We were focusing on, on this show, history, the moment, MSG, the win over Eddie, how good he looked, etc. You can save that for a rainy day. That rainy day has come. They've now moved. It has evolved. And now it deserves our attention. Now it's a real thing that people are exploring. The UFC is coming out. Dana White is coming out and attaching Conor McGregor's name to a $25 million purse. That's unprecedented. And, and, and whether he's the guy to give out that money, whether he's the one that can actually make it, whether Conor can do it without the UFC, these are all things that need to be addressed. But it is a story now that needs to be reported on and we can no longer roll our eyes at it. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Given everything where it stands and they're still miles apart. I mean, this thing, so much has to happen. It almost gives me a headache. But again, it's being looked at. Yeah. They're exploring. Do you think it happens? Yeah, I do think it happens. I think it's too much money to leave on the table. Everybody, you know, at this point, the reason it hasn't, you know, progressed even further to this point is that everybody kind of is thinking about their own best interest and protecting their own investments and, and you know, their images and their brands and all that stuff. There's so many different players involved. Uh, but ultimately, this fight, I think everybody knows, would sell a ton of um of pay-per-views would do a ton of business and ultimately that's the driving force in what all these guys do is is to promote fights so i think it will happen you think it happens in 2017 now that i don't know i mean we saw you know we don't have to go that far back to think about how long it took to do pacquiao and mayweather and they're in the same sport so um and and people weren't satisfied when when it finally did happen on how long it took to get done so um, i'm not holding my breath but I think ultimately, unless, you know, there, there is there is a chance that in the time that it takes to get this done, something intervenes and somebody's shine gets a little uh, less, whether it's Mayweather, whether it's McGregor, um, and, and it doesn't happen. But I think right now they have to be moving toward it. It's very sure. clear from Mayweather's comments on ESPN and other media outlets afterwards, uh, Dana's comments, Connor's comments that... They actually want to get this done. It would behoove WMEIMG to make it happen because it will make them a boatload of money. It's the most lucrative MMA and or boxing fight out there right now. Um, I'm curious as to what your interest level is. I mean, honestly, I mean, like you are going to watch it. There's no doubt about it. Everyone will watch it. The sports world will watch it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't know if it breaks the Pacquiao, um, you know, pay-per-view number, who knows, but What's your true like sporting interest level? From a competitive level? interest? Just yeah, yeah. Zero. Zero really. There's there's got to be a part of you that's somewhat intrigued could nope. a young Conor McGregor get it done? There's no part of you at all? Come on. There's got to be a part Ariel, of you. Please. More so come on. What was your interest level in in uh, Joe Lozon Marchine held? A lot higher. Get out From of a competitive, no. Now okay. you're being hipster you, again. No, 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 no. Stop that. Stop that. You clearly defined from a competitive standpoint. You said that explicitly. From a competitive standpoint, zero, zero interest. This is, if not the one of the best boxers of all time, and not only that, but his style. He's he's probably the best defensive boxer of all time. There is not a chance in whatever 
you know, uh, deity you believe in, they cannot grant this being a competitive matchup. It's it's not possible. I have zero interest from it uh, on, in it from a competitive standpoint. But I'll tell you this: Conor McGregor will make some people believe with his mouth, and so will Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather gets a lot of credit for building his own brand, sure. but what he's done successfully and has continued to do successfully and is the best at. He makes you believe that the other person is is actually in this fight um, or makes you want to see him get knocked out. Nobody is a better promoter than Mayweather. And he will ma- he and Conor McGregor, who's a fantastic promoter himself, will make you believe that this is a fight. There is no fight here. It is not a fight. Floyd Mayweather is not is not losing a boxing match, not losing a minute of a boxing match. How do you match think he wins? Conor McGregor. Does he knock him out? Does he win a decision? I could see it happening. Um, but that, I mean, that's not really Floyd's, you know, yeah. style. Is there um, is there a line yet? I I feel like I saw someone kind of throw I, something I, out. I only look at MMA lines, sure. so I don't know. Um, there's, there's a boxing line on it. The hurdles are insane. Like, where does it air? What's the cut? Who's involved? And it's, but these are the same conversations we were having about Pacquiao too. It was, you know, sure. who's promoting it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. what channel does it air on, and, and, and those types of things. And um, we eventually got it. And, and I'm sure that the money will be too much that they cannot avoid it forever. Um, and let's be clear. I mean, the $25 million offered to Floyd, I mean, that, that's, no. that's not an offer. Uh, Floyd no. is not. I mean, he's, you can look at his numbers. Um, it's not worth rolling out of bed for Floyd for $25 million. Not at this point. Not at this point. And uh, for Connor, it's great. And I and I noted this on Twitter. Like, now that his name has been attached to a $25 million purse, regardless of opponent, how do you go back? I mean, clearly you're valuable to the UFC. His name has now been publicly attached to a $25 million purse. How do you go back to five, eight, nine, ten million? Yeah. There's a big difference there. I mean, he was just, his purse just doubled or tripled, whatever the case may now, be. Now, it is the right opponent. You have to, you know, you have sure, to but man, that. he is a. I, I don't know. Is he this. Who is a bigger pay-per-view draw right now? Are you talking about Mayweather and McGregor? Them against a broomstick. Mayweather against a broomstick on pay-per-view. Connor versus. Do you think so? Yeah, boxing is bigger. I mean, just look at the look at his past numbers. Look at the Mayweather. Birdo numbers, three hundred or so thousand. Like Connor is averaging a million Mayweather, now, and it's yeah, not Mayweather because of Chad Mendez or Eddie Alvarez. Let's be honest, no, it's because no, of him. No. And now, and now you are getting McGregor more bang for entering your, that territory. You are for sure. It's also important to know you're getting more bang for your buck from a UFC pay per view than a Mayweather fight, right? Mm-hmm. Those are very top heavy. There's other fighters on the card that will sell uh, a bit, um, but no, Conor McGregor is clearly the, the drawing interest there. But um, Mayweather will make you believe that broomsticks in a fight, or make you want to see the broomstick win. He's he is the best. Conor too. He's he's great. He's great. Mayweather is still the guy. Um, TBE. The only reason, look. There's one person who's dictating the terms of this fight. Let me ask you this then. Who's dictating the terms of this fight? Is it Conor McGregor or is it Floyd Mayweather? It's 100% Floyd Mayweather just because he doesn't have to take the fight. You know what I mean? He doesn't. And and he's he's put himself in that position not by accident. Sure. His great, 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 great grandchildren are set for life. You know what I mean? That's not the case. Floyd. Yeah, but but he's done that uh, in boxing. With you know a, a sport that people were calling dead for sure. know, a decade now, um, he's he's special. Floyd Mayweather is, is very special. I think it, it, it's all it's all his game. It's all his game. We're we're living in his world. <laughs> yes, uh, a material world, like uh, Cindy Lauper <laughs> once so eloquently put it. Um, I will say this one thing, as you know, I love to talk about on this show 
I love talking about the barbershop fights. There's no greater barbershop fight than this one. I mean, the last great one was the Pacquiao Mayweather fight. This one is one that people will sit around, new school versus old school, MMA versus boxing. And yeah, you have to side with Floyd. He's freaking Floyd Mayweather. He's arguably the greatest boxer of all time, arguably the greatest defensive boxer of all time, undefeated, 4-9-0. He's a freaking wizard. I mean, it's on a whole other level. And MMA boxing um, and pro boxing are two different things. But the the buildup, the anticipation... You know, even the Floyd versus Dana rivalry, the, the the quips back and forth, Floyd saying that, you know, Dana used to carry his bags and why are you making more money than Connor? It's all very entertaining. I mean, I, I think that the buildup will be very unique if it happens, but I don't think, all I'm saying is we can't keep rolling our eyes at it. It's a thing. It is a thing. It is something that is being explored. It's no longer just to sell you know, papers or headlines or clicks or whatever you want to say. It's no longer, you know, just talk, empty air. It's none of that. It's it's an actual real thing. And it's amazing that we've even reached this point. If we're on a 10 step ladder, we're maybe at step one at best. So let's just be very clear here where we're at. There's a greater chance of Connor fighting Khabib, Tony, Aldo, Nate than, than, than uh, Floyd. But I think he would be honest when he says that that's the fight, that's the money fight for him, obviously. And it's the money fight for Floyd too. If he's not fighting Triple G or someone like that. It is the thing. It's in the exploratory phase. We have to keep monitoring it. We'll see. Okay, let us move along. Uh, the UFC heavyweight champion, the baddest man on the world, is Stipe Miocic. We have not seen him in action since September. That fantastic win over Alistair Overeem in Cleveland. Uh, I'm looking at my Twitter mentions here. My New York Knicks just lost in heartbreaking fashion to the Atlanta Hawks, and I have a bone to pick with Mr. Stipe Miocic on the same level as heartbreaking losses for the New York Knicks, but on a different level. Let's bring him in now, and I'll explain what I'm talking about. Mr. Miocic, are you there? Yes, I am. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while. How are you? Good, yeah. It's been a while. It's been pretty busy. Yeah, you're, you're happy that your Indians got Edwin Encarnacion, aren't you? There we are. <laughs> What's up with that? I mean, the Indians don't sign free agents. Why do you got to take our guy? Well, like you guys are, you guys are good. You're healthy. You made it to the World Series Game Seven. Why do you have to take our guy? And and and, and you rub it in my face. That hurt. It's what we do, man. So, you know, we got to do something. We, we didn't win the World Series, right? <laughs> yeah. Did that hurt? Like, have you enjoyed enough success as a Clevelander to where you were kind of like, you know what? It sucks. We haven't won in like 50 something years, but it's been a good year. I'm not going to be so sad about it. Well, I mean, we had a great year, you know, of course, we've been great at things, would have won it, but you know, uh, you know, next year's going to be a better year for us. So I'm not really worried about it too much, but we had a great year. Cleveland was fine. We got something we needed and, you know, it's, oh, so you needed it so bad. You have no idea. <laughs> they needed. You think they needed the Indians win, like the the Cavs win, your success. You know, just the revival. That wasn't enough. You think they really needed that win? Oh yeah, definitely. I think you know, if with the guy, it's been amazing. But you know, I think just everyone's so happy because no one gave them a chance. You know, no one thought they were going to do good. Huh. Um, what was it like for you, as someone who's so proud of being a Clevelander, being from that area? You became kind of the mascot of the city. I mean, you're out there rubbing elbows with LeBron and these guys and, and you're getting credit from major outlets for starting this. Was that surreal? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, it was just crazy going to the Indians game and 
bringing out, hanging out with the Cavs and going, you know, watching the Cavs take BP one day and, you know, talking to the Football World Series and just, uh, you know, meet the Brown, you know, just, uh, yeah, it's been surreal, man. Just, I've been lucky. Did they, like, like when you're hanging and taking photos with LeBron and J.R. Smith and these guys, are they very well aware of who you are and what you've accomplished? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. They were, you know, asking me questions just like I was asking them questions about the NBA. What, what's, what's been the coolest byproduct of you becoming champion? Someone you met and experienced something like that. What's the coolest thing that's happened? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there's so many things cool things that have happened. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think. You know, I just, it's just kind of do stuff like, you know, go to the, you know, going to the Cavs and, uh, um, First game, you know, when I got the rings, going to the World Series, uh, you know, going to bounce back. Just like, you know, getting being, being part of Cleveland, I guess. But the thing is, like, very few, like, people win belts and they go back and, and they have their next. You were in the Cavs parade. You're taking batting practice and hitting home runs. You're hanging out with LeBron. Like, for you, it was a whole different level. And then your first title defense is in Cleveland. You have been, ser- like, and, and you're getting married last year. Like, this, you couldn't have scripted a year like this for, for a, a local guy and then to get, you know, this kind of attention and love in Cleveland. It was, it was almost, it, it was an amazing story to watch unfold. But I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I would imagine you didn't actually believe that this all would happen, right? Like like all those things happening in a row, all those things happening to you as a result of being UFC champion. No, not, not, no not at all. I would never think of that happening. Like being in the parade and, you know, um, <laughs> you know stuff like that. Thinking even the Indians, man, just, you know, what, what, what things are all about, man. It's, uh, it was crazy, you know. I just, uh, I'm just grateful, you know. I would never take un- be ungrateful for it and just, so happy that I got to do it. Are you disappointed that, you know, any other year you're surefire fighter of the year, but so many fighters had so many, you know, great performances this year and, 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 you know, Bisping and Amanda Nunes and Cody and, and Connor that you didn't get as many, um, awards, votes, etc. in different media outlets, fighter of the year conversation. Does that bug you? No, not at all. <laughs> you alluded to it on Twitter. You seemed a little bit, or were you kind of joking? Oh, just, just, just messing around, man. Just like I said, my mom's just happy that, you know, I did well and she, I'm her fighter of the year. That's all I care about. Looking at the landscape, though, do you think that you should have been fighter of the year? Honestly, I don't care. It's just an award. You know, I'm just happy to be the champ and keep winning. How often do you think back and look back at that night in September in Cleveland? To me, you came across like a superstar. You came across like larger than life, the way they exploded for you, treated you. One of the greatest crowds I've ever, you know, experienced in person. Do you think about it a lot? Do you watch that fight a lot? Oh, yeah. I'm just, uh, just feeling the vibe of watching, you know, watching the fans go crazy. It's just, uh, you know, it's a Cleveland thing, man. It's what, you know, it's what we do. Um. Do you feel life has changed, like the way people react to you and, and, and treat you when you're walking around? Like, did you feel your star power go up a notch after that performance because you did it in Cleveland? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I, you know, I just, you know, Clevelanders, they just, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they back each other up, just loyalty, you know, and I think, I don't know about the star power, like, like I said, I'm just here to win fights, you know, and, you know, like I'm over, can't give it time, it's going to work, you know. <laughs> And, uh, you know, slowly, slowly but surely it will. How do you explain the Browns? All this success, all this good fortune for everyone else but them. What's going on? Uh, you know, today was an, uh, this year was an off year, you know. Um, <laughs> I think the one coach, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the one coach, uh, you know, he, he's, he's an amazing coach, man. He's, he's got the right mentality. He's just uh, a lot of guys are hurting. Uh, 
Yeah, don't be surprised about next year. Oh. I mean, when you do well. We've got a steep A prediction? Yeah, I mean, we're going to do well, man. I think we're going to do a lot better than last year, so. All right. I like the positivity. Um, what's your take on the state of the heavyweight division? Because it does feel like it's a bit of a, a mess right now. We thought that Kane Verdum would lead to the number one contender fight um, and, and, and spot, but uh, they obviously didn't fight at 207. So, you know, who is on your radar right now? I mean, whoever they want me to fight, man, you know, I never denied a fight. You know, I'm here to fight wherever they want me to. So, I mean, whoever else he wants, that's uh, how he's done it. Have they even reached out to you yet about, you know, a potential next fight, a potential next opponent? Uh, no, not yet. They're just talking about maybe May. Fighting in May? Yeah. Uh, does that work with your schedule? Do you like that idea or do you yeah. want to fight sooner? Definitely. Definitely. You know, I, I told him sooner, but he said May. So I said, okay, I'm not going to say no. I mean, it gives me more time to practice and get better. I'm of the opinion that every single one of your title defenses should be in Cleveland because of <laughs> the reception. I mean, they, they sold it out. It was loud. They, they, they bought a lot of tickets. Why would you fight anywhere else? Do you agree? True. 100%. I believe it too. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the next one after I defend this one, he'll, he'll be at Cleveland again. Oh, so it's because typically the May card, although you did win in Brazil in May, typically it's like Memorial Day weekend, the May pay-per-view, and that's in Vegas. So is it not looking like your next fight will be in, in Cleveland? Probably not. Oh, that's a bummer. I thought a Cleveland card headlined by Stipe and Cody Garbrandt, the new champion, Ohio boy, that would sell like in four seconds. Yeah, I know it would. <laughs> Definitely what I've done, you know. But like I said, man, it's what the UFC wants and the world. They want me to uh, fight a fight. Are you too nice? Should you put your foot down and say, no, I need to go back to Cleveland. Look how good it did. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean they don't care. They want, they want to fight where they want to fight, you know, and it's probably best for them at that time. Do you, like, do you, because now we have the situation where Verdum is being offered to JDS and it appears as though he turned it down. Who do you, like, do you have anyone that's even on the radar? There is really no clear-cut number one contender. No, like I said, I'll fight anyone, you know, whatever you actually put in front of me, I'll fight. Really? So you, you don't even have a preference or you don't have any inkling as to who that fighter will be? No. <laughs> so like I, like I said, man, I don't, give a, I don't really care, man. I'll fight whoever you want me to fight. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the champ for a reason and, you know, I'll fight. I love, I love fighting, it's what I do. Uh, there's been this trend lately where guys, you know, they win the belt and then they start asking for super fights, big money fights, new contracts, things like that. Do you feel like you are, you know, being treated like a big time champion? Do you, do you, do you like the way that they're compensating you these days? I definitely can be better. You know, I mean, my last fight, my challenger made more money than me. Wow. The Overeem fight? Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Did you know that going into the fight or only found out about it nope. afterwards? After. What was your reaction? <laughs> Terrible. Like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, things definitely give you a change. Something's yeah. going to change. It's not, really, it's not really fair. Of course, yeah, especially since you were the draw, the uh, guy who sold out the arena. Yeah, exactly. And they gave, they gave the contender more money. Wow. H have you expressed that to the UFC? 100%. What'd they say? Uh, they don't it's just a mess right now, so we'll just leave it at that. Oh, um, so are you, are you trying to work out a new deal? Yeah, of course. Okay, and are do they seem receptive to it? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> are you, do you feel like you're asking for something that's unfair? Clearly not. 
No, definitely not. I mean, no, there's no way. Definitely not being unfair. You know, um, not looking like for a couple million or anything like that, but definitely getting compensated for, you know, winning about defending about in my hometown, and you know, and also you know the guy making more money than he is that's just unheard of. That's terrible. Yeah, and, and and so when you ask them for a justification for this, what you're laying out, what what do they say to you? Blah 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 blah. They just make up some excuse. Huh? But that's the contract you signed. So would it be fair to say you're frustrated right now? Of course. Is this why you're not fighting until May? No. Like, would you have preferred to fight earlier? Well, I told them where they young. Okay. But they said no. Buffalo's not that far away from Cleveland, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they want, you know. Um, are, you, are you far apart right now in those uh, contract talks? I, I, you know, my manager's taking care of it. My, my team's taking care of it right now, so I'm like, Really, I haven't got too deep in it, but we'll find out. Okay. Is, is is it fair to say that you're on the contract that you were on before winning the belt, and as a result of defending the belt once, you think things should change? Oh, that definitely will definitely should change. But the whole, the fact that my challenger, you know, made more money than last fight was just kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, had you known that going into the fight, would you have tried to change that? Oh, of course. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's not really fair. You're, you're making money off me in my hometown, and you're giving the man that's a challenger that has never won a title, and that in, in the UFC, you're giving him more money. Do you think part of the problem in the sport is that we don't truly know what everyone is making, so it's hard to gauge? Like, if you're a basketball player, you know what the other top point guards are making, so you can sort of gauge your market value. In MMA, you don't because everything is private. Well, it's private to an extent, you know, and until, you know, after the fight, but I just, you know, you know, I just I felt like, you know, um, <clears throat> just felt like I was kind of crapped on a little bit, you know, and just, uh, you know, I try to, you know, do his right and, you know, work with them and they just <clears throat> didn't give me a great deal. And, I, you know, that's my own fault, but also that's, they knew, they knew what they were doing. They took my kindness for weakness. Really? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, just they... I was just working with them, trying to work with them. Didn't want to cause any rifts or rough, any rifts in the, you know, in, in, in with the staff. And you know, they gave me, you know, I thought it was a good deal. They told me it was the best deal they could do, and I said, "Oh, okay, great." And then, come to find, it wasn't. So, so you feel like you were kind of uh, this company guy doing everything that they were asking you to, and and as a result, you got this deal um, that maybe wasn't favorable to you. And if you would make more noise, cause a stink. That wouldn't happen in hindsight. Uh, there's no question. Yeah, there's no question. Of course, you know they want they want that, but I'm also the heavyweight champ. You know, I mean, yeah. the best man on the planet. You know, so that's definitely a little pulling, a little bit more pulling power. Of course, and you defended the title, and you sold out the arena. How many heavyweight champions have done that? Hmm. I should be. You want me to come in there and do the talks or what? Uh, no, then I'll, I'll, I'll probably get laid off. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What is that supposed to mean, Stipe? Jeez. I'm just joking, brother. Jeez. Um, you were in New York um, for 205, right? Were you at the fight at MSG? Yep. Yeah, yep. It was awesome. Um, and, and I'm told that you went around to some of the, the, the firehouses uh, locally. Yep. What was that like for you? It was great. You know, I was doing a thing for the Fallen Fire Found, uh, the National Fallen Firefighter Foundation. And I just mean those guys, and those guys are those guys are animals. I mean, geez, how many calls they go on a day? It's pretty ridiculous. And I was just lucky to meet them and see what they do day to day. And uh, you know, it was amazing. 
so for those that aren't in the in in that industry, like what's the difference between the amount of calls they take as opposed to someone who works at your fire department, like in terms of activity? Night and day. <laughs> Night and, like are they are they taking double the amount of calls in a twenty four hour period? Oh yeah, I, I mean yeah, I mean they don't they even work twenty four hours. I think they work like eight or twelve hours and they you know switch every you know. Um, wow. But they they I mean I've been they had fifty calls in the, in the, in, a, in a time. I mean it was crazy. It was just. Listening to them, I just you know made me feel like I was a little boy. <laughs> wow! Did you know that before meeting them? No. Oh wow! And and this group that you're talking about, the you said it was the National Firefighters Association, Fallen Fighter Fighters. What's that? What's the name of the group that you were representing? National the- Fall National Fallen Firefighter Foundation. And and what 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 do, what do they do specifically? What's that? Like what's what's I'm their breaking up a little bit? Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. What does that group, what does that organization do for it, firefighters? It, you know, it's just, it's just a foundation, you know, helps out with um, the families who have, you know, fallen and stuff like that. Okay. And, uh, and stuff like that. And so I, I sold t-shirts and, you know, every t-shirt that we sold, I, I was um, given $8 away for all years of bad service for every t-shirt I sold. Okay. I wow. back to the foundation. So you're a part of that group? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Out, yeah. Are you one of the spokespersons or the faces of it because of who you are in the MMA world? Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, whether or not, all I cared about was just helping out and just, you know, being, doing a good part. Great stuff. Love that. Yeah. Um, and, and so to put a bow on everything, Steve, and we do appreciate the time, uh, is it fair to say that uh, unless your contract changes that you're not that eager to fight? No, I'm, listen, I love fighting, man. I'll fight anyone, but, you know, you got to make it right. Okay, so so you are you are going to sort of wait until they rectify it in 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 your eyes. Well, I mean, yeah, well, well, you'll see. I'll see. Yeah, you, you, you'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll, just, okay. we'll play by ear. You're, you are confident though that things will be rectified. Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I wish you the best. Looking forward to your That's return. Right, thank and, you. And, and thank you for for talking about it. And please treat Edwin with respect. He's a great guy, and we'll miss him dearly. No problem, but I got you. All right. Thank you, Stipe. All right. Stipe Miocic. How about that? Didn't expect that. Sometimes hard to get Stipe to open up, um, as, as, as you saw. But, I mean, clearly a company guy, in my opinion. Y- you try to get him to call out a fighter, ask for a fighter's have a say on or a take on the, the, the division that's not happening. But so you can only, I, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's telling cause you can only imagine if he's going to even open up a little bit about the contract situation deep down privately, how he truly feels about it to even get that felt significant. But back to the original point that sort of led to this, who is the number one contender in the UFC heavyweight division? I don't know. I mean, we all thought it was going to be the winner of Kane Verdum. That's not happening. Kane coming off the surgery, Verdum sort of waiting and seeing. Uh, we're told that they wanted to do the JDS fight at 207. They wanted to do it in Halifax after Stefan Struve fell off. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. So who is the number one contender in the heavyweight division? It's kind of open right now. I wouldn't be surprised if Kane or Verdum gets it and they just kind of, you know, cut their losses. But what if this contract thing puts them on ice for, for longer than expected? 
Interesting stuff. All right. In a minute, uh, we are going to be joined by Mark Hunt. So much going on in the world of MMA. It never ends. Boom. My computer froze earlier, which was very sad. It got me all nervous. We, we always kind of have a little bit of a panic attack when our computer freezes, don't we? Mark Hunt has been in the news. Last week it was announced that he filed a lawsuit against Zufa, Dana White, and Brock Lesnar. He has been on this show twice, post UFC 200. You know the story by now. Upset after finding out that Brock Lesnar failed two drug tests, one out of competition, one in competition. The out of competition test results came back after UFC 200 asked for Brock Lesnar's entire purse, asked for a clause put in his contract that he would get the entire purse of his opponent if they failed their next drug test, if they're booked against him and, and, and failed the drug test. Um, that did not appear to happen, was offered multiple fights, had to turn them down out of his own principles, Eventually, he accepted a fight against Alistair Overeem at UFC 209, March 4th in Las Vegas. That was not that long ago. And then I believe Wednesday, it was announced, excuse me, Tuesday, Tuesday evening, it was announced that he had filed this uh, lawsuit against, as I said, Zufa, Dana White, and Brock Lesnar. It is an involved case. It is a very interesting case. It's an unprecedented case. It's uh, you know, it, it's a lot more complex than someone like myself can break down for all of you. So I wanted to have not only Mark, but his lawyer, Christina Denning, on the program to explain it to us, break it down for us, and, and really explain what it all means and where they go from here. So we're now being joined by Mark Hunt, who is in Australia, and Christina Denning, who's in the United States. First off, Mark, are you there? Yeah, you know I'm just. Um, I mean, I'm just uh, put this on my casting. No problem. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, Christine, are you there? Thanks, I am. Sure. Great. Uh, well, it is a great pleasure to have you both on. I, I appreciate the time. And Mark, as always, appreciate you coming on early morning um, in Australia. Um, Mark, let me start with you. How long ago did you reach out to Christina to you know to file this lawsuit? I reached out to my my um, my manager Mike um, um, when this incident happened about um, about this a while ago. Um, after the results, like I'm not really salty. I've been lost, but I lost fairly. Um, but um, there's a dinner tomorrow, right? So, um, so yeah, I reached out to Mike, and Mike reached out to uh, Christina. Uh, Christina, when you were approached about taking on this case, did you know anything about either A, you know, the current state of mixed martial arts and its contracts, and B, specifically the Mark Hunt situation? You know, I did I not. Know, in honesty, uh, one of the things about me is I, I tend to take on uh, the underdog, 
in uh, high-profile cases, but uh, I'm new to the UFC, UFC contracts. The first thing I did was review the applicable contracts before moving forward with the case. And obviously, me pairing up with with Mark's manager, Mike, has really been helpful because that's provided me, you know, I'm just a dumb litigator. It's provided me with the background that I need uh, in order to how long into your research, into your, your, your sort of background checking, did you recognize that, A, there was a big issue here and this is something that was worth your while? Was it apparent right from the start or did it involve some digging? Uh, it, it basically involved a number of conference calls with my client just to get up to speed uh, with sort of the pattern of behavior. Uh, the first thing that I did uh, in terms of, you know, doing my research is I prepared and sent a number of requests for documents pursuant to Public Records Act requests. And the responses that I got uh, from the various entities, um, it was useful because, you know, if you've read the complaint, there are some very specific allegations regarding a pattern of conduct. And, you know, that's the whole thing about a racketeering and a fraud claim. You just can't generally allege those causes of action. You really have to have um, specifics down to dates, times, people that were involved. And so it's really been a process over the past couple of months putting putting this together. Um, you know, I have, I have been in communication with the UFC, you know, hoping to resolve this short of having to file the lawsuit. Uh, but ultimately, here we are. Yeah, and of course, that didn't happen. You filed the lawsuit last week. Um, again, for the layman, can you tell us what the charges are? Well, there's a number of causes of action. The the, the, the most important ones are the racketeering of, uh, claim and the, the fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud claims. Uh, there are some equitable claims like unjust enrichment thrown in there, which is basically a cause of action that says, hey, this isn't fair. Um, and some breach of contract, uh, but really the, the, the key claims are for the racketeering and for the fraud. And, and it really all centers around um, two things. Uh, one, the thing that, that's really uh, troubling is the uh, four-month exemption that was granted to Brock Lesnar. And when you combine that with the history of doping in the UFC, uh, get where we need to go, which is a pattern of conduct that the UFC and others have engaged in for the main purpose of financial gain. And that's in, in, in clo as close to layman's terms as I can get for racketeering. You really have to have a pattern of criminal conduct that is done for the sole purpose of profiting. Mm. Um, Mark, you have said that you have turned down multiple fights because they wouldn't put this clause that you were asking for in the contract stating that you would get your opponent's purse if they failed a drug test. But um, eventually you did sign the bout agreement to fight Alistair Overeem. Why did you do that? Well, it was uh, the last thing they said to me was, if you didn't take this fight, it'll go against your contract. You know, so they, they put, me in a I mean, I put me in a position like, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you guys, uh, you, this is their forces fight on me, pretty much. So you would have continued to hold out if they didn't say that? 
Well, that was the last word uh, that was typed in the letter that was sent to me, you know. So to be honest, I mean, like, I reached out to Alice, I reached out to the UFC by putting in a clause to help with this, because uh, it's not been one, it's been three fighters in a row, and if I had taken the fight at Melbourne against Barnett, it would have been four fighters in a row. Mm. You know, it's, it's just ridiculous. The pattern just continues, and, you know, um, I reached out to the UFC, like I said, and then to Alice, and there was no reply. So what am I supposed to do? And then they say, oh, well, you better take this fight or else. Well, well, what? Right? Did you ask that? Well, and let me just jump uh, in sure. here. That uh, would have pissed me off. <laughs> go ahead, Christina. <laughs> um, from the outside, I flew out to Vegas, and it must have been around September, to try to accomplish two things, to make the Brock Lesnar situation with UFC 200, uh, that situation right, and to also talk about a provision in contracts moving forward um, that really would help deter um, deter you know doping in this already really dangerous sport. So lines of communication were open throughout that process, including during the times when Mark was offered the other fight. Uh, with respect to the Overeem fight, uh, it's something that the UFC put in writing that if he wasn't going to take this fight, that he would be considered to be in breach of his agreement. So, um, you know, at this point, we had already made efforts to get a, a provision in the contract, which I think needs to be there. And we'd already we'd already tried to come up with some sort of a resolution for UFC 200, uh, but unfortunately we weren't able to do so, and um, he, you know, he took the fight. And, and I'm sure you've looked at the contract. Are they legally within their rights to enforce any action on Mark if he would have turned down this Alistair Overeem fight on March 4th? Well, and I'm sure that they have lawyers that would, would say, you know, the answer to that is yes, and on in response to that, I would say, well, there are all sorts of different um, uh, defenses that we would have to that claim. Uh, but, you know, Mark, it's also important to keep in mind that he's turned down a couple million dollars worth of fights. Uh-huh. I'm holding out, holding out for what he, you know, what he's believing in and, and, and what this lawsuit is all about. So uh, those two factors... You know, he's turned down the money, and then he gets called out on, you know, a possible, a possible breach of his contract and what's he supposed to do. And he wants to fight. How much money are you seeking from the UFC? Well, there's no real amount that you can put on it in, the, in terms of the lawsuit. You know, when you are suing uh, a smaller, more not profitable uh, entity or when you're suing somebody that doesn't make that much money, um, then the punitive damages that you would be entitled to would be based on the net worth. And, you know, here, our, our, our damages include a number of different things, but punitive damages is one of them. So uh, there really isn't an amount that we can put on it. Okay. And are you hoping, like, so there, there was a, um, a, a hypothesis thrown out there that sign the bout agreement, come out with the lawsuit and now they can't, you know, they can't do anything um, as far as taking the fight away from Mark. Are you hoping that remains the case? Like, can they, have they shown any uh, intention of now taking this fight? Because it's unprecedented to have a lawsuit against the UFC and then continue to fight for them and remain on the card. Do you have any idea if they're going to try to do that? Well, I haven't heard from them, okay. so I have no, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the fight's moving forward. I haven't heard anything otherwise. Um, 
while it is an unprecedented thing here, uh, you know, when we're talking about the UFC, uh, it really isn't much different than any other sort of, you know, employment or contractual relationship that two parties might have where, you know, there's nothing keeping Mark from continuing to, to, to fight under this contract. I mean, the claims that, that he has against his, his you know, the UFC, a, a party to a contract that he's into, uh, they don't have anything to do with his ability to, to actually fight. So, um, you know, while it, it might seem uncomfortable or unprecedented, I mean, think of a situation where uh, you've got a sexual harassment claim mm-hmm. by someone and the, the, the woman or the man or, or whoever is, is still continuing to perform under their contract while pursuing you know, their claim separately. Mm-hmm. Mark, is this uncomfortable for you in the sense that you're going to have to go out to Las Vegas to fight on this card and this is probably still going to be pending? Does this make you feel uneasy at all? No, it doesn't make me feel uneasy at all. I don't put myself in the situation. Right. I hate it. Uh-huh. I don't really, um, but I don't feel, I'm not uncomfortable at all. I mean, shucks, I, if you want me to work, I'll go and work. But, you know, if, if it, I mean, if I can't get the fair uh, circumstance that I'm asking for, well, then this is how it's got to be. You know, you want to uh, help me out with, with, with what I'm asking, which is pretty fair. I'm not asking, you know, I'm asking for what even playing field is all I'm asking. Did they? You know, you've done wrong already, so you need to pay for that. Did they ever give you? Know, you have done wrong okay. already. That needs to be sorted. And all I'm asking is an even playing field moving forward, you know, from this from this dollars, and that still didn't get looked at. So you know, it's not kind of uncomfortable for me. I mean, I'm a fighter for God's sake. I mean, I get beaten up for a living. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're 100 percent right. Did they ever give you a specific reason why they wouldn't put this clause in? And and let me take that one sure. if you don't mind. I have no idea. Um, Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it is true. It's an interesting dynamic. So the UFC anti-doping policy. It allows for the UFC to actually uh, punish uh, Brock Lesnar by actually taking his entire purse back from him, plus all of the pay-per-view proceeds. It's right there in the in the in the policy, and they could have exercised that um, that option. Uh, what's interesting is before before Brock Lesnar did have his due process to go through because we didn't know if he was going to challenge the findings of the, of the doping violations. Right. Yeah. So while that process was pending, you know, the UFC brought up a point, which was the Nevada athletic commission pursuant to the statutes in Nevada, they have the ability to also impose penalties on Brock. And so the UFC says, well, Hey, you know, he hasn't even been found to have, you know, we don't know if he's going to challenge this, if, he, if he's going to fight it, and if he's going to win. So how are we supposed to impose the penalties that our own policy has when they're in conflict with the, with the regulations? So I said, okay, flew back home, San Diego, we waited. Um, there was a, a continuance or two of the Lesnar hearing. Yep. And then, then it comes out with the stipulation. Well, the stipulation didn't admit to intent, on the part of Brock, but it didn't dispute the presence of those uh, substances in his system, which are in violation of the anti-doping regulations. So then we said, okay, UFC, he's, you know, the the Nevada Athletic Commission has imposed a $250,000 fine. That's, you know, and a suspension. Why don't 
why don't you exercise your ability to take back the difference between the purse and between the fine amount plus his pay-per-view proceeds, which it says right here that you can do, but they wouldn't do it. And so we've gone through an evolving, you know, negotiation with the UFC. Um, It's not based on, there's nothing in, and and I want to be clear about this, there's nothing in Mark's contract with respect to UFC 200 that says if Brock's found to be cheating, then these are going to be the penalties. And I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to suggest to anyone out there that, that that is in the contract because Mm. we, we acknowledge that it is not. But what we're saying is, Hey, you have all these avenues out there in terms of cracking down on the use of banned substances. And the Nevada athletic commission has its list of penalties that it can give. And the UFC has its list of penalties that it can give, but neither one of them is doing, you know, the maximum amount of punishment. So, you know, what incentive does Brock, who's coming from a one-off, who, you know, admits that he was, he was in negotiations for three months before June of last year, which would put us at four months before the actual fight, what's to prevent him from just sitting on his hands, not signing a bout agreement, you know, getting all the drugs out of his system, and then testing clean on the first few tests, right? And then when he gets right up close to there, he knows what his big payday is going to be. And he, and he can see what the precedent is for the fines and penalties that are imposed on him. And so that's, you know, that's the basis of what our requests and demands have been. And it's really, you know, something that, that Mark is owed, uh, in my opinion, based on the conduct of the UFC and Brock Lesnar leading up to this fight. And and did the UFC, Christina, give you any specific reason why they would not punish Brock the way you're suggesting they should have? Uh, the only thing that I've heard is we we've honored our commitments to Mr. Lesnar, and and that was in response to my question uh, shortly after UFC 200. When I say shortly after, I mean probably in September, which was, hey, did you guys pay him? And that was the answer. Did, did, has Brock Lesnar been paid? The answer was, we've honored our commitments to Mr. Lesnar. I don't know what that means, but that's the only response I've, I've, I've gotten. Mark, you always, you always said that you wanted to wait and see what the Nevada Athletic Commission did. Um, what was your reaction to the punishment they gave Brock Lesnar? Well, I mean, pretty much it's a slap on the wrist. It's, it's, it's not even a punishment, to be honest. I mean, he took the money that he made that night and paid that fine. I mean, like I said, if, 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 someone, if I had died that night, would that punish be, be the same? Yeah. People say, you didn't die, but, but if someone had, uh, further up down the field, if someone dies and, and they give up those penalties, do you think people will understand that that's a, that's a harsh enough penalty? No, it isn't. I think we need to punish these cheaters in the pocket to start with, and then it'll make all these other, as a deterrent for all these other cheaters to come along and say, well, we don't get no money for it. Well, then why do it? You know, to be honest, I don't think it's harsh enough at all, no. And so right now, you're going to continue to fight for the UFC, but is it fair to say that in a perfect world, like the, the, the best case scenario would be that they let you go so that you don't have to deal with these rules anymore? Is, is on top of the monetary, you know, damages that you're seeking, would you, would you like to be released? Well, that was, that was on them, though, you know I mean? I, I, I was, I, I'm on a contract with them, and they're on the contract with me. Yeah. Okay. 
them that I couldn't go anywhere else. So, I mean, like, um, that's, that, that's, that's the position right now it is. So if I couldn't work anywhere else, and I'm still trying to get my, my fair, fair deal in this thing, well, what am I supposed to do? If they're going to let me go, let me go. At least I can go work somewhere else. You know, my family, I've got to look after my family and my commitments as well. And he just can't sit me at the back of the bus without having any, having any work. You just can't do that. And, and of course... Regardless of whether you're trying to do that, so... Alistair Overeem has a history with PEDs. Were you hesitant to take this particular fight? You could have taken another fight with a guy who doesn't, like... Why Overeem? Well, it's not... It's not I don't make these choices. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't ask to fight anybody. All I ask is to fight the best fighters in the world. All I'm doing was when they say, do you fight this person? I say, yes, because I'm employed with them. So when they say, oh, do you, would you fight this guy? Of course I'd fight. I'd fight anybody in the world. And all I was asking for was a, 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 an even playing field. I, put, I tried to put a clause in. I reached out to Alistair. I, and, you know, all the doors were closed. So, you know, this is why we're here now. Sure. Because of this situation. You want to close the doors on me? We're here now. So what are we going to do? And Mark, what do you so say? Like I said, I, I don't have to fight anyone. They they just say, "Would you fight this person?" And I say, "Yes." Yeah. I can't pick and choose who I fight. Otherwise, everyone will pick the easiest fighter they can, and then go and fight and be the world world's best. <laughs> what do you say to the people who point to the interview that you did beforehand when you said that Brock was juiced to the gills? That you know, you you knew the situation, you knew the playing field, you knew what to expect. What do you say? Well, to them? knowing, knowing, and, and, and people say that knowing. I mean, knowing and assuming are two different things. I mean, I assume a lot of stuff. I mean, looking at the guy, he comes from a personal background. I didn't actually know these things. I'm always going to say, "Well, he he looks like he's cheating." Of course, I'm going to say it because that's the way I am. I say things that I well, I see, I, I see it how I say it. So, I mean, I'm not going to just say. I mean, I, I didn't actually go test it myself. But I mean, everyone says, "Oh, you knew." He said, well. I don't actually. I didn't actually know. Assuming someone is doping is different from knowing. Mm. That's the difference here. I mean, I, I didn't. Know. I mean, I mean, I assume everybody's on an even playing field up at the top end until you, until they get caught up in us. And then then it ruins everything. Okay, unless I actually t- t- uh, tested myself, then 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 I wouldn't know. And and that's that's one of the allegations in our in our complaint is that you know the the USC has a non delegable duty here this isn't you know especially considering that they granted the exemption they could have paid a nominal fee to expedite the results uh-huh. uh, they could have done something to you know to make sure that this guy um, wasn't used to the gills and and they didn't that's not mark's responsibility and again having admitted that i'm not an expert in in the ufc and the history and 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 of the sport uh I'd imagine that there's a certain level of, of talking smack that goes on before the fights, right? I mean, that's part of the whole, yeah. that's part of the whole thing is, is, is being able to say, Hey, I'm going to kick your ass to your opponent. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't know. And especially since, you know, Mark wasn't involved in the legal side of it. He didn't, you know, have the um, task of breaking this pattern of behavior down beforehand. Um, he didn't, he didn't conduct all the research and do the public records act requests and find the pattern before he fought and then knowingly go into it. I mean, and, and if, 
you know, I've been monitoring the comments and, and the, the feedback from, from people out there that are reading the articles. And that's the number one, that's the number one thing that they're quick to point out. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the UFC's obligation to ensure an evil, even playing field in the sport and fair competition. In your complaint, you cite the, U, the UFC 152 situation with Vitor Belfort. Do you believe, Christina, that the UFC has a history of covering up PD usage before fights? Well, that's exactly what our complaint alleges. Okay. Do you have... And in that, one, yep, and in but, that 152 fight, I don't know if you read in the complaint, but the email that went out. Yep. So you've got, you've got a fight that's happening and... and some people are privy to the information that the other person is, you know, has 2.5 times the allowed or not the normal amount of steroids in their system. But, but you know, what do they do? They throw them in the ring with somebody. So without that person knowing. So again, for the layman, what are the next steps now? You file the lawsuit. Now what happens? Well, as of Friday, when I checked on it, it was out for service. Okay. Um, which means that that'll trigger uh, the deadline uh, for for the defendants to respond, which will be within the next thirty days. Okay. Um, they may uh, each defendant will have that certain allotted amount of time, so it will depend on on who gets served first. I imagine Brock might be a little bit more difficult to find, and then we are going to um, wait for them to file a responsive pleading, which uh, will likely uh, be in the form of a motion to attack our complaint and have some of the co- causes of action thrown out, but um, but we're ready for that. How long does it take for something like this to resolve? I know they're all different, but like, are we looking at multiple years or could it be shorter? And and I haven't been tracking the the, the that particular district court. I do have some cases in in you know Southern California district court, and your average time frame is probably one and a half to, to two years. Uh, from start to finish Um, but it could be quicker or it could be longer and and, and especially considering uh, the nature of the case and uh, the defendants you know it can there can be emotions filed and this could drag on for for a while but but we have a team assembled and the resources to to do what we can to push it along mark how many fights do you have left on your contract I have, um, I think about five fights. I don't, I okay. don't know. I mean, they've offered me two. I said no. So, um, about five. Okay. And, you know, obviously you're taking on some heavy hitters here. Like financially, is this, is this a problem for you to be involved in something like this? Well, of course it's always a problem, but it's what's right. You know what I mean? Like, this is not, uh, so I, if I say no to, to, to this, I'm just, people say it's about money. Well, it's, it's about grabbing the cheaters' money. It's about checking uh, the, the cheating out of, out of the sport and make it even. Uh, it's about um, an even playing field for me at the end of the day. And um, I mean, I mean, I didn't sign the contract with the, the regardless of how you dress it up. Um, cheating is cheating. And I mean, I signed a contract to fight someone that's that's not doping. To be honest, all the guys aren't doping. You know, and regardless, is that they're heavy hitters because people put. It. I mean, every every celebrity entertain every company is put there by people, normal people. They don't get to their, their position without being people going following them, okay? Without the people, there's, not, there's no companies. Yeah. they got to remember that. Do you feel comfortable with the idea of this being your legacy, Mark? I mean, if you win this, this is, again, unprecedented. It's seismic. 
is does that like do you think about that sort of thing this is my way of changing the sport you know you kind of your story is such a unique one with how you came into the ufc and all that stuff but this this will change everything well to be honest you know like i said i didn't even want to be a fighter if you read my book you'll understand me totally this is um like i said i didn't want to be a fighter i'm here now i mean i've fought for many many years now 27 years or something i probably eat 15 or something at the top end of two different sports and this is just another fight. This is just something I thought was wrong. I mean, I have understood it. You know, it's just it's just become a pattern to me that's happening. You know, one of these times, if I if I said no to, to doing this, and I'll be like, oh well, then I'm just going to go back in the, in the octagon and uh, just get uh, get a paycheck and be like everyone else. But you know, no, it's not right. Um, I, I know my life is at risk. All these fighters are putting the clean guys are putting their lives on the line here. These guys that are cheating, are, uh, you know, they're assaulting. Or I think it's our assault and battery on the guys that aren't cheating because the contract we signed and they signed is not to, to allow themselves to enhance themselves. So, you know, that's actually a, a criminal offense, I feel. You know, and, 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 and I think until someone dies is, is when people are going to realize that. Someone's going But if someone's going to die, they're going to go, well, that guy was cheating and, uh, you know, what are we going to do about it? Well, give him a year fine and a $250,000. Well, what about his... Uh, it's ridiculous. And 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 Mark, the pattern, the pattern has been continuing, sure. and I'm over. So the pen has happened to me so many times. I mean, I, I take a loss like a man all the time. But when this sort of stuff happens, it just keeps continuing. Then I gotta say something. I'm not gonna go to the back of the bus and sit down. Hell no. You get to the fucking back of the bus. Have you heard from other fighters, Mark, since you filed this lawsuit in support of you? Well, I mean, I can't really. You know, I'm um, coming on other fighters is what other fighters are doing is what other fighters are doing. You know, I mean, they have their own reasons why they don't stand up and say something. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're employees, but, you know, even though the company says we're not employees, I mean, without us, they're nothing. Mm-hmm. People people forget that. Without without the fighters, without the people, these companies won't be nothing. Um, I have two last questions for you, Christina, and I, I really appreciate both of your, your time here today. Um, have you... Given your history and being someone who's new to the sport, the state of UFC contracts is a hot topic in our sport. From your perspective, are these are these problematic? I mean, on top of the PD stuff, based on your your research, your knowledge, your experience, do you agree with those who say that the the contracts are, you know, not really in favor of the fighters? Okay, so I am. You know, my my history is as a litigator. I'm not a sports manager. I'm not Mark's manager. Um, I'm not his agent. And I don't negotiate those contracts. However, with that said, uh, one thing that I find troubling, at least with respect to this issue, is the fact that the UFC anti-doping policy, it models, it, it models itself. It models itself off of the world anti-doping policy, which acts, and it states it right in the contract, and it states that one of the goals is to have the best doping program in the world and, and to ensure a level playing field. So in, in this instance, the world doping program actually has a provision in it, which is similar to the one that we're asking for, that Mark's asking for, with respect to, you know, taking the money and the winnings back from the person that's found to have been doping and give it to the non-cheating competitor. Mm -hmm. And so where I I see a problem with respect to just this lawsuit only, and I can't speak intelligently 
about you know the the state of affairs for employment as to all UFC fighters or the state of the contracts if they're independent contractors. But I can say that I think it's problematic that that a, a policy that models itself off of the world anti anti doping program doesn't in fact do so. And I also think um, that it's troubling that it appears to, at least with respect to. Um, the you know the Nevada Athletic Commission and its jurisdiction over imposing penalties. It seems like there's a, a couple of things that could be ironed out with respect to having the doping program actually coordinate in a better way uh, with the NAC's jurisdiction than it currently does. Hmm. And this might be a tough question for you to answer, but I'll ask anyways, do you expect them to try and settle beforehand or are you, are you expecting them to, to, to try to fight you in court? Can, can you even, I don't know, uh, guess as to what direction this will go in? I can't, but I'm buckling down, you know, for a fight. Okay. So, uh, so, you know, I, I, my phone hasn't rang and I'm not sitting around, uh, waiting for it to ring. Okay. Um, wow. Fascinating stuff. Um, anything else that I didn't ask you just in, in the interest of, you know, me not knowing, you know, not being a lawyer, is there any other, um, element to this that you would like to address or, or, or clear up while we have this platform? No, I think, um, I think you've done a great job of covering, you know, a lot of what people are wondering about. Okay. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough. I wish you the best and Mark appreciate the time as always. Good luck training for the fight and hope to see you out there in Las Vegas. Best of luck to both of you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Take a chance. Bye. All right. There he is, Mark Hunt and his lawyer, Christina Denning. Uh, fascinating stuff. Fascinating times. Wow. An active UFC fighter, um, a fairly popular one, a contender, if you will, involved in a lawsuit with not only Zufa, Dana White, and Brock Lesnar. I did reach out to the UFC uh, late last week to get any kind of comment from them on this, but they declined to comment at this time, which I expected, but wanted to give them the opportunity to say anything if they wanted to. Um, and I'm curious to see, do they try to settle? Do they try to fight? Wow. And of course, there's the Brock Lesnar um, element to all of this. Really, really fascinating stuff. And say this about Mark Hunt. He is a man of his word. He said if that Nevada Athletic Commission punishment um, was what he expected it to be. And if they did not put in that clause, that he would seek legal damages. And he has done just that. And you wonder, one guy, one fighter against three behemoths, you know, how long can he sustain that? But uh, kudos to him for at least saying, or I should say doing what he said he was going to do, sticking true to his word. Uh, that, you know, for whatever it's worth, I think that's honorable. So we wish him the best and, and and hopefully they can find some kind of resolution where everyone is happy and able to move on and he can resume his uh, his career. He returns March 4th, at least for now. Okay, uh, just a few minutes left in the program. Uh, I do believe that there was a bit of a stream issue, but we have uh, we have rectified that, correct? New York Rick, was that your doing? Yeah. It is yeah. a bit of a quiet I, day I, here I, today. I tripped over a wire and uh, yeah, that's typical. we unplugged it. That is um, typical. No, but there was there was a stream outage. We took care of it. We're back in business. Any final thoughts on the Phoenix card? We have uh, we have talked about BJ Penn. Yes. We did not address uh, Joe Lozon losing a mm. very close split decision, and then immediately on the microphone I would afterwards, love to talk about this, saying I lost. That's the wrong call. He deserved to win. 
Holy smokes. What can you say about Joe Lozon? I love Joe's honesty. I love Joe feeling like he lost. Now, we'll remember uh, a very um, memorable time that this happened, at least for me, because I was in attendance. UFC 123 in Detroit. Rampage Jackson, surprised, feeling like he edged out a decision over Machida that he may or may not have reserved after he reviews the tape and kind of separates himself from the moment and, you know, separates himself from, from the fight by, by a little bit of time, comes back and says that he ultimately feels like he won the fight. I think Joe will, Joe will be able to, you know, have a clearer analysis um, after a little bit of time. He had just left the cage. He hasn't reviewed the film. He hasn't, you know, uh, he, he just got out of it. Um, the adrenaline was still going. Once he settles down and reviews it, I think he'll be more clear-headed. Now, I don't know if he will still think uh, Marcin held uh, one. I don't know if he will uh, then change his mind to think that he won. But I think that giving that separation is important for him to to get the clarity that he needs. Um, but kudos to him for reacting and, and feeling like he was giving an honest account of, of what happened there. But I don't think that that's the best time to do it. I think he he will he will have a clearer picture of what happened with a little bit of, of time between it and, and looking at it, uh, you know, from, from an outside angle. Who do you think won? I think Joe won. Oh, wow. I think that Joe won, uh, the first round. Uh, he, he, one judge gave it 30 to 27 for Marcin. Don't, don't like that score. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say this, the, the action in the first round, um, Marcin seemed a little bit more in control toward the end of the round, but Joe, um, knocking him down, um, made, made the difference for me. He was landing harder. And, and I think um, round one was for Lozon for me. Now, round two is the one where I think there's controversy because some people will say Marcin Held um, controlled Joe for four minutes and what, you know, 45 seconds of that round um, with, with very little... Um, with very little uh, uh, wavering in, in that. Uh, it, it was pretty much his round until uh, Joe got the submission attempt. And for me, that was really the only significant portion of that round. Uh, Marcin was not doing enough with his top position for me to be able to award him that round. Now, granted, I can understand if somebody has a differing opinion and, and awards that round to Marcin and then therefore gives him two and three. I think, I think we're all in agreement that three uh, Marcin held one. Joe didn't have uh, uh, as much of a response. But in round two, I think Joe was pretty close to to getting that submission. Um, and I think that that was by far the most significant action of that round. I don't think Marcin did uh, enough to counter that, even though he had control for a, a very long period of time. Um, for me, I scored that second round for Joe Lozon. And I don't think I'm alone. I think if anybody had that fight that way, that's how they would have scored it. Mm. Um, but... I think I'm I'm in the minority for sure just because the the media scores on on the great website mmadecisions.com uh were all for Marcin. So, um I don't think I don't think there will be many people in agreement, but I I think uh there's a reasonable case to be made that that round 2 was should be scored for Lozon. All right, fair enough. But I think that he may separate himself, take a few days, review the footage and say I still think Marcin held one and um you know, who, who knows better than him? He, he felt like he was controlled in that fight, and clearly he was. Uh, I just think that Marcin didn't do enough around round two. So admirable, though, to see it's, someone it's in a incredible. Close just come out right away and say, no, 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 that, that was wrong, and that guy deserved to win. Um, and he said he's going to call to fight for his job yeah, yeah, yeah. because that would make it, what, three in a row or four in I a row? I think it would be two in the UFC for Marcin Held. Really? That's it? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I mean, the days of guys getting cut after two losses in a row, I think, are long gone. But yeah, yeah. that was just his second fight, and he lost a unanimous decision to Diego Sanchez. Um, three of four overall, but that was Bellator yeah, that's, days. That's that's okay. Yeah. I don't think he's going anywhere. No, especially such a close fight. But um, Lozon's a man. Ben that. Saunders, close win over Court McGee. I hate when the fighters in a fight like that have to apologize. Yeah, feel I feel like they need. It's just it bothers me. Like you don't have to apologize to anyone. You showed up to work. You fought in a yeah. cage against another man. Uh, yeah, I know fans could do whatever they want and they're well within their rights and they bought the tickets, blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to apologize. You really don't. Um, Sergio Pettis with a win over John Moraga. Otherwise, great. yeah, look great. Um, of no, we got we to gotta give a shout out to Alexi Olenek for the Ezekiel choke, uh, yep. the first in UFC history. That man is a behemoth. I mean, that <laughs> is a bear. To do that to a guy, um, <laughs> you're on your back. Your opponent is in mount. Yep. It's just amazing. I mean, the strength that you must possess to pull that off is unimaginable. Victor Pesta gets uh, submitted by Alexi Olenek. Just an amazing win. And like I said, historic. It's never been done in the UFC before. And uh, also of note, Nina Ansaroff, the partner of one Amanda Nunes with a nice win for her and a great moment inside the cage with just a few uh, a few seconds left in the in the fight she submits Jocelyn Jones Liebarger any other performance that really stood out for you there were yeah, a couple um, of great KOs early on Mike Goldberg yeah Mike Goldberg in the crowd in the what crowd the at UFC Phoenix if you've parted ways with your you know with your employer would you be in the crowd the first fight afterwards I mean, maybe this is going to be a thing. Maybe Mike Goldberg uh, every time at every UFC event doing the hang loose thing. Yeah, you were at Invicta. I was at Invicta. Yeah. What should we highlight here before we go? Um, Tremendous amount of finishes. Uh, yeah, it was a great card. Um, Megan Anderson's performance, obviously, against Charmaine Tweet, which um, you know should put her in good position for whichever you know one forty five pound division she ends up in. Whether it's staying with Invicta and defending her title, whether it's you know moving on to the UFC, um, clearly she's you know in the in the top echelon of one forty five. Um, there was an incredible fight with uh, uh, Celine Haga and um, Amy Montenegro, where Amy in the was it the first? I think it was the first round. Um, looked like she had an, uh, a submission and um, Haga tapped, but one split second after the bell. Yeah. So it was a submission, but not a submission. Then we come to the third round and uh, Haga chokes uh, Montenegro out before the bell rings. And now, so the controversy on that end is, besides the fact that there were two finishes that went to the bell, which is incredible, um, she was unconscious before the end of the fight, which would indicate in my, in my mind. And as far as I understand the rules, and I think, you know, we've seen John McCarthy, uh, say this since, um, if you are unconscious before, um, the fight is over, that would be a loss. Um, but it went to decision and Montenegro took the decision. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes of that, but it was, it was a bonkers fight. Um, uh, Sajara uh, Eubanks and um, and Aspen Ladd had a great uh, great back and forth fight. Um, and Aspen Ladd loves a good rash guard, doesn't she? She's always oh, that's a rash right. Guard. I saw you on Twitter with that. Her, Her and John uh, Danner. Danner, right? Need to have uh, a tete a tete. Got to keep the state of rash guards. Yeah, you got to keep the rash guards uh, stylish. KGB um, Lee with a nice return, uh, body shot, a really nice victory there. Um, overall, top to bottom, one of the best Invicta cards for sure. Wow. 
High praise. And we, we know Invicta cards are often pretty fun. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so it was a good one. Uh, Tyron Woodley and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson were booked shortly after our show last week. <laughs> I think in large part due to what we did on the show last week, we kind of kicked them in the butt. And, you pushed and the agenda along, yeah. for sure. Uh, that happened. And also Habib versus Tony Ferguson. So it's a great one-two punch. It's the fights that they wanted. Ferguson, uh, you know, stands his ground, gets the fight, uh, seems to be happy with the pay. It's for the interim belt. Does that bother you? Or can we just view these interim titles as A, um, an avenue for the fighters to get paid more and be a number one contender title who gives a crap well personally it means nothing to me so if you're asking me do i respect you know these interim titles that are being created the simple answer is no but on the on the other side of the coin if you're asking me do i want fighters to get paid more because they're considered a champion hell yes um do i want um them to be considered champions do i want them to have the prestige excuse me of saying that they were a champion in the UFC. Absolutely. Um, I think they deserve it. And especially if the, the belt is going to be hung up, but uh, Conor McGregor is not sitting on this belt for long enough for, for me yeah. to think that an interim title is the right way to go, especially in the co-main event, right? It's like, you didn't even need it yeah, for the main I, event. I can't, I can't get behind the idea that the it's, it's not that this specific fight is for an interim title. It's the concept of creating these interim titles becoming commonplace now. It just, this I, one I, is, I don't the, like it. This one might be the most bizarre of all, only because they didn't need the main event. You have an official title fight in the main event. Yeah. So it's like making Holloway I, Pettis co-main to DC Rumble interim just for the sake of making it an interim, if you get what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say that one was a little even more bizarre. No, but that one became the interim because it became the main event. But I'm saying but, if it would have remained co-main event, and you still made it interim, it's even weirder. This yeah. fight, but I like it because they're both getting paid more as a result. So then who really cares? And they're getting five rounds, which and is also- five rounds. They're getting five rounds. You're that's also important. Right. Um, so yeah, 209 is good, but they did cancel the March 3rd card, which was the night before. Um, I think hopefully a sign- that they are not just going to book dates and events and try to plug holes. I think you got Stipe Miocic, you take him to Cleveland. You got this guy, you know, Khabib, you take him to Russia. You don't try to just plug holes and, you know, and, and also maybe, you know, I think that they're paying the price for 205 when you do three title fights on one night. Then you try to do another a couple of weeks later at 206. Then you have two at 207. That's essentially five titles being tied up of your 10 in the span of a month and a half. And I still think they're trying to get back on track and trying to get those titles active again. I mean, witness the fact that right now, essentially one championship fight has been booked. Um, as far as like current champions, that's the Tyron Woodley fight. They're going to introduce another, and that's a part of the reason why they're introducing one in Brooklyn. But um, a lot of those guys are just inactive because they have to they have to get going again. Uh, Jessica Andrade and Angela Hill is being targeted for the mm -hmm. Houston event, but um, right now it's not 100% just yet. I'm told that the contracts are out, but not 100%. You hope that they're going to waive this four-month uh, you know, testing pool thing that we talked about, and uh, it seems like cooler heads prevailed there, and they came to their senses that it made no sense. So that's a that's a fun fight for the, uh, the Houston card. Robbie Lawler leaves American Top Team last week. Um, he is still not talking, still not explaining the reasons behind it. Um, so we await word from him. Evangelista Cyborg Santos has officially retired. I think we all can get behind that. Yep. Um, after, you know, the, the, the horrific injury that he uh, sustained um, in that fight against MVP. And I wanted to give a, uh, a shout out to Mike Swick, who started his own MMA website, MikeSwick.com. 
and he's doing great stuff. He interviewed me last week and I thought he had some great questions and was a great interviewer. Also, I announced late last week that I am um, that I'm doing this amazing project interview, if you will, with Conor McGregor. It's January 28th in Manchester, England. Uh, there's this uh, black tie event. They've sold 5,000 plus tickets. Uh, an experience with Conor McGregor, it's called, and you can learn more about it at anexperiencewith.com. It's this company that does these events with the likes of Al Pacino and Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sugar Ray Leonard, um, celebrities where you kind of go out, buy tickets, like you're going to see a comedic act or something like that, but here it's a live interview. And uh, they reached out to me to do the interview and I was honored and, and very excited to do this. And it's also going to be uh, airing. The tickets are sold out, I'm told. Uh, I heard that once they announced me as the interviewer, they just sold all the tickets. But uh, you can watch it live on January 28th at around 6 p.m. Eastern time on www.notoriouslive.tv. It's an iPay-per-view, just a few bucks, one hour, no holds barred, me and Connor, toe-to-toe, back together again. And what a time to interview Connor McGregor with all this Floyd Mayweather stuff. So this is in Manchester, January 28th. I'll be going for 26 hours to Manchester to do this. But I'm very excited. And my one question is, will you be buying the pay-per-view, Mr. New York Rick? Uh, come on, it's must-see TV. Must-see TV. I will, will be, be there. You will be uh, turning down the opportunity to watch the Denver prelims to watch this. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, of course. Wow, of course I am honored. What? I mean, uh, you know, I love you. Wow. I love you dearly. Thank you. But it's not for you. I mean, I want to hear from Conor McGregor. Well, some have said, you know, we were excited about it, but once we found out that you're doing the interview, <laughs> our interest level went up tenfold. I, I would say that those people are probably correct. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's it's the time to hear from Conor McGregor. I'm, I'm sure. stoked that you're getting this opportunity and... Uh, I think I'm not alone in saying I will be watching for Nice. Uh, so the notorious, or excuse me, notoriouslive.tv and experiencewith.com is where you can learn more about it. Um, and a lot of people have asked me if I'll be doing any meet and greets or anything like that. I don't know why this particular time I'm being asked this, but uh, maybe, well, you know, in the hotel or something like that beforehand. Um, because I know he's doing it exactly. as well, but I'm not, yeah. I think that's why, because he's doing the meet and greets. They're probably thinking, well, if Ariel's over there too, maybe we get the, uh, the two for one combo. Right. Yeah, maybe. The cheddar makes it better. Um, three last quick things for you. A, how's your relationship with your dad? Oh, man. Are this, you guys back this is on track? What this is what you're... Are you guys back on track? Haven't I had... Okay, so... Are you still feeling all, the heat from the my Ronda? My favorite fighter, yes. BJ Penn, yes. um, loses in, in a way that I would not have liked to see him lose. Um, I'm heartbroken. Then Alan Joban comes on the show yes. and calls me, calls me yes. out like a little punk. Like, he just suns me he, yes. he destroys me now you're going back to then you what is it, the two weeks ago then i cut the stream which you know i feel bad about already yeah, yeah. then um now you're <laughs> you're going back to an award from two weeks ago and bringing my dad into it well i, mean, I just want to know end? what's life like after giving out the most ridiculous award in the history of now awards when you know what i was thinking when chael son was on the show okay he talked about his comeback yeah he talked about yeah the, the importance of a comeback and it being the second biggest thing yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. can be promoted. For drawing, not for... Yeah, and, it, and it, it came to me and it yeah. said, you know... <laughs> I can't believe you're actually doubling down on this, this right now. This concept of a comeback being being important and taking precedence and and overriding and, and this, this, this draw... That, that yeah, is yeah, associated yeah, yeah. with certain comebacks. Totally, totally. Now, not BJ Penn's comeback for the for the oh, smart that's already guys. The award for the smart the guys out there, like Casey, who are um, who 
some guy don't worry okay about. uh that uh that are that are making jokes at the expense of both bj penn and myself for the pick um no warranted no uh i i will never back down from this position um but things are great with my dad my dad is uh he's an avid watcher of the show he will be he will be happy that we're even having this discussion right now for those that don't know um i mean rick's dad browbeated him i mean he was so disappointed in him for his insane pick and then the insane logic that followed the reason why he decided to give ronda rousey yes, to come back he was, the i mean it was just fantastic stuff kudos to you for actually putting it out there but holy smokes your dad is a legend he was he was very upset with my with how stubborn yes. i was being and pedantic and um he was not the only one there were a lot of people on twitter still uh, i'd say i get you know a handful so a day five a day um, wow making fun keep of it up keep it up forever and ever Um, keep it up how about this next time you do one of those periscope thingies that you do i mean this is must see tv let's do one with your dad let's get his take on things i think that would be a very interesting periscope let's do it let's do it you and your dad i mean i tuned into the one on saturday it's you looking at yourself on your screen you say one word in the first 30 seconds you sigh you have to wait for the camera you have to wait for the question someone even asked you about me and you kind of gave this sort of no sell answer and that's when i turned it off you should have you should have I should have stuck around? Well, no. I mean, if I had said what I really felt. Oh, yeah, yeah. These Periscope things are just... I I hope you keep those up. And please bring in your dad. I I want... I might. I might. It's not a bad idea. He's the smarter one when it comes to fight Uh, stuff. All right. This is where you went with that. This Um, is where we end. Let me... Wait, let me ask you something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you addressed it when I was, you know, looking at the the stream stuff. Sure. (laughs) Um, Anderson Silva and Derek Brunson. Yes. Did we talk about... Well, we had that, Derek Brunson on. I know, but did we react to like that fight? Do you do you think that that's the the fight to make um, for an Anderson Silva coming back? Do you think that it. that's the fight for uh, Derek Brunson um, to kind of get him? I to don't the love level? the short time frame, mm-hmm. but I don't hate it. Brooklyn needed a name. Anderson wants to come back. Brunson gets a bigger name than in his last fight, which he lost somewhat spectacularly. Yeah, um, I mean, whatever you think of those rankings, they are ranked seven and eight. So, I mean, from a ranking standpoint, if that means anything to you, uh, sure. I mean, who, who would you rather Anderson fight at this well, point? Well, I, I am of the opinion that it's fine. Okay. I, I'm okay with it. I but I saw, it. I saw a lot of people saying, what? Like, what's going on here on Twitter? And I don't necessarily feel that I way. I think it just came out of left field. There were no rumbles, yeah, maybe, no rumors. Yeah. I'll tell you a fight that I think actually makes sense now that is very sellable. Weidman Anderson 3. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see that again. Eh, you could sell it. Second fight was a little weird. Anyway, that's not happening in Brooklyn, but it would have been huge for Brooklyn. Could you imagine with, oh, yeah. with Weidman? Weidman's still um, nursing some injuries, but I don't hate this fight. Brooklyn needed something. Yeah, this is a good. This is fine. Brooklyn needed something, and I still feel like the, the jury is out on Anderson right now, the state of his career. Like, who exactly is Anderson Silva? Is he the, yeah. the Diaz Anderson? Is he the Bisping Anderson? Is he the, not quite the Cormier? But, like, who is he at this point? So, I think there's enough intrigue where it gives that card a little more oomph, some beef. I'm with you. All right. That was it? That, I mean, we had some Twitter questions today, but we talked about them all throughout the show, except sure. for that one. Um, we hit them all. And we had Brunson on, so obviously that addresses it as well. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, appreciate the time, as always. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. You can hit my music. Uh, gone a little longer here, but it is a holiday, and I know you're all kind of bored at home, so I wanted to give you a little more to chew on. I also wanted to uh, send my condolences to the family of the legendary jimmy superfly snooka i used to uh, frolic in my backyard as a youngster with the superfly trunks the leopard trunks 
you know, the singlet thingies. Those, those, th- that was my thing. That was my guy. Loved Superfly. Jumping off the top rope, top of the cage, Don Morocco, MSG, 1983. I mean, that was legendary stuff. And so I was sad to hear that news that he passed away, or at least the news came out yesterday that he uh, had passed away from stomach cancer. Another great show in the books. We appreciate everyone stopping by. Uh, 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 who's who? Bunch of stuff happened today. Wow. Thank you very much to John Fish. John Fitch, excuse me. We wish him the very best, um, you know, with his health-related issues, and hopefully he can get back on track. The same with Rashad Evans. And how about that little nugget about the state of the Black Zillions? We appreciate his time very much. Best of luck to Chael Sonnen. Check out Bellator this Saturday. Spike TV, Brendan Ward. And Paul Daly, Halle Gracie against Asaki Kato. Nice little card there from Bellator in Inglewood. Best of luck to Chael in his Bellator debut. Thank you very much to Alan Joban. Good luck getting that fight against RDA. Best of luck to Derek Brunson against Anderson Silva. Thank you very much to Megan Anderson, and congratulations to her as well. Thank you very much to Stipe Miocic, and of course, Mark Hunt and his lawyer, Christina Denning, as well. Back next week, same time and place. Until they say, peace. Shabbat shalom.